Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Hey everybody, it is your good friend, the Safety Doc, from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, where... It's starting to cool off a little bit, but not too much. Um, it is not heated down here. So once the cold weather sets in in Wisconsin, the temps drop pretty drastically. But uh, it's okay. It's all right for today. Um, I am still kind of working out the lighting here. For some reason, it's very dark <laughs> around my, my eyes, even though I've kind of moved some of the lighting. So um, this might be a little better on audio playback than anything else. Hey, welcome to SAST. Too many in the house and our good friend Joe Dolio from the state of Michigan. Joe Dolio, tactical wisdom. Um, so yeah, check out what he's got going on. Patches, books, and he has a Tuesday night uh, podcast where he is interviewed on uh, Brooks, Brooks something America. I'm sorry, I don't have it up right now, but um, I've been listening to it. So Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, what I wanted to address tonight was this, I think, mis misperception or incomplete perception people have about the supply chain crisis, right? Or the supply chain collapse, um, however you want to describe it. Um, something of saying, you know, it's it's a transitory event um, in, in time, like, you know, we're predicting what, the you know, Six months, things will start to quote unquote normal <laughs> normalize, right? What does that really mean? Um, and you know, so the thing is, um, it's much bigger than that. And this is where people aren't uh, having the discussion. And and I wrote about it in the Velocity of Information, which also the website is is live now. <laughs> so the um, velocityofinformation.com is my um, is my website and for the book. So there's Jodolio and there is SAST, too many. So, so yeah, velocityofinformation.com. All it does right now is just link over to um, my press release for the book, but soon it will link over to Amazon, um, you know, once the book is released. But yes, got that set up today. So um, what do we hear on, on the news? You know, supply chain, uh, we're waiting for you know ships to be docked and and cargo uh, crates to be unloaded and, and these types of things. Um, there's another big sentinel event which is happening right now, and this is the evolution from just-in-time manufacturing to 3D printed manufacturing. I wrote about this again in Velocity of Information, did additional research on this today. So Joel, excited for the book. Thank you, thank you. I've, <laughs> I'm excited too. Like I've been, I, I read, I have the book to the left of me. I read through the book um, almost daily and, and continue to take notes, talking points. So when it does release in February, and I, I start to, uh, to do some interviews and, and uh, do some author events that I can speak uh, pretty fluently <laughs> on it without having to go back and, and to reference things. And I can make little tags on, on pages and uh, pulling out some quotes and stuff like that. So, so yeah. Um, and I'm like, I am, I'm very glad this was a section. I didn't know if I would leave in the book or not, 
the the discussion of um, how velocity of information, how the changes we're experiencing right now with chaos are partly due to this move toward 3D printing for manufacturing. And I'm glad I left it in because it's extremely relevant and I think it's gonna be more prevalent. People are gonna recognize it more going forward. But let me kind of tell you what I'm, I'm thinking about. So one of the lesser mentioned reasons for the sustained and worsening supply chain disruption is that manufacturing has entered the transfer portal between just-in-time manufacturing and 3D printing. In other words, an old technology, just-in-time, is being usurped by a new technology, 3D printing. The pandemic hastened the process, and the question to answer is how the baton pass will occur on a racetrack that is quaking. I wrote that. So, so yeah, hey, Zippy! Our good friend Zippy is, is in the house, so here is a, there it is. All right, yeah, all right, Zippy. Yeah, and it's our, it is also our good friend, uh, Bacon Maldito, uh, representing Inglewood, California. Maybe not at the moment, but still represents Inglewood, California. They're actually um, completing a statue of Bacon, uh, which will be in front of the Dismore's IGA, the new one, opening on uh, 32nd and Grand in Inglewood. So uh, if you get a chance to stop by, I'm sure they'll have a lot of great deals. Even though prices are high, prices are always in the ballpark at Dismore's IGA. Um, so let's talk about this, right? If we go back to the 1960s and 70s, manufacturing was make a lot of a product, put it in a warehouse, and then you'd be shipping out of the warehouse to obtain that product. Um, so it was usually efficient as far as having enough product, but when you would end a product, you'd have to then deal with all of this old product that was in a warehouse um, and things like that. So it was a slower process, but usually it could absorb a lot of bumps, right? So if you had some reason why your, you know, a region was closed down because of a hurricane and something in weeks and whatever, you could pretty smoothly move product around. Uh, once we got into uh, worldwide into the 1990s, the just-in-time manufacturing uh processes that had already been in place in Japan uh, in, well into the 70s um, were starting to be adopted everywhere. So just in time, skipped the warehouse for the most part. You weren't meant to have a whole bunch of product um, sitting in a warehouse. It was meant to come off a line and really go on to a semi, right, a train, a boat, whatever, and, and then go to where it would be used, you know, whether that's the store whether that's directly to the consumer, whether it's to, um, you know, some service industry, right? So, you know, if you're making sinks or bathtubs or faucets, you know, it's going directly to the plumbing and contracting companies, things like that. So, so what it did is it cut out uh, a few things. It cut out the need to have um, the warehouses. I mean, there's still stuff that's warehouse, but the need to have these huge warehouses. Um, it eliminated that. It also it could bring down cost um, because, again, you're not having to store things, you know, where you have to transport it to the warehouse and transport it out of the warehouse, pay for the warehouse and all of that stuff. Um, so that was, you know, that was a plus. Um, and, you know, just product didn't have to age out, right? So you didn't, when you got to the end of a season, it was, it was faster to get rid of the supply, right? Because you didn't have all of this stuff sitting in a warehouse, you had to mark down and down and down and down. 
Um, you, you didn't have to deal with that. So what made just-in-time manufacturing work, um, you know, for, for the, you know, some part is technology, right? You know, we were able to, um, and I'm going to go over to, to the chat. Zippy wrote us, supply chain issues seem to be far, uh, to be from many different things. Yeah, they certainly are. This is, I think this is um, kind of a big underlying theme that people aren't talking about. Um, you know, of course, yeah, labor shortage, inability to source uh, goods, um, you know, things like, that, or, you know, source raw materials. Uh, but I think we are in this transition. And again, I, I wrote about it. I read um, white papers by independent researchers, also by uh, General Electric in 2000. 20, they released a paper, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit, where they were saying, hey, we are already building um, printers that can print food. And we expect that we'll have these in numerous restaurants within the next five years. We already have them in several restaurants, for example, in Germany. And it was about a week ago, I think it was on um, Jimmy Kimmel, where he had, had on a guest, and it was a chef who has a cookbook, uh, which is specifically incorporating 3D printed items. And I know this is I'm not saying I'm for, I'm advocating for 3D printed, for example, food bums, but I am saying also in my work with schools, um, schools and new school designs, for example, are starting to uh, have this built in, right? They're anticipating, it's kind of like when, you know, uh, the military would build, you know, ships and things like that, and there would be an empty area. And you'd get a tour and be like, well, what's that for? And that's like, that's for the technology that will be in invented in 20 years, right? And, um, and this is what's happening. I mean, these schools are very, very um, aware that they're going to be moving into some level of 3D printing um, on site for, for food. And, and not like this is like way out there. This is actually happening and happening with some high level of prevalence, especially in some uh, um prisons actually around the world are and um, elderly care centers are, are using this. But anyway, so we have so we have this warehousing which moved to just in time manufacturing. Just in time manufacturing now is moving to 3D printing. So some questions, you know, do we want oh my goodness, first of all, it is it is Moose Gal's corner from our old friends, uh, our good friends, not necessarily old friends, but good friends at Humboldt Distillery in Texas. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, appreciate it. So yeah, it is it is good. Um, let's go over here to uh, what, what Zippy put. Um, given wholesale things are sold or recycled pretty fast. Yeah, so, all right, cool. Very, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It is Lisa who will be our guest um, a week from today. Lisa has uh, made the visit over here to the Safety Doc podcast. So thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. Um, I spent most of the day with the audio folks making sure that we get things right. And they said, Dave, how about we try the audio strobe effect? And I'm like, I don't know. We might want to save that for the next show. I don't know if I want to try to get that working tonight. So we're going to keep things pretty good. Our good friend Alex is here. Alex, thank you. What is sizzling? Of course, it's bacon. Bacon Maldito from the Inglewood. He is the sizzler, not the Riddler. Three years ago, though, he was Batman, only on Halloween. So we get this transformation into just-in-time manufacturing. So we get caught in this portal where we're at right now. Where should you invest, like your resources? As a company, are you going to invest in 
just-in-time manufacturing, which has a high dependency on transportation and logistics of finished products? Or are you going to be pushing more of your dollars into 3D printing? Um, and so you're, at the, you're going to get to 3D printing at some point. And what has happened, which normally happens in a black swan event right now, um, brought on by the pandemic, is you run into a situation where, especially with a, a black swan event, is, is you, it rockets you forward in time. Like it, it accelerates you toward things that you probably wouldn't have got to for a number of years, like telehealth, remote learning, remote work. Like that wasn't going to be at the forefront in 2000 you know, 21, had we not had a pandemic, it would have encroached, like it, we would have gotten closer to it. Eventually, we would have got to that point, but probably not in 2021. So let's, you know, again, let's take a look at where we were at warehouse, you know, 1980s, moving to just in time production in the 90s. So things are coming, you know, off the assembly line and into the semi truck and or the boat or whatever and being transported to now 3D 3D printing. So let's talk a little bit about um, 3D printing. One is there was an article that came out of uh, Yahoo News. It was today by Joanne Muller, Monday, October 25th, 2021. And get this. So, um, so Joanne was writing about 3D printed cement houses and First of all, I have a friend in Canada who is, uh, his, his home is being built right now. And he's sending, you know, kind of daily updates. Parts of his home are being 3D printed on site. So, you know, it's, as he said, it's amazing. Like who would have thought this would be part of the plan? But yeah, I mean, parts again of his home are being 3D printed. So a few things, 3D printed cement houses. So instead of conventional materials like steel, aluminum and lumber, 3D printed structures are built by a robot squeezing a cement mixture out of a nozzle layer upon layer like a soft, a soft swirl ice cream cone. So I think that visual people get <laughs> interesting there. But yeah, so um, it's the same additive manufacturing process used to make everything from dental implants to airplane parts, just on a much, much larger scale. Now, there's a company in Texas called uh, Icon. And they've delivered more than two dozen 3D printed homes in the U.S. and Mexico, and they've already raised 270 or 207 million dollars to expand. So that's kind of part of it too, right? We see all this money coming in for electronic or electric cars, and some of these companies haven't even made like a prototype car yet. So, yeah, it is is it's just crazy. Um, they haven't done that, and here, you know, they've they have capital that's coming in. They can demonstrate, you know, here are the homes. Now we don't have a 20, 30, 40 years, how these things will hold up, but um, this is happening, you know, and I, I remember flipping, I didn't, I wasn't alive at this time, but I remember flipping through old Sears catalogs. What was it like the forties and fifties when you could like pick a house, like, Hey, I'm like, I'm going to order a house from Sears and it would show up on a, a two semi trucks, you know, at your, wherever the lot was in 1952. And, and they would unload it. And I don't know if they build it for you, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting stuff. If you, if you're not aware of it, just to go and check that or watch um, the fact that you could go in and, and uh, you know, order a house, like a prefab house in the fifties out of a Sears catalog. Um, so yeah, just how, how things kind of move along. Um, so yeah, so this is, this is happening. Um, 
3D printed goods also change the way that we are eating. So this is the General Electric study that I cited in um, the velocity of information, right? So I know it's weird to think about, um, yeah. So let's go over here to, first of all, to the bacon. Uh, bacon, um, 3D printed concrete dwellings sound like something the Russians would do. <laughs> 3D printed. So yes. Um, all right. Given they already make houses from concrete. Yeah. And who knows like what these different composites will will be going forward. Uh, but yeah, this is this is where it's kind of going. Like, you know, they have the, the robots, um, you know, that can start to, you know, lay bricks and things like that. And it's early stage stuff. But again, you know, this is where things seem to be going in this, this 3D printed move. Um, so let me tell you about uh, General Electric. So they, they released a study, and I'll link this out when I do the blog post, but it's called um, How 3D Printed uh, Goods Could Change the Way We Cook um, and Eat. So it is part of their GE Additive Manufacturing Branch. Now, as somebody who, who once um, <laughs> was an investor in GE, um, that stock was like owning a rock. Um, that was uh, dropped into a bottomless ocean. <laughs> so, so I'm like, I don't know um, if this is what's going to turn it around for GE or not. But oh no, GE, that is uh, that is just something. And Zippy right here. So, yeah, General Electric stock has been has been interesting to look at. So yes, it's looking. It looks like a slide, or it looks like a ski jump from like the 1974 Olympics. Uh, so it just, uh, it's not good. But anyway, so here's a quote from, from this um, paper released by General Electric. So um, at one gourmet restaurant in the United Kingdom, everyone is eating 3D printed food because that is all that is served. The enterprising entrepreneur at London's Food Inc. decided to push additive manufacturing to its logical extreme. Everything is 3D printed, including the utensils, the plates, the tables, and the chairs. At Miramar, a gourmet restaurant in Spain, food printers take on more mundane tasks, freeing chefs to better focus on their creative cuisine. So, and it, you might have seen this too. Like, it's been on the news quite a bit, like the electronic robot <laughs> in the arm to do, like, the fries and stuff at the fast food restaurant. So, but, but yeah, to actually come out into 3D print the food. So as I was going through this and doing additional research is, you know, you're able to physically, you're able to see um, the, the items that are being printed. And what the taste testers will say is the chicken is fairly close to, you know, whatever they do to season it. And, um, you know, the, the beef has a ways to go, but, um, but again, this is, there will be restaurants. It's not if there will be restaurants, especially fast food restaurants where you, know, you order something, and the 3D printer, the food printer uh, with whatever additives will just print it up and it'll, that, <laughs> that will be how it will get to you. Um, and the other thing is like, if you have a food allergy, right. Or if you're a type one, uh, have type one diabetes, you'd be able to input that profile and yeah, it would say, here it is. Um, this, it matches your, your profile. So you won't have an allergic reaction. So uh, Zippy wrote, corn ethanol electric cars are such a scam. 
So I have, I still have a vehicle that we are trying to rotate out of circulation, but uh, the replacement vehicle has <laughs> has not come in yet. Um, that runs on what is it? E85 uh, mixture of ethanol and and uh, gasoline, um, or gasoline, kerosene, and and uh, airplane fluid. So or airplane uh, fuel. So no, I don't think I'd ever do that with that car. But uh, but yeah, so it has this little little thing on the back of it, like a flex fuel, which we've never used ever. Like we've owned we've owned the car uh, 14 years, have never once filled it up <laughs> with with. I don't even think they offer it in my area anymore. Like for a while, you saw the the E85 stuff, and I don't. I'm pretty sh- I'm sure. Like I actually fill up the gas day. I'm pretty sure it wasn't one of the options to go with E85. But fortunately, the vehicle runs fine with non E85 gas. But, uh, but yeah, you know, such a, such a hokey thing of saying, you know, as a marketing thing. So yeah, as we get into like electric cars, right? So as we get into all this 3D printing and, you know, it's kind of a shift of electricity, right? So if you're printing at your home or if your local store is printing something, is it going to require more electricity to 3D print? But then that would have regularly been consumed in the manufacturing process. I don't know. Um, let me get, so anyway, so this is what's happening out of, out of GE. There are, are high end uh, chocolate um, stores, which are now doing specialty chocolates that they're producing by 3d printing. And so again, I mean, I'm like, so you get into the transportation of the uh, composite parts that you're, you're putting into this uh, 3d printer but um so let's get over here alex uh alex said i don't think i would trust machine food too easy to poison so yeah i was kind of thinking <laughs> i was thinking about that too of uh, so when i kind of get into some of the things that you have to consider here um you could right what if what if you depended upon a large 3d network for food printing and suddenly there's ransomware in that network or it gets hacked or, you know, uh, who is who is keeping that network um, kind of curated, right? So those are the questions which will have to be be answered because that could have a substantial impact, right, on supply chain. If let's say ten years from now, homes start to have three D printers, and you know, say instead of Mister Coffee, it's Mister Three D Printed omelet or whatever it is. And then, you know, one day you wake up and it's like offline, you know, your subscription to Amazon or whatever, where this device is going to subscribe and be able to download. And, you know, you're gonna have to pay so much every time it like does the recipe, whatever. And it's offline. You're like, oh no. And then it's, you know, what, it, what do you do when you're not going to have as much um, of other food stocks, in place because of this of this transition. Um, so I talked to a friend of mine who has been in the um, grocery business for all of his life. Like he's my age, so you know that that uh, he's he's uh, old. So yes, um, but yeah, yeah, it is. Anyway, so he said, you know, this is talked about now at industry conferences, and you know, we are starting to think, you know, how will grocery stores change? So, so Zippy is saying 3D printing is still a few decades, uh, decades away. Even cook robot costs more than normal cook. Um, so I think saturation 
but I'm I'm still thinking this is going to be a uh, much faster than what we think that we're going to see 3D 3D printing hit the scene. And it's it's a matter right now, and it depends where the government's going to put money to, right? Where they're going to fund and where they're not. Um, but if it comes down to you know, usually these switches and tech these these changes are pretty fast. You know, like from a flat screen TV to the old, you know, CR, uh, cathode uh, ray, you know, tube TV and, and all of that stuff. Like, um, you know, how long did it take to get saturation of, you know, microwaves into homes and things like that? And um, I don't, I don't, again, all of the, the projections, so I read eight different studies, we're putting this at a saturation level of 2030 of saying that there would be a number of restaurants, a number of homes that would have this. It'd be, you know, fairly familiar. Um, the major auto parts company companies, the auto suppliers, uh, the, the top three, I'm not going to name them by name, but the top three um, are anticipating that, and I have articles that I'll link out, that by the year 2030, at all of their stores, right? So imagine you're going into your favorite auto parts store and you're like, hey, you know, like I need um, a fuel pump or I need a rotor, something that doesn't have um, a chip associated with it, right? For my vehicle, they will enter your VIN number and boom, be able to print that part off for you. It won't come out of back stock. And again, it's it's starting, they're starting to use a metallic metals, for example. Um, they've been successful with copper um, in printing. There's the first ele electric motor was uh, fully printed um, by a company in Germany. Uh, and it was, and it's functioning, right? And it's also lighter weight, um, but it's made with uh, composite uh, composite metals. So um, November 27th, 2020, an article, and let me bring it up here. So the article is uh, titled, dun, 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 3D print your own car parts. And this one has a, a machine, the, the Mod, uh, Modix M-O-D-I-X big 180X machine. So pretty wild stuff. Costs eighteen, or it costs twelve thousand dollars U.S. and a, a number of things that you can print uh, different parts uh, for your your vehicle. So, and a fair amount of this is kind of open code right now. So the question is, you know, how much of this will be open code, kind of perpetually, or how much of this intellect, you know, intellectual property will will stomp in on this stuff? So it's pretty crazy. So. Uh, whoa, Lisa wrote, how does 3D printed food overcome the push to unprocess our food and eating organic? So, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I would think, right, the the parts that will come into this will, will be trying to identify what the source materials are that are actually going into this 3D printer in your house for food. You know, like they show some of the stuff. Um, in, in, for example, a GE article, stuff like that, some powders and things like that. Not very appealing until it all kind of gets brought together. Um, but yeah, so I think, I, I mean, obviously there's going to be a big push of saying it's it's vegan. Um, but I, 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 I mean, those are some of the answers or some of the questions um, I need to find answers to. But it is, yeah, it's a great question. Um, and eating organic, 
So yeah, how much of this, I, I don't know. And and what is, that's a good question, Lisa. So what does organic look like um, when you buy off a shelf? You know, this is organically, uh, you know, produced, but we just 3D printed it here like this morning and, and put it out for the, the consumer. Or if you have something at, at home that you're able to, to print and then, you know, and I don't know what these refills look like, right? And <laughs> it's like kind of like, remember Soda Stream when you had the big carbonated canisters and, um, you know, Culligan, Culligan would bring in the water and stuff like that. Are, is it going to be a service, right? Is it going to be where it will just kind of track it? And when you, you get low, it will automatically, the subscription service will just send you out, you know, uh, so you'll always have like A, B, and C um, mixtures, and you'll just put them in their appropriate areas on the the machine, and the machine will do the rest. I don't know. I mean, these are just a crazy thing. So let's go over here in the chat. Um, Andrew, look how many people were saying ten years ago how self driving trucks are coming, and we didn't even have uh, self driving boats or trains. So yes, yeah, and so, and this is. So I was talking with um, one of the engineers at General, or not General Electric, General Motors, and he was saying they're planning on about 2035 that their their vehicles intercommunicate, <laughs> like on the road, and then would communicate with other vehicles. So you you would know um, if something happened up ahead, if there's a crash or something like that, or you know. So, so I don't. It's interesting, like. Um, Look at how many people were saying 10 years ago. I, but I, I think self-driving trucks, though, are, again, this is something that's accelerating, right? Like, this is where, um, I mean, these, and another part of this, too, Andrew, right, is, I mean, if we look at, let's say, a vehicle that has been is self-driving or partially self-driving and then it's crashed, uh, there isn't this, this instant government push to, like, hey, we have to ban that vehicle. Uh, or the manufacturer has to suspend production. Like that's not happening, even though like some of these vehicles have caused fatal crashes because the sensors, um, the AI, the machine learning has gone wonky on them. So, uh, so yeah, let's go back over here in, in the chat. It's great chat tonight. So, um, so Lisa wrote, USDA has a definition of organic, but not natural. Oh, Lisa. So this is something uh, I need to include in here. So yeah, um, organic, but not natural. It's interesting. I, I was watching um, the the Spurlock uh, documentary where he was talking about organic and free range uh, chicken. And he said, for example, like free range chicken, as long as you had the door open to where, you know, the, the chickens were and you could have a, a little fence where they could go out like three feet outside, um, that was considered technically that they were uh, free range. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's interesting. USDA has organic but not natural. And I, it's one of these things where I thought this was really, I mean, when I started to write about this in philosophy of information, it was... Uh, pretty unappealing to think about like 3D printed food and stuff like that. And it still is weird to think about that, but I don't think we're that far off. And this show really isn't so much necessarily about 3D printed food, but it's like 3D printed a lot of things, right? 3D printed homes, uh, 3D printed car parts, you know, a lot of stuff that you put together on, um, you know, your shopping list. Uh, can you go through and say, you know, can that be 3D printed? Um, and how many of those things then, you know, would you subscribe? Would you have a subscription service? For example, to 
to Amazon or you know something uh, that would be a similar type of company that they would then give you the the code where you could write that. So Zippy wrote uh, IPv IPv4 is a struggle. That's why the internet needs to move to IPv6. That's not enough V4 numbers. I totally agree with you. I always get a V6 over V4, even when the V4 is turbocharged. It's not the same, but yeah, I get I get what your Alex is saying to, to Zippy. Um, so this is our good friend Bacon Maldio. Bacon wrote, um, good question, Lisa. Though organic is one step above printed lab-grown food as far as I'm concerned. So um, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, Bacon. I'm, I'm with you. So, I mean, I, I, it, this is one of those things too. If you're, if you're shopping and, and there's two items on a shelf and one is like, this is non GMO and this is GMO and they're, you know, similar in price. Most people will go with the non GMO, even though like remember genetically modified foods were such a big thing, um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, the, the marketing, the selling of that, because here we can grow things and they can be pest and drought resistant and it won't cost you as much. And, but no one was kind of saying, yeah, but you know, there's this weird part of thinking you have this genetically modified, you know, corn or apples or whatever it is. And, but there's right. There's marketing, there's psychology. You're going to have industries, which will battle. You're going to have, uh, yeah, so I mean, if you have something that can be 3D printed um, versus like if you are growing that as a, as a crop and this is your livelihood, I mean, you're going to have major lobbying and battles that are that are going to go on with this. And, you know, probably if we go back, we could see some similar things in manufacturing when we went to went from um, man, uh, warehousing and things like that to just in time. I mean, it was you're losing, you know warehouse, uh, uh, you know, positions and things like that. So you're going to have this change in labor. Um, but yeah, this is, it's so crazy because like, and what do, the, what are the composite materials look like that go into this? Like, what are you, what are you farming? Because I mean, you're not going, to, you're not going out like uh, back to the future. Remember where Doc like does the Mr. Fusion and you, you know, you pour a beer can in there and throws paper bag or something like that. You're, you're good to go. It can turn it into anything. So that's not where we're at. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, man, this is, this is just, it's amazing discussion because I think we are, we are headed there very fast. And I think we've already made big steps toward that. And I just, I don't see this investment happening in just in time manufacturing. You know, you look at states like California, where you can only have a semi that's what, 10 years old. You can't run anything that's, you know, older than that. You can't get registered running on the roads. Um, and, you know, this move toward electric vehicles and things like that. I think, I think it's pushing toward um, away from just in time into 3d printing. And if you're to put all of these systems into place, you know, to continue to, to, you know, move these goods and transport um, as you're also kind of moving from gas to electric, I just don't, I, I, I think just in time manufacturing is in its, it's, its last phase as we look at history. And that's what I wrote in the, in my book, 1980 to 2030 will be warehouse just in time. And then the introduction of, of uh, 3d printing. So, um, but let's, let's go over here to the chat and zippy got computer issues, mostly hammered out reinstalling some broken software program. No, 
Zippy, it's not, it's not good, buddy. So I think uh, he's our friend who is, is running Linux, not to be con, uh, confused with Linus um, from the Charlie Brown series. Um, but yeah, I've noticed a little bit of um, a growl in one of my <laughs> one of my hard drives. So my my system here operates off of multiple hard drives. Um, the main one is solid state, so I think I'm good there. But I've got a growl in one of my other ones, which is a bad sign. So um, I'm probably going to have to I think just replace all of all of the drives. So I had like a custom down here in the North Star Recording Studio, right? My my desktop was custom built about six, seven years ago. And at that time, it was like all top of the line stuff. Like, I, I mean, it was like an investment. In, and the thought was that it could continue, continually be upgraded, which it, it can be. Like, um, and it's held up really well. I mean, this was a system I built with like, you know, five, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like 500, uh, I I don't know what the RAM is, the functioning RAM um, on it. I, anyway, it's crazy. Like I got five, five hard drives and and uh, and stuff like that. But it's just it's it's a cool system. But it's it's now I've got to go in and and kind of uh, have some of these things tended to you know get some of the updates going. Um, I'm still running a Windows Seven off of this, and I have a, a laptop which I run Windows Ten. But actually, I prefer Seven. It hasn't let me <laughs> hasn't let me down yet. So still feeling good there. Um, so let's see, um, as we get here, uh, Moose, Moose Gal's Corner. Um, and how can 3D printed food be healthy and safe for human consumption? So, wow, like that is that is a uh, chin music. That is the fastball uh, right up toward the head. Um, the 102 heater from Ricky Vaughn. So, um, well, it's, it's a good question, right? And it's been... Um, it's been tested and it's been, it's interesting to read the studies of saying, yeah, we've been doing this for like five or six years. And again, just like a week ago on uh, the Jimmy Kimmel, he had on a chef who's saying, you know, I've been using 3d printed food with, you know, many people over the last three to five years. And they continually say that it, it tastes better. It's, it's uh it's it's tasting better than it did when it first came out and they're getting closer and in uh, comparing it to the authentic foods um but i don't know i mean we have a lot of stuff which i don't know right if it's 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 not <laughs> genuine you know that that we're eating right now um you know stuff that's 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 been processed several times and created so um so i think the argument right could be coming in and saying we can specifically I mean, hypothetically identify how much fat, sugar, consistently across item to item, have inter-item reliability, reliability on this. So, um, but Alex wrote, I got business internet, so I so I got a static. I think a static IP address is what he's saying. Uh, let's go here. Wood chips are organic. <laughs> Enjoy, everyone. And I have a ton of wood chips um, down here. Uh, in the room here next to the North Star Recording Studio. So, um, yeah, uh, Nick, Nick Monaco uh, wrote, yeah, Windows 7 is easiest for hackers to get through a backdoor. So uh, I am, yeah, aware of the vulnerabilities here on, on the system. So I've taken uh, steps to um, protect it. But, yeah, you're absolutely right with that. So, Xavier um, uh, wrote, was testing Linux. Um and let's see it. What else? The doc's running seven. Yeah. 
So <laughs> it's you know, it's my lucky number. So seven was my birthday, and you know, you don't you don't go away from that. So, um, but yes, uh, I am still running seven. It's the vintage system. I guess I'm not up to if I had to do 3D printing, I'm not up to uh, whatever system that would take. So I'm still in the the old school here. So. And then Nick wrote, did you see that Gavin Newsom signed a bill today to ban all small combustion engines by 2024, lawnmowers, dirt bikes, generators? Yeah. So I did see that. And again, that's where um, if we take that, you know, there's, there's our, the political moves are to move away from the internal combustion engine. And if you're moving toward electric and then you're trying to transport uh, this amount of goods, which we've done through just-in-time transporting, uh, you know, finished goods, is it going to make more sense to uh, to make that leap into 3D printing? I don't know. Hey, let's talk about some benefits here of uh, of 3D printing. This is from Stat Systems or statsys.com. And um, five benefits, five benefits. The first one, advanced time to market turnaround. So, right, if you are, you know, you release something, um, it is, is as fast if the person has the printer and the goods that they get the code for it and they can print it or they can go somewhere locally, you know, it's released and it's, it's there at the moment, you know, that code is made available. So advanced time to market turnaround uh, to save on tooling cost with on-demand 3d printing. That's a big one, right? So, uh, you know, read year after year, especially if you're going from one car model to another, you got to shut down the factory and you got to totally retool things um, which is expensive and then takes a lot of time. And here again, you know, it's kind of like CAD, right? When when CAD design came in, you know, I have a friend who has his own CAD business, and he said, you know, that was that was huge, right? And saving time because you're you know you're reprogramming uh, versus having to actually physically you know change the the different equipment that you had set up that would cut out these these items and lathes and stuff like that. So um, the third one is reduce waste with additive manufacturing. So yeah, like you don't have all of the extra stuff you'd have to cut off necessarily to get to, um, you know, the the core part that you've produced. Um, so you're not having weight as much waste when you're when you're 3D printing. Um, save weight with complex part designs. So things you wouldn't be able to necessarily cast, but you could 3D print. So you could make them lighter. That's the part with this electric engine that was produced in Germany. Um, of a, a vehicle grade electric engine and saying that the engine is able to dissipate heat better than a traditional electric engine. And it's also lighter because, you know, we can eliminate some things where you would have the space would just be filled up with metal if it was cast, but because it's printed, that's not part of it. So save weight with complex part designs. The fifth is eliminate shipping of finished products along with all the packaging that goes with it. If it can go, you know, right to the store. If you say, I want this, it comes up on a screen or they have like a demo of it there. And you say, I want this. And they're like, okay, you know, you swipe your card and whatever. And yeah. And however many minutes it takes, or if you have it like produced ahead of time for you, like, you're like, I want this. Um, and then you go in and there it is. So it, it doesn't have to have the, all of the, the packaging that goes, goes with it. It doesn't have to be shipped from another location. It's like, boom, here it is. So let's go over to the chat. Um, Nick wrote, uh, it's a shame because Larry Elder is one of the smartest people in the country. And he believes in freedom, true libertarian. So 
Um, I think that goes back, is it here? To Zippy, New York and California are almost the same, driven into the ground by mad people. So, yeah, some uh, crazy policy stuff <laughs> just happening um, in both of those states, as you mentioned, and, and I've kind of seen them you know, everywhere. Like we're observing just some really strange policy stuff going on. Um, so let's take a, take a, a second here to run um, our our banner, which says, hey, please subscribe and smash that like button to the Safety Doc podcast. This is episode 156, uh, where we're talking about the supply chain experiencing disruptive transition. And the doc saying, hey, I think this whole just-in-time manufacturing of people saying, we're going to get, we got to get that back in order, that we're also kind of at the end stage of that, you know, that that is just not where we're at. It is uh, now progressed into 3D printing, that we're, we're closer than we ever were to making that jump into 3D printing. Um, so, yeah, it's big. It's big stuff. Also, my book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, is the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex right here. Um, in hard copy, and this book, um, yes, is has won a choice award. It makes a, it's great on a coffee table. Um, it is it is just awesome, right? So, yeah, School of Hairs and some terrific interviews. Katie Pashan, uh, Cajun Navy Relief, uh, Sean Dickers talking about um, the, when the U.S. <laughs> Army was coming out with a video game back, I don't know, four or five years ago, say, hey, here's a video game to, to train teachers on how to uh, respond if, if an actor shooter comes in their, their room. And um, so they could be the role of the shooter or the of a student or, or you know, the teacher or whatever. So that was a video game, right? That it was, it almost uh, saturated the country, but then people are saying, <laughs> don't do that. Like, it doesn't make sense. So yeah, this is the most honest book. This is the one that will tell you or, or give you the insights. You're always curious about it. You're like, really? I'm like, yes, like, that's actually what's going on. So let's go back here um, to the uh, chat. And um, Doc, it's a shame you don't have a bigger audience. I found you through the stream you did with CRS Firearms. Th thanks, Nick. So CRS Firearms, uh, my friend uh, Matt Hoover, who actually, <laughs> Matt lives um, uh, 25 minutes from my house. And so I had I watched a show that he did, uh, The Four Phases of Chaos, he released, I think, two years ago. And I was like, whoa, um, I want to pull in some of that. I want to have you on my show and, and talk about that. Uh, because what he was seeing as someone who sells uh, firearms, right? was this 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 increase in people wanting to buy firearms but then also the where the supply chain was getting way out of of whack again just in time manufacturing um saying you know some of some of the ammunition was like a, a year out you know to obtain so it's it, we had that discussion and and uh yeah we've been in contact uh since then and and so Yes, I need to actually get up there because he has, I think he has, like I think I've seen it in the back of his store. So he also has, they they have like a, um, a re retail, like a resale store. And in the back, there's this giant spider, like the Halloween spider that you have the bendy legs and stuff like that. And I have one of those at my house, uh, but I don't have two. 
And I, I take it and I twist it around one of the lights on the garage. But then the, the other light, like if I had another spider, and this is the same spider. Like I've eyed it up in the videos that, that Matt does. And like, yeah, the same spider that I have. Um, that then I would double the effect right to have this, this spider. Um, so, yeah. By the way, like Halloween coming up, uh, I, I will spend the whole day decorating uh, outside for Halloween. And I make it so it's, it's uh, I guess I would say interesting and, and kind of some novel stuff, but I don't make it so freaky that that the little kids like won't come up to the house, um, you know, or it's like overly gruesome, you know, poltergeist stuff like that. That's not, I don't do that, but um, I do have this, this, the, the bloody leg, which is the leg that comes out from under the garage door. So it looks like it's been crushed. And then you have like the fake blood around it. And then inside the garage door, I have um, a rotating uh, light from back in my fire fighting days and, and put it down on the ground or the floor. And then it, so the strobe light comes out and it has this effect. When you look from the road, it kind of seems like there's like a fire in the garage. And uh, it's, it's funny because, uh, that's where parents will stage their kids and they'll say like, stand next to the bloody leg and, and the spider and I'll take your picture. And, and I'm kind of out toward the end of the driveway. My wife and kids are like in and out candy and stuff. And it's fun to like, listen to parents say, Hey, like we like to come to this place like every year. They don't know. Like I'm the the person that, you know, I'm the, the homeowner or you hear kids say like, oh, I remember this place from last year. So yes, um, I have a ghost that will go from my maple tree to my house on, on this rope, right? <laughs> and at night, it's really cool because I kind of like a glow sticks and some other stuff. And, and it's this cool effect. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't, I've had that for a while. I, yeah, but it's, a, it's kind of a beast to set up because I got to get the ladders out and it, it's got to be like at the right height because if it's too high on one end, it just it doesn't. But if it's like set up right it's this motion activated ghost, which will just start moving across the lawn, um, you know, like 10 foot up. And I'm like, it is pretty awesome. So, so yeah, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big junkie on Halloween as far as like, I, I just love Halloween. And when I was growing up too, I, um, I, I love the documentaries about like haunted Atlanta. Well, I guess haunted Atlanta is pretty big, like, um, haunted New Orleans or haunted Gettysburg. Um, you know, those, those would be on in October. I'd be like, Oh my God, like these are so great. You know, again, I'm like 10 years old. So, um, and then it would always be kind of sad on November 1st because those would be gone. Like then they didn't have those on TV until like the next October. So be like, Oh man, like sucks because I just love these. But now like with the power of the internet, you can watch those anytime. So, um, I've been doing like the Waverly Hills sanatorium series, uh, kind of, I'm not really into like the ghost adventures and things like that. I, I can, I like more of the organic um, documentary kind of ghost folks. So getting in on a, a Halloween thing. Um, so I, have, I had, I had somebody I interviewed on my show. Um, um, I think it's Alrita uh, Kenny and she was, uh, so this, this is true. Um, so, <laughs> Oh, I'll get to the Arita story. Meditate when you're angry and read when you're curious. Yes, Alex. Um, I like that. Meditate when you're angry, read when you're curious. Good. All right. Um, Zippy, I need to make more videos, but I'm so damn scatterbrained. Man. So, Zippy, you're a smart guy. Like You share a ton of stuff on intellectual property with me and other things, so it's good. Um so where the hell was I going with this? Like, this is where I need the, uh, this Cameron, 
evening. Where was I with this? Something with ghost, ghost, hunt, not. I was watching TV, and then where was I going with this? Um, this is where I need someone else, like, in the show to uh, to be, like, you know, the, the Andy Richter to say, hey, like, remember you are talking about we got into this, but I don't know. I don't know what I was – if anyone puts, what was I just talking about? <laughs> so – I'm sorry, this happens when you get old and you start talking about ghosts and things like that. Um, but I don't know if I see it, if you put it down, what, what was I just talking about? You're talking about haunted city documentaries. Okay. Yeah, Lisa, you're right. So, um, oh, yeah. So here we go. So I, you need guests. I am having a guest. By the way, Lisa, who you just saw right here, dun, 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 Lisa is going to be the guest on this show one week from today, November 1st. Lisa will be the guest on the show. She is an attorney and she is going to help us understand, hey, what actually happens when a parent, for example, sues the school district uh, because of saying you didn't um, allegedly do enough to prevent my child from contracting COVID or mitigate, uh, you know, do mitigating things in the environment to reduce the chances of COVID. So um, Lisa will be the guest one week from today and she has an incredible memory. Like a lot of people, well, I guess, I'll let you know now, but um, Lisa was able to memorize 238 things that were put out um, on a table in front of her. And she had six minutes to memorize. Uh, the, there were like 250, 12 things she didn't recall, but she had 238 out of 250, which is pretty, well, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, like I'm sitting there trying to like, you know, find where my car keys are. And Lisa's like, there was a pencil, there was a golf ball. Um, over here was a compass. It was tilted. North was actually kind of over where East was and stuff like that. So, so amazing. I mean, I want to say savant like, uh, but she also works at it. So just like practices very, you're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy Lisa. So, so, um, Arita Kini was, was a guest here on the show a couple of years ago, right around Halloween. You could find that. And she is a, she's a, a mystic and a psychic, I think. Um, and she, I was interviewing her and, and I think it was about uh, like uh, spir spiritual safety, right? Like kind of like a poltergeist thing. Um, what do you do if you're in a situation where your house is haunted and, you know, it's, and it's not the friendly ghost, you know, it's not Casper. Um, it's, it's the stuff that is going, is <laughs> not going well for you. Um, so she's, she's, she's going through this and, and then I, I kind of branched off into the story of, I'm like, yeah, you know, there's this, when I'm out biking, Arita, there's this, uh, there's a, the uh, cemetery, an old cemetery, like, a, you know, the church is long gone and the headstones are all like crooked and it's just a sad sight. But, um, but I said, you know, that's where I, I kind of like, I do a bike through of this old cemetery and I chill a little bit in the cemetery and, and, and like I'm watching her and she's looking at me like, what? And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. Like what, uh, what's going on? Um, and she's like, you do what? I'm like, I, I, um, she goes, are you tired when you do this? I said, well, yeah, I mean, usually cause like, it's, you know, I'm probably, I don't know, it's like 30 miles where this thing is. And she's like, oh my God, like, don't do that. Like, absolutely don't like you become so vulnerable to, um, spirits entering your body, your, your psyche. Like, do you, do you feel I mean, how do you feel when you do that? Is that I don't, most of the time pretty good? Sometimes not. I don't. <laughs> but um, 
and I appreciate it. I'll read it. I, I do. I'm not trying to make, make light of this, but um, when I had said that, I mean, she's like, Oh God, like, don't, you got to stop that. Like you do not do that. Like you don't, when, when you're fatigued, you don't go through a cemetery. You just don't do that. And to this day, like I've never been back, even though like I bike past this cemetery and I see now like the properties for sale, like all around it, which is kind of weird. It's like, like it's poltergeist. <laughs> like, what do you do if all this property gets bought or like a cemetery gets bought? I don't know. It's kind of weird, but um, you know, does it get relocated? I don't know. But even, but I have this thing, like I, I just, I can't bring myself to like bike up there and kind of do my chill, you know, where get off the bike. I mean, walk around. I, I like the history of the cemetery, like, you know, the, the, the stones um, kind of have, you know, the, the old designs on them. And um, uh, so, I mean, and it is, it's, it's kind of, it's on this hill and it, but you know, it's off like a mile from, from the road. And, and but anyway, um, yeah, that's, but so I did, I, I was, I was doing a little research because I'm like, what, what was out there? Like what church was out there? And then I'm, I started to find like, this was one of quote unquote, the most haunted places in my state. Like people, like major, you know, like TV ghost shows, like come out to this cemetery to, um, you know, with their different devices and spirit boxes and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh my God, like I've been out there like a lot of times. So maybe there was something to it, but, uh, um, anyway, I never had a paranormal experience. Um, people would dump their couches off though at the cemetery. So that was, uh, at the, at the entrance of it, because it's again off the road and it's out in the country that was always happening. There were always, there was always furniture that was dumped off, um, at the, at the, where you'd go in for this thing. His soil was really sandy too. This is really, just remember that like super, super sandy. Like if you get off the, the path, so I'm like sandy, it's just sandy soil. So um, let's go over here to uh, to the chat and uh, um, okay, uh, Zippy um, to Alex. My biggest best, such as it is, video compares censorship to book burning. Um, though it's real simple, text in old real video and the American anthem. Yeah, I've I've seen that. Zippy, you shared that with me. Um, yeah, book burning. Um, and by the way, School of Airs is banned in Germany. Just so you know, is that it's true? You cannot order or or own this book in Germany. Yeah, we can sometimes bring on our good friend Phil Heinrich, Doctor Heinrich, to uh, talk about that. But uh, yeah, it is Samistat in Germany. It'll put you in a bad place, buddy. So, always well, ship it in a uh, in a brown paper bag that says Wendy's on the outside, and people leave it alone. Um, you need guests. Yeah, Alex, like I said, Lisa's going to be on next week. This show used to be kind of guest-based. Um, and then I, I started to go solo, uh, which I don't know if that was good or bad. Um, but I don't have a sidekick, though. Or not even a sidekick, but, you know, like a co-host. Um, so I've got to think that out. If anybody here wants to volunteer for the job of a part-time um, or full-time co-host, let me know because uh, that would be good. I just, my memory is not as good as, as it was. It just isn't, um, you know, like, so on Saturday I was teaching a college class or university, university class at the university I've taught at for 18 years. And like, th there's a, every morning when you go over there and you get like five o'clock, you know, stuff like that at this time of year, there's always fog because it's close to the Mississippi river. So, so 
it's even though like I've done this year after year many times, I'm like, which exit is it? Is it exit five or is it exit three? And I like, if I did five, I could still find my way there. If I do three, it's right on. If I go past that, I go across the Mississippi, then I got to turn around. Um, so, you know, it's, it's this weird thing. And the university, here's what the university did this year. They, they rebadged, they, they put new signage up and all of this stuff and kind of this new color. It's 130 year old, you know, these buildings are meticulously maintained by the way, like, they were never locked until this year. They were open 24-7 for like 129 straight years. And then, you know, obviously it was a society and having to lock things lock things up, right? They they locked the buildings. So I have a, a key card that gets me into the building, but that wasn't working. Um, everything was locked. The fun, the system was malfunctioning. So the the building and grounds folks were there and they couldn't get in with their key. They would turn it and they couldn't get in. So one of uh, the building and ground folks had to go through a, a side door that wasn't part of the system and then get in and try to successfully like unlock everything. But I'm like, yikes. Um, But yeah, that was always weird. Like to just have this in this building is just ornate, right? It's a private university or ornate woodwork. And I think I might've shared before, like um, there's slate boards, chalkboards, right? And you would be provided as a faculty member specific chalk to use on these boards. And it's like writing its buttery experience and just like so um, this, this, this tactile, uh, it was just amazing, right? So, but anyway, um, it's like I teach some different classes over there. So before I go, I'm always having to write down what room number. Is it 416 or is this 346 or am I in 525? Or I'm like, usually I can just kind of find where the students are. <laughs> I got to figure it out. And the other part is on the weekend, especially in the morning, they don't, there's no lights in the hallways, like at all. Again, a 130, you know, year old building. So when you get in there, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, to just figure out, okay, here's, here's the water fountain. So I think I'm like down from the water fountain and all this stuff. But, uh, but anyway, like if I go out the wrong entrance or the wrong exit, I guess you wouldn't go out the entrance necessarily go out the exit. You know, it can totally be disorienting, especially when they have like events on campus. They had a new student event, like a recruiting event for, for students. So you know, the parents and students were out there. And I was wearing like a sport coat, right? I always, I always do the faculty thing. I have like a name thing to the university, you know, that I wear. But, you know, but anyway, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I was parking in the same spot so I can kind of find my car sooner or <laughs> sooner or later. I'm like, it's not that big of a campus. So um, I can figure out what's going on. But it's, it's, it is weird, though. Yeah, I'm just like, for once in a while, like, I'll be going over something with the students and be like, where was it? What was it talking about? Hey, uh, Dr. Pro, you're talking about, like, abeyance agreements. I'm like, I was? That's awesome. Yeah, I got a, I got a slide on that. Like, let's talk about this. So, um, all right. I don't think that's different. Though. I think I have a, I, it's kind of always been that way. So, um, so yeah, I biked, I biked the other day. I did uh, 61 miles. So, and I, there's a, there was a dam. Um, a civilian conservation Corps dam. And I had always kind of wanted to check this thing out. Like it's, you know, it's been abandoned and it's been <laughs> purposely, you know, partially disassembled. So it doesn't work anymore. And, uh, and I'm going and I'm like, I'm, I'm biking past it. I'm like, Oh God, like the, the uh, foliage had died down because there had been a, a frost. So it was, I'm looking I'm like, this is, this is much easier to get to than, the other times I bike past it. So curiosity kind of gets the better of me. And I'm like, I'm going to go check this dam out. So 
here's a here's a couple things that didn't go right. Uh, the first thing is when I bike, um, you know, because I'll bike sixty to a hundred miles, so my biking shoes are flat, and your biking shoes don't have cushion inside; they're flat shoes. And the reason you do that is you want the energy to go from your foot to the pedal. You don't want it absorbed in the cushioning and lost energy, right? So, so I've got flat shoes, flat biking shoes. And uh, I'm looking, and there's kind of like this, this structure is kind of covered in vines, um, which were very difficult to walk on. And there's there's maybe 10 inches that you can walk on as you start to get up to where this dam is. And if you go off either side of that, like that'd be a really, <laughs> that'd be really bad. Um, I'd be able to get out if I did that, but like body wise, um, it would not be good for me. So. So I'm, I'm, I'm eyeing this thing up and, you know, I don't, I have my, my cameras away. I'm not trying to video record this because I'm pretty sure like at this point, like all my energy has to be focused into this. And so I'm like, oh God, I can do this. And so I'm going through and, and I did, like I, I was able to get in and, uh, and it was amazing, right? It's like, you know, to this dam structure and to see what was left of it and the water coming through and stuff like that. But it's also, I'm checking out like all of the, there's like a handle over here, this pipe thing. I'm like, it's still pretty, pretty sturdy. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, if I if I did a misstep here, I kind of wiped it out. Like, I don't, I don't think I, I think I'm done. Like, I don't think I'd be able to get out of like the, <laughs> the structure. So, but you know, the thing was when I when I had to get off of it, um, I had I'm looking. I'm like. I think my best bet is to, it's kind of like American Ninja, right? My best bet is to run as fast as I can. And then when I get to the narrow part, which is maybe 10 feet long, is, you know, um, I really, if I have enough speed going, as long as I get like two, three steps down on that, I'll be okay. Like my momentum will propel me across. And even if I start to lose my balance, like I'll still be able to do it. And so that was, and that was my game plan and it worked. Um, so, but it is one of those things. Yeah. If it, it could have had, it, it could have gone the other way. So when I got done and I, I was like, yes, yeah, this was, I'm glad, I'm glad I did it in retrospect, you know, like <laughs> I'm so glad I did it. Damn it. Thing was probably haunted too. So now what the hell I've got that to deal with. Um, but yeah, so, um, Let's go over here to uh, Alex. Hey, you need guest. I do. Remember, we're taking care of that. Uh, Lisa said, you need a Bert to your Ernie. I do. I, I do. I need a, a Bert to my Ernie. Yeah. Um, so, again, like, you know, people know how to how to get a hold of me. Um, this could be your, your entry um, into a lower tier, um, but best in this um, value class uh, podcast in uh, school and community safety. And this could, this could be like a resume builder um, or it could just be, you know, uh, charity. Um, however you want to perceive it. It's not tax deductible. The time that you devote to uh, helping me out on the show, but uh, it is karma and we can all use that. Um, your garage and Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it is a production. Um Back in the, in, I used to take off a day from work just to to set up from that. But, you know, now that I'm retired, I don't really have to do that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's cool. We have a thousand kids, by the way, that come over for Halloween. So well, we don't come over. Like we don't have a thousand kids at a time, but we have a thousand trick-or-treaters. And the reason is we live two blocks away from the school 
uh, campus in our community. So it's a high school, middle school, elementary schools, and all of that, like the campus. So the kids go from the school to our place where they get dropped off at the campus from other communities, and then they kind of like filter out. Plus, I live in what is the, um, how should I say, like just a, a more affluent part of our community. I live at the edge of that. <laughs> so so actually, like my my neighbor is, or my neighbor was a doctor who owned several clinics and had so our, our, you know, properties, share property lines and, and uh, big pillars in front of his house. And he has uh, this big waterfall in the back and stuff. Like, he used to get really mad at me, like when I mow lawn, if I didn't mow exactly down the property line, which was really hard. I mean, to anyway, and it's kind of ironic because like I had my, my land surveyed back in August and the surveyor said, yeah, your neighbor's fence, that's actually on your property by like five inches. I'm like, damn it. The same guy used to yell at me. I used to he used to put stuff out for the garbage, and um, I would just go over there and hit like shelves, like really nice shelves. I have like two shovels that were like brand new, like steel shovels. I mean, just stuff he didn't want. He would just put out in the in the garbage. It's the craziest thing. But anyway, uh, but yeah, down from me, like it's just like every house has a pool, and uh, it's just it's crazy. So like that's a neighborhood that really gets uh, really gets saturated, like right at the end of my end of my block. Um, so yeah, but I love it. Like, I'm glad I, I really enjoy the energy of, uh, kids having a fun time at Halloween. So I just, I think it's just a really good community building too. you know, our, the police department, uh, blocks off our neighborhood. Uh, they barricade it. And so it's, it's safe, you know, for kids to walk up and down the streets too during Halloween. So it's pretty cool. So Robert, Robert is thinking, I want to be, I want to be a sidekick. If you do, Robert, let me know. Let me know. Um, I'm sure that you could easily find a sidekick deck. I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'll check the inbox the, here over at uh, the safety doc podcast. The, no, it's not that. That's the safety doc. I'm sure. Like I've told a lot of people like, Hey, here's how to get a hold of me. And I'm like, that's not my, um, it's not my address. So maybe Ryan Katsu Rivera, who was in the house last week. Um, so believe it or not, yes, Ryan Katsu Rivera from get off my lawn, um, follows me on social media and had sent me an email <laughs> also like uh, a couple days ago. So maybe there's a chance, like I may, might be appearing over on get off my lawn, which will be an interesting discussion with my publisher. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Sure you can find uh, let's go over here to th this show took a little dive here from uh from 3d printing but um i want to do uh commentary stuff but i hate the voice laugh a lot I, I i rate on minds all the time i rant on minds all the time should be easy to make them into a video got it so um i've been told by a couple of people like that i have a good uh radio voice so actually um ryan uh, had had emailed me this week and he's like, Hey, like you got a, got a good voice for like radio or hopefully now podcast or I don't know, do some uh, singing or signing. It'll, it'll enhance your voice. So like sign, like a, the, the steel Alex is like the steel sign. Like, so, all right. It's going to steal second to third. So see, I don't know, man, singing. I don't know. Um, it's been a long time, uh, a long time for singing. So, 
I have to, the humidity is kind of the, the thing down here is this this area has a wide range of humidity uh, levels throughout the year. So it's going to be like super dry, like desert level down here. And other times it's going to be like really, really humid. And, and that that has a big impact on my voice. So um, the North Star uh, recording studio, very much you adapt to uh, it. <laughs> it does not adapt to you. Um, yeah, again, there's no HVAC system uh, happening, you know, down here. So Alex wrote, uh, hey, Alex, I, I just did that. Uh, Doc has no idea how close to the truth he is. So, yeah, what, uh, what for? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Um, nice topic. Got to go record Tactical Tuesdays with Brooke. All right, our good friend Joe Dolio from Michigan. Um, yes, uh, so yeah, Tactical Tuesdays. Um, where the, every uh, week, Joe's going through a couple chapters of uh, through his, his book series, Tactical Wisdom, and uh, really enjoyable. Joe Dolio is the most represented in my book. So I interviewed Joe uh, several times, and he appears, I think, in three sections in in my book. So uh, the velocity of information, I don't know, there's like 29 pages out of 225 that um, have something to do with uh, with Joe. Uh, he's first introduced as like indicators, like things you watch for in your environment and then also building a member check network. But so um, uh, terrific, uh, absolutely awesome contribution there. Um, let's get into um, what <laughs> what is this channel's mission statement? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, we, the unwilling, uh, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. So uh, I haven't updated it yet, but that's that's what we have now. Um, yeah, it's no longer out there. The shirts have sold out, the stationary bumper stickers, coffee mugs, beanies, backpacks, all of it is gone. Uh, Bacon Roads, you ride clipless pedals or just standard standards. I don't want to be, um, yeah. I, I, because I don't, I don't necessarily go for speed um, all the time and I don't do a lot of hill stuff. I don't have to clip in the shoes, so. I want to be able to get off of the the uh, bike if it's going down because my my bike um, is a pack mule. Like I put so much on it because like I might be gone the whole day, like a hundred miles. So the bike has to have you know, everything is a you know, survival. Um, but yeah, so if the bike the bike never gets up to a high speed, but has a lot of momentum, right? Especially when you go downhill and you have that, that much mass. But I want to be able to get off the bike as fast. As I as I need to, so sing music. Uh, so you don't know humidity, Doc. You don't. <laughs> so, right. Hey, there's something called the wet bulb effect. Uh, I wrote about it in the book, the velocity of information, wet bulb effect, which is kind of like humidity. Um, just as so much social media stuff is happening around you, think of being in a high humidity environment, you can't get away from it. So it's wet bulb effect. My friend Nikolai Razavayu, the Soviet cyclist, who was in my um, who's in the book, right? Who I interviewed and he biked, um, an hour away from Chernobyl the day after the nuclear reactor accident in April of 1986. And he was, um, he was talking about the actual wet bulb effect where when you'd bike, you have to know. So the wet bulb effect is you have a, a thermometer and a regular thermometer and a thermometer where you have a wet muslin cloth over it. And then you apply a wind to it and, after so many minutes, you check it, and, and basically it should evaporate and take heat and lower the the temperature. So you should have then the one that had the cloth in it should be lower than the one that was dry. 
So if the if it's not evaporating, if there's too much humidity and those numbers are close, you don't bike because you if you sweat, you're, the sweat's not evaporating and you would just overheat and die. So there's a wet bulb effect if you're biking. So, and also if you're biking next to a nuclear disaster, it's also a bad thing. Um, that's amazing in the book to read about that as he was on the Soviet national team and he talked about, you know, you had no option whether or not to bike, right? <laughs> Even though this had just happened. Uh, and they were evacuating Kiev and they had buses covered in lead and they were soaping up the streets and washing them down and that was radiation and stuff like that. You still had a bike. So he snuck out at night with his transistor radio, which is an interesting story. Got to read the book to find out what happened in that. So um, dumpster diving is frugal living. Spend money on the things that matter. Wing the rest of it. So, yeah, I don't spend um, as, nearly as much um, on just things as I did when I was younger. Like all of my sport coats are off of eBay. And now is like the time to buy a sport coat because people aren't going to the office. It's not it's office. You don't have to have suits and sport coats. So they're pretty abundant on eBay. So, you know, if you find a nice Oscar de la Renta 44 regular, um, send it my way, especially blue. That's the color I'm missing. Unfortunately, the dry cleaner in my town um, went, up, went out of business because of COVID, right? Um, and now to get my sport coats dry cleaned, I have to take them um, like 40 miles away to this uh, place of dry cleans. So that sucks. Um, but you can Febreze a sport coat pretty aggressively and, uh, and get extra life out of it. So <laughs> before I have classes on Saturdays when I teach, um, my I always take whatever sport coat like I've selected for, for that Saturday and put it on my bed and uh, get out the old Febreze and uh, saturate the sport coat like pretty thoroughly. And then it's good to go for another week. Um, but <laughs> when I take it in, I'm like, yeah, like run this thing through like twice because this, this thing here is uh, it's been uh, Febrezed to the point where like, yes, I mean, it is like, you know, 50% wool, 40% silk, 10% Febreze. The Febreze is holding it together. So uh, you have... Uh, um, so, uh, Cameron Sanchez wrote, Cameron, by the way, like your design there kind of looks like the cover for my, my book, uh, my publisher is working up some different cover designs. And for some reason they're like, how about this? And I'm like, it's not ancient aliens. It's a book about, I mean, I, I like that design. That's kind of like what I'm thinking right there. Human brain and a lot of activity going on. Um, I get some pretty wild stuff. The original cover for school of errors, when the publisher came back with me, it looked like the poster from, um, the hell was it? A Nick, Nicholas Cage and American Treasure or National Treasure? It looked like the poster from that. I'm like, this, I can't do this. Like, this doesn't work. Like, this doesn't match the. <laughs> so, you know, you work with marketing and all this stuff and you tell them what the book is about. And, like, how the hell did you come out? Like, this is the cover. And then we narrowed it in and stuff like that. So I'm like, I can't go with this. Um, Cameron wrote, how much water do you bring with you on a long trek? So I will bring with me about a gallon and a half of water. Um, and I do know places and I bring right cash, right. <laughs> and things like that, that I, I know places I can stop. Um, like there's it and grab something like obviously water or something like that. Uh, so I'm, pre I'm pretty good though. And I hydrate like really uh, aggressively the night before and the night and the day that I bike, you know, I will, I'll make sure that I, I, that morning, um, am taking in, you know, 
half gallon um, easily. So I, there's this whole like prep thing and I, I'm going to get into that next year. I'm actually going to record a start to finish. Like when I go out, I mean, it takes an hour to get the bike ready. I mean, it does because uh, you know, I'm going through, um, I still, I don't have disc brakes, so I have brake pads, but some wiping everything down, you know, checking over the frame, making sure you don't have a crack in the fiber. So something goes to hell on that. Um, loading everything up and the tire pressure, um, and then just everything. Cause you have multiple lights that go on and everything's charged, uh, making sure all of my gear is everything double check that I have everything packed. And, um, so yeah, it's, it is like, it's about an hour to get everything ready, um, before I go out. And then when I'm, when I'm out, like I need to get like a GoPro or something like that to, to record. I think I did like a video this year where I was holding like my camera. It was like 93 and humid and, and uh, I'm like, hey, this is so great out here. And then like, it's just, I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy where the camera wipes it out or something like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I've, I've like a 60 mile ride is easy at this point for me because I have been doing it for years. A hundred mile ride is still pretty easy because I'll pay, you know, pace myself and put it over a day. I actually like riding when it's hot. Um, I tend to do much better with that. I think my body just stays loose and I'm not really affected by the heat. Um, I hate wind and I do not bike in the cold. Like absolutely not. People are like, Hey, like you can do this. You can bike in the cold. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not biking in the cold. <laughs> you can get tire, you know, get a different bike of big tires and trails. I'm like, this no, it's not me. Like I no, it's, there's, it's forget it. Um, biking next to a nuclear disaster is bad. So, so Alex, yeah. So Nikolai Razavayu, and there's there's a chapter early in the book, and I interviewed Nikolai over like four months. He lives in Australia now. Uh, he's a couple of years older than I am, but he was 20 years old on the Soviet uh, national team. And yeah, the day after Chernobyl, he's in Kiev, and uh, and the Soviet national team has to has to bike. He got out um, at night with his transistor radio because they would jam the KGB. Had if you go online and and do a Google search, you can do the Moscow muffler. It was in Chernobyl, and it's huge. It's this this uh, big, maybe a hundred foot tall metal grid by like three football fields long, and they would juice this thing up, and it would block out the radio and TV signals coming in from countries outside of of Russia. So remember this up by in the Ukraine, but at night they would turn this thing down. So then he got out there with his transistor radio, and he's able to hear like what's happening, like Sweden saying, "Hey, like you know, we're getting high levels of radiation here on our." We're detecting and something's going on in Russia. He's like, what the hell, right? But he can't, what can he do? Because if he doesn't race at that time, died of cancer. Uh, and by the way, like the Western countries, um, like the US, like yeah, we knew when we raced, when the other countries weren't there, like, you know, what's really going on? And uh, it, it's so, it was so fascinating because, yeah, it was, all, you know, state media wasn't telling you what's going on. It's an amazing chapter to read. Again, I mean, we, we did about four, um, four months of uh, different times we do interviews. And it's different time zones, you know, right? So he's over Australia. So it's like today or it's tomorrow over there. And right now, so he's like, you know, telling me this stuff. And uh, I mean, it's, whoa, just absolutely, absolutely amazing. But how, I mean, like, so how do you find out what's really happening? Face validity, as he said. Um, I knew when they started to wash down the streets, right? That there's radiation but yet no one is telling you anything, but you know, so then you have to go out and bike and, and then they were drinking red wine uh, because 
that started to be the rumor. Hey, if you're drinking red wine, you won't, uh, you won't succumb to the radiation. So, um, Hey, we, we want to say hello to old humble distilling company in Texas. Um, the best darn distilling company out there. I've seen you've been busy uh, meeting up with people. Um, so whiskey and spirits, um, did an awesome, Joe did a, a terrific, uh, tour of his, um, where all the magic happens. Um, so yeah. And that's where I'm like, ah, I wish I was closer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes. And he's also a Houston Astros fan. So things are really uh, going in a great place. Uh, but old humble distilling company, if you're in Texas, look, and the bottles are just absolutely really cool. Um, so, um, Let's check what else is going on here. Alex, I've been living off 150 for almost two weeks now. Yep. Um, Lisa Heat. 20 years um, old in Russia, so like 70 in normal years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing stories. I and I interviewed him on my show, and he was saying how um, he and uh, some another cyclist, they, they found, I think, $250,000 in a, didn't find, in a duffel bag. It was like this, some transaction went wrong and they were there and they, they found this cash. And I mean, I didn't put that in the book, right? There, there were a few things like it couldn't make it into the, <laughs> into the book. Was, but like, whoa. Um, Zippy wrote, ancient aliens annoys the hell out of me. Same for the Oak Island BS. Yeah, I miss a 2005-2010 History Channel. Sure, they were useless, but it was a drain brain. Yeah, I agree. Like, ancient aliens sucks. And then um, the Oak Island thing never changes, right? Um, and, you know, so, <laughs> you know, there's... Um, but, yeah, ancient ancient aliens. Uh, I I mean, what I really loved the old documentaries, you know, that they, they did, like, in eighties and stuff, you know, like haunted Gettysburg and stuff like that. Those are really cool. Cause I mean, they had a strong historical, you know, portion to them in addition to the paranormal, but like, so you're learning a lot. Um, so Alex wrote, uh, God bless Texas. Yes, of course. Lisa go Astros. Yeah. Here. I thought the Milwaukee Brewers, um, I remember the 1982 world series, by the way, the Milwaukee Brewers, um, versus the Cardinals. And, uh, yeah, so it's disheartening for the Brewers to just kind of because <laughs> not much competition there for the Braves, and and you know that's that's the that's the end of it. Um, so yeah, I, I still have from 1982. Um, I have the 245 records that the team released when it went to the World Series: Brewer Fever and uh, Let's Turn Up the Heat, and uh, and then I had those converted over to MP3 by some recording studio. <laughs> like I took those in like 15 years ago and I said, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a turntable. Can you like convert these over? And they did. So I have like, I have a on CD now and like, I've never listened. I listened to them like a couple times, but like if the, if the brewers would make the world series, like I'd be one of the, I'd be, they'd be, I'd be like the guy that had the let's brew in song. Um, so let's go over um, bacon. Um, I have a premium bottle of red wine in, in the booze uh, fridge right now. Bacon? Where is this dumpster? I can dumpster dive there. <laughs> My God, I think we're caught up. Um, so uh, issues with 3D printing. So issues, right? Need for raw materials. So you still have this issue of having to transport raw materials. Um, 
So you're not going to be able to source these things out of your backyard. Un unlikely, I guess. So you still have this whole uh, transportation part that has to be figured out. But, it, you know, um, is it going to, it, would it be easier to transport raw materials and finished because of you wouldn't have the packaging and stuff like that? So um, what would be, you know, how do you deal with spoilage and stuff like that? I've been reading that um, a number of things coming off of the cargo ships right now, uh, you know, off of, uh, you know, the, the coast in California are moldy um, because they have silica meant to absorb moisture, but it's really only calibrated to a certain amount of time. And it's been out there longer than these things have been out there longer and due to the humidity. So, you know, it's like, Hey, like, Hey, I just got in this pair of shoes and then they're like moldy. So, you know, that's something that's going on. Um, so intellectual or, or, or issues with 3d printing intellectual property enforcement, right? Zippy, come on, right. Uh, intellectual property while some open source and public domain exist, and it did for the coronavirus, um, wrote about it in velocity of information. Remember when we were hearing on TV, you can take a ventilator and if you can print certain parts or get certain parts for it, you can take one ventilator and turn it into two functioning ventilators. Well, that was open source code. And I had a friend who was doing some of that. And then also our friend of the show here, Drew Bay, Drew Bay was printing up 3D mask and providing them to um, healthcare workers in his area when they were really hard to, to get um, in the end of March. So, but that was open source code. Like that was put out there and, and companies that were making these parts and normally would sell them. They didn't, they couldn't keep up with things. So they just publicly opened up the code for a certain amount of time. So again, I wrote about that and people were printing these things and then, just, you know, getting them to the hospital. And it brings up weird questions. Like it was a liability if this thing fails and you printed it at home and, but yet it was done over this open code. And um, other issues with 3D printing is, um, so like intellectual property, it seems like it's going this path. When you read the research articles, it would be um, a subscription service, like through an Amazon type thing or Netflix or whatever, but you'd have a subscription and then you would order. And then that's how you would get your item, right? Um, so there is this thought of, yeah, you can have a lot of things that could be hypothetically just printed, right? That, um, you know, kind of like, you know, free blueprints and stuff like that, but there would be more intellectual property enforcement. Um, and even like, would there be something with legislation? We don't know, like where if you buy a 3D printer in order to use it, it needs to hook up and ping to whatever you're printing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, these are questions that have to be answered, but you probably still have the subscription service issues have to be worked out. Um, number three, unclear as to how 3D printed items will be recycled. Like we already know plastics are very difficult to recycle. So if, a lot of these have plastic type polymers. I mean, so what do you do with the waste? And is, can it just be broken down and recycled? From what I'm reading is like that works like one or two times and then it doesn't. So you can't perpetually just keep recycling this stuff. It's not like pulp and, and paper and stuff like that. Um, for what is the liability if you 3D print something and it fails, like a part for your car, right? If you do that and, or, you know, it's a medical device or whatever. Like, so, so what happens? Um, five ransomware and hackability. What prevents 3d printers from being corrupted? You know, we, we had the colonial pipeline hack. I mean, so what if something comes through and yeah, shuts down your 3d printer in five years or shuts down the 3d printers at the stores that you go to. And you're, and so you're like, boy, like 30% of the things that I would just go and 
punch in and that would be 3D printed off and ready for me when I got here. Like the thing is hacked and now they have to do some ransomware. Um, so this question of, you know, with the internet of things like yikes. Um, so let's go over here to uh, back to the chat. They needed to turn up the heat because Milwaukee gets cold in October. Yeah, um, it does. And the stadium is heated. I think it, the, uh, I remembered this because, you know, when it I had a friend who went to the first game, the first home game at Miller, it was Miller Park at the time. Now it's American Family Field. Um, you, it, when they shut the top of it, you could get it 20 degrees above what the outside temperature would be. So, you know, some, this time of year at Wisconsin, you know, it could be 40 degrees, 30 degrees. You could turn it on and get it, get it warmer than that. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, before Miller Park was complete or American Family Field, old Milwaukee County Stadium, I, I went to a lot of games with my friend Glenn and they did no maintenance on the stadium. I guess they did maintenance, but here's what they did is they had like duct tape and a box of drywall screws, screws. So, the seats were wood slat seats. And, uh, I remember like I totally snagged up a shirt and a pair of pants, like in a, in a box seat <laughs> or a loge seat or whatever. I'm like what the hell? And I, I looked in there, you know, they're like 40 screws, like holding this thing together. Cause they only had to get the stadium through like that year and the next year. And then it was going to be demolished. So, you know, there was like no maintenance, you know, big sections of the scoreboard were out. It was an old, um, if you ever want to see Milwaukee County stadium, just go and watch the movie. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Um, what it, Major League, Major League with Ricky Vaughn and Willie Mays Hayes and that. That was filmed at uh, Milwaukee County Stadium. It, then it was supposed to be Cleveland Municipal Stadium, but so yeah, that's the that's the stadium. Um, so yeah, that was just a dive. I mean, at the end, I mean, there was just nothing. <laughs> just you know, they weren't replacing light bulbs or anything. You know, it was just just limp it through until the season. The Brewers weren't in contention or anything, so. Um, uh, there was a certain like uh, kind of neatness, uh, not I, I shouldn't say neat, but there was kind of this weird ambiance of going to a stadium that no one cared about. <laughs> and, you know, like if you, you you're there and just the paint was peeling and stuff like that. And you could see like out from beyond the outfield, a new stadium and there's a big retractable roof and, you know, that you're going to be over there. So um, yeah, they would, they wouldn't, they didn't care. I had a friend of mine who, who put a bid in on the scoreboard at Milwaukee County Stadium. Uh, he had a farm, and his thought was if he won it, he was going to put it up on the side of his barn. And uh, and so he didn't win the bid, although I don't know like who won the bid, and but this was this was his his plan. And he had he had enough money. <laughs> like I'm sure he put in a pretty reasonable bid. And I, you know, I guess you'd have to arrange for transportation, but it, but it was legit. Like he showed me the whole process and he showed me where it was going to go. And he was a big fan. His, he had a, his entire basement was like a hall of fame. I'm not exaggerating with that. His supports for his ceiling were, they, they were baseball bats, big um, milled baseball bats from the floor to the, the ceiling. And he had glass cases and he had uh, like Milwaukee Braves jerseys and other member. I mean, like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff. And, uh, but it, it was like walking into, um, yeah, like a, like a mini hall of fame and, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy stuff. That was a guy who I helped him set up his eBay account when eBay was new and he was, then he went crazy, like bidding on all, all the stuff on eBay, like back in the nineties. 
<laughs> so you know, you find this memorabilia and just go crazy with it. So I'm like, I don't know. I have this though. For those of you watching at home right now, um, let us uh, let us. I'll come back to that, Brian. Just say, but this is this is the official uh, ball. Uh, this is the first pitch thrown out at Wade Stadium on July 31st, 2019. I threw this out. It was a safety dock day at uh, Wade Stadium, uh, minor league there in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. It's true. Like you can just type in my name plus uh, uh, Wade Stadium or Duluth Huskies or whatever. And uh, this video shows up of me throwing out the uh, opening pitch on a uh, safety dock day. Um, and I, and, um, how that came to be was <laughs> it was tied in with the release of my book. So my book was releasing a week later and my, you know, my marketing and I graduated with my master's degree, one of my masters from across the lake, I guess, right across the bridge superior, which is, you know, just a few miles away from where the stadium is. And so anyway, like at the start of the season, they contacted and, and they were just saying, could we like do something? Because like he's, is being, could you recognize him for his contributions and safety? And it's like, they're like, sure. You know, like they do all kinds of wacky stuff. Um, so yeah, I got to throw out the opening pitch, which is, you can find that video actually, uh, like, let me see if I can, I can find that, um, for anyone looking, but I, I think I can find it right now. So there's an interesting story to go with, with that. Um, uh, dun, dun, dun. this is, Kind of uh it's kind of a weird setup here. Brian, I haven't forgot about you, buddy. Um all right, so share. I don't know why that thing doesn't have more more likes, but uh all right, so here's here's the uh the Luth uh doc. Let's just do that. So right there, that's the that's the video, Duluth doc I put in there. So yeah, I got to throw the opening pitch, and then um we got really nice seats. I mean, granted, like a you know, old minor league is, is really like a cool, it's a cool park though. I absolutely loved it. And uh, it was perfect weather. So just one of those things. I mean, how often do you get to throw out a baseball at a baseball game on like dock day? <laughs> the safety day. And people around me, like, you know, they were like, hey, like you're the guy who throw out the pitch. And, you know, it's really awesome. And uh, there was a, there was like a banner down in the lobby area. This stadium was built in the 30s. It was like the Civil Conservation Corps project, and they they recycled uh, bricks from downtown, you know, like from the turn of the century and built the stadium. So it had most, it has this real, like, you know, nostalgic feel to it. Artificial turf, but um, but yeah, so people were like, you know, getting their picture next to me, and uh, it, it was just, it was a fun time. Like, they gave me a shirt, like a polo shirt, and I didn't realize I had like a big hole in the side of it, like a gunshot. <laughs> Like, what the hell? Like, I don't even, I can't even fix this thing, but thanks for the shirt. But they were, they were great to me. I don't, I don't know what happened to the shirt though, man. I didn't want to bring it up. I mean, they're really generous. Um, and when I went out to the mound to throw out that opening pitch, by the way, um, I had a torn hamstring, which I tore uh, getting luggage out of my car um, like a month before. So I've been, you know, in treatment for it and stuff like that. So like, I was totally like Ben, Ben Gay, you know, um, all of that stuff, like just to get out there, to limp out and uh, to throw that, uh, you know, pitch down to uh, to home base. Uh, so yeah, I took, that took that was this crazy, but oh god, it was Duluth. I think they won the game like eleven zero. And there's this old guy in front of us, 
and Duluth was up like, I don't know, like seven, eight to zero. And they had the base, a couple guys on base. And he's like, grind them into dust. I mean, he's just yeah, he's screaming at, you know, the, the team, you know, like show no mercy. I don't know who they played like the, you know, St. Paul Larks or whatever it is. I'm like, whoa, this guy's intense. Like don't, don't mess with him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was the game where before, um, so before I got out to, to throw the pitch, well, they were supposed to give me the mic and they never did because they wanted, I, I could have said, so I had like a, a little thing I was going to say, and like, they all, they knew this, like going into it, but it's, it's like interns, right? They're like, you know, 18, 19 years old. And so you kind of have this youthful energy and stuff. They're like, Hey, you know, um, so I was just going to address the crowd of, you know, Hey, thank you. And, you know, thanks for, you know, getting out to ball games. It's a good way for, um, you know, to build that community and, and also kind of, you know, your prediction skills, what's going to happen next. Um, stuff like that. And I never got to say any of it, but they, uh, but the guy said to me, Hey, like, don't, um, what, whatever you do, like, don't say anything bad about our sponsors. And then I'm, I'm like, um, I think I'm like, what? And, and then, um, their sponsors, like his window company up there. And I think it was like, uh, the Enbridge, the, the oil gas line and something else. I don't know, target stores or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't, it wasn't even on my mind until you just brought it up. So then of course I'm thinking like, where, where did this happen? Like somewhere in the leagues, this happened, right? Like somebody, you know, got up there and <laughs> trashed a, a sponsor. Um, yeah. And the fact that they didn't tell me that until like I got right up there, I'm like, I wasn't going to do that. Come on. You know, the safety doc, I'm not going to do that. But, but anyway, like, so the, so the, the general manager signed it, uh, this ball, but they signed it in this ink that is almost completely faded. So I have this dilemma now. Do I touch it up on my own with my Montblanc pen, which then the ink will never fade? But then I'm leaving it up to my own skills to touch this up, which could pretty much just ruin this baseball. Do I have somebody do this that I trust? I mean, not like I'm going to to put a lot of money into to this, but I mean, in another couple of years, I mean, this, the writing will pretty much be gone. Not that the baseball has really anything outside of intrinsic value, but but yeah, it was just a cool thing to have the to the sign sign baseball people throw throw that ball. So um, let's go over here to uh, so anybody if you have watched me throw out that uh, heater. Um, in Duluth on July 31st. Like that video. I think it's got five likes. Um, we need more likes uh, for that. So we need a return to the ballpark day by Doc. I think it was like one of the best days they had. <laughs> like, I don't know, it was like a one hitter and they, they won like 11-0 and like a lot of people there. And know, just the energy was good. Like everybody was just building up to it. They're like, Doc's going to be here. So yeah, I think it, it, was, uh, it was, it was just, it was, I don't know, man. It's just is one of the one of the absolute greatest things um, to to do that. So, um, Zippy wrote, "Building the printer is with the integrity and confidentiality of uh, 3D models is the only way to combat piracy effectively." Yeah. So, um, so as these printers get built for 3D printing, um, anything that starts to get built at a at a home level, how do you how do you do that in the subscription services and um, Alex or Cameron wrote to Alex, uh, would you mainly need a custom slicer software or would the printer itself have to be changed as well? Okay. I'll let Alex uh, respond to you on that. I have no, I have no idea. Um, I, I don't know how that works. I don't know. I don't know how my microwave works either. Um, 
So I do know that uh, one time in the last year, it kind of microwaved itself and burned down part of it, the inside of it. And since it's a part of a set that we uh, had all of our stuff like, you know, replaced seven years ago, you can't see it from the outside. It doesn't really mess with it. But like, it's kind of like a microwave eating itself, self, <laughs> like with Mercer. Like, how the hell did that happen? So turned on itself. It's probably ghost related. Um, Alex wrote, with integrity and confidentiality in mind. Yeah. Our good friend Bacon wrote, um, they should have had a copy of School of Airs over that shirt. I hear that book stops most pistol calibers. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard cover on both sides. So uh, a little fact here about School of Airs is it was supposed to be released in paperback and hardcover. And it so it's hardcover and ebook. So it was weird when I was talking with my publisher, same publishers releasing philosophy of information and they were saying, yeah, we'll do the same old release in paperback and hard copy, just like we did for School of Errors. I'm like, school, you didn't release School of Errors in paperback? They're like, we didn't? <laughs> I'm like, no, like, can you get on that? Because, like, you know, that book still sells, and it would be a better price point for some people. So I haven't seen it. Uh, Velocity of Information will release in hard copy. It's a thicker book, so that one will protect you more. 255 pages versus 204. Hard copy, paperback, ebook, and then audio. Audio will be staggered, though. It won't come out at the same time as the um, the other three. That's so they can get their saturation and print copy before audio comes out. But um, so, yeah. Um, let's see here. So Andrew wrote, uh, this baseball pitch is brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, Zippy, it, it, just going back to that. I mean, who would have thought on July 31st, 2019, beautiful summer day, uh, you know, you're right off of Lake Superior and just this, you know, and people out for a ball game and stuff like that, that, you know, a year, they didn't have a season the following year. They, they couldn't have one because of the mask mandates and social distancing and all of that. Um, so yeah, the ballpark was idle in 2020. So I'm like, I'm kind of like, just feel fortunate. I was able to do it when I was, you know, was to get up there. Um, it's how things have changed, you know, since then. So um, that was also the same, by the way, also the same ballpark where I went to a game with my dad there. Oh God, about 10 years ago. And parking lot was all full. So they had you park in this field, but you had to like go up in a, a bank embankment to get to this field. And um, so I'm watching and all the vehicles ahead of me are doing this without an issue. And I'm like, and it seems like the overflow parking. And he, he had a new um, Chevy Equinox. And as we're going up, I could feel and sense there was a drag on the front. I'm like, Ooh, so I'm like, it hit obviously as I was going up. So I got out and I looked in the front of the vehicle was ripped off. <laughs> so I didn't run over it. Like it was hanging down. So then um, after the game, we had to go to Walmart and I got duct tape, industrial duct tape or gorilla tape. And I taped everything together. And, it, and the thing was like it rained heavy, like a whole way home. And, and then he took it to a body shop and in like five minutes, they were able to like put it all back together and rivet the pieces from underneath. You couldn't tell uh, and everything was fine to this day. Like they still have a vehicle, but I'm like, how the hell did that not clear? Like, you know, like a, a Toyota Pinto in front of me, you're not a Toyota Ford Pinto in front of me cleared. You know, 
but I don't know. It's just like, what? Um, Zippy, uh, now you can always reformat, convert things, not to mention modify firmware. Anti-piracy is uh, cost prohibitive, like uh, prohibition in the 20s. Yeah. Um, let's check what's happening down here. So I think Lisa might be, be no, Lisa's still here. My God, thank you, Lisa. So uh, did the video die or is it just me? Oh God, which one? This one? I think we're still, I think we're still good here. Um, so, all right. And I don't know, or if you're checking that, that one where I'm over there in, uh, in Duluth, like throwing, throwing the heater. Um, so Zippy, it is, it is you. Okay. Robert wrote, uh, the team is owned by, uh, the team is owned by Pfizer, uh, not unlike Rollerball. Yeah. Um, I don't know who owns, I don't know who owns the team actually. I mean, it's one of those things I didn't research a lot ahead of time because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think I'd have to be kind of challenging my ethics of whether it was okay to throw out a, a first pitch there at the uh, Duluth Huskies game. Um, and, and I, I, like I said, they treated me great. And, um, but it, it, it was just, it was a weird, weird, a weird thing. Yeah. Of, uh, of getting that directive. And then the other thing was like, Hey, if you have any, uh, sunflower seeds, don't spit them out on the field because it, this, this, uh, artificial turf or whatever it was, it's like hell to get those out of that and it messes up everything. Like, I don't um, have that. <laughs> I really, I, you know, no chewing tobacco, no big league chew. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, pr uh, pretty uh, just normal sneakers here. Um, yeah. There's, <laughs> I don't know what you're expecting from me. I don't know what other videos you've watched or like other stories of me at ballparks or stadiums or things like that, that have, have come down from legend. Uh, but yeah, you know, you've made a good decision to bring me in. Like, you know, it was, it was a, it was a good thing. So, um, Alex wrote, not, e not even sure my pitch would make it to home, but I'd mine didn't mine hopped. If you, if you watch it <laughs> and they don't expect you, I didn't know this either too. Like, cause I didn't kind of watch how people do this, but you don't throw from the rubber on the mound. You throw from, you move up and you throw from the start, the front of the mound. If you watch people throw out for first pitches, I didn't know that. And I'm just, I mean, like my hamstring was torn. Like I didn't want to like <laughs> fall down after that. And then they have to, you know, they have to pull me off with a, with a stretcher or something like that. I mean, it was so crazy. Cause like, it, it was just, like I said, a freak thing, but so yeah, it looks good. Like the catcher did a nice job um, catching. I guess whatever angle you're looking at it, maybe it looks like it made home home base. But uh, that was just a hell of a hell of a thing. Just a hell of a thing. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean it, it was. Let's um, let me do let me do this. Um, so. And, and by the way, like the thumbnail for the show totally got, um, totally got messed up. Um, I don't know what caused that either. <laughs> I didn't, I'm like, what's the deal here? So by the way, if you haven't subscribed to this show, please, um, do that. I would appreciate that. Share it with friends. Um, yeah. When I, when I do book signings this year too, I'm going to do a little different approach and, and uh, give out like some gift cards, <laughs> Amazon gift cards or something like for book signings. Cause you know, you get people to show up, but I just think you get more people to show up and those book signings. Then if you go to, you know, 
libraries in towns and stuff like that and author events are usually covered by the media. So you want to have people there. So, um, so let me, let me, I'm going to bring, uh, let me bring this up over here. So we got some commercial that's going on, but, uh, let's get out of that. And all right, let's, uh, I don't think you've got audio for this, but I will, I will narrate this as a, I'm going to try something here, folks. Um, so here we, here we go. Um, can I, can I do this? What is, uh, what is going on here? Can I, um, let's do this and let's do this and sure. Okay. So yeah, let's do, do that. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, things are kind of going our, our way. So this was, this is in Duluth. Let's, it's only a minute and 26 seconds. And so, you know, this, this dude is announcing, and it's got the old scoreboard back there that's made of iron. And, and there's actually, like, beyond this, this is where the iron ore would come out um, and go to the boats in the harbor, like back in the 40s for World War II. They make, you know, tanks and stuff like that out of. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. So right there, like, here's the here's the thing. Like, it's Duluth Huskies, right? And uh, so then there's this guy, hey, David's coming out here. I'm like, yeah. So there's, there's me gipping it out. That's my daughter doing uh, cartwheels. And, and you look at me like I'm just, uh, it, it, I'm, it's, it's a painful, painful hike out to the, to the mountain. But it's just lovely. Like, yeah, I'm giving the old sign there. The, throwing the heater at you. Got the old Ricky Vaughn here. No curveball. Uh, so then you have a, someone, I'm giving the heater here. And it's like, whoa, and it, right off the plate. Uh, so that is the ball that they, they signed for me. So give him the heater, Ricky. Give him the heater. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But anyway, um, dun, 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 dun. it was good. It's it good times. Um, so let's go. Um, remember, I was I was saying that I thought. Um, okay, just wait a second. Whoa. Um, all right. YouTube is being kind of silly at the moment. Um, and here we go. All right. Sorry about that, folks. Oh, we're back and we're back. Good. Okay. All right. So again, you know, we're talking about, I think we're in this, this phase right now where we are leaving just in time manufacturing and we're entering the 3d printing. And I think behind the scenes, um, this is where investment is flowing into 3D printing. And I have I talked about the start. I have a friend uh, who is substantial uh, portions of his house are being 3D printed on site. And he's like, who would have thought, you know, a couple of years ago, but the printer or the, the manufacturer said, this is an option for us to do some of these things. And um, there was energy efficiency, like that if we did it this way and certain things that he wanted and he had some corners and other things that were a little unique in the way that this house was being put together. And I said, let's do this. So he's like, yeah, sure. Let's go for it. Um, so, and one of the things that, um, that um, Zippy was saying was um, IP rights as they are nothing but stagnation and waste the cost of uh, scale is too big. So, so yeah, that has to be worked out for um, that definitely has to be worked out for what is going to happen here. Um, so, and this this is where if you see like if you're if you want to uh, try out for audition for assistant to this uh, to show 156 uh, episodes here 
um, this is uh, this is the kind of stuff like you're like, okay, this is where I could help Dave. Like, I definitely like right here, I could jump in and help him. So, uh, like, there's 250 hours of content. There was there every once in a while, like, there was somebody in Washington State, a safety coordinator at a district who contacted me like a year ago. He's like, I've li I listen to everything you produce. Like I've listened to everything. I've seen all your PBS stuff and whatever. And he said, I, I've downloaded every podcast and I've either watched it or listened to it. I'm like, you've listened to 200 hours of my content? And he did. Like you knew everything. There was somebody else who made outlines of my shows and sent them to me. Like just thinking this might you know be useful for you. And I'm like, I, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I know like Phil, Phil, uh, in Germany will, will listen to this as he's doing other things. And he's like, I just, I like the longer shows. The show used to be an hour when it was syndicated on the 405 media. Um, and which I'm, you know, I'm not a part of the 405 anymore. The programming is kind of different than the stuff that I, I do, but for a while there, yes. On the 405, I think the 405 still like pulls one of my feeds the audio feed and we'll syndicate it out. But, um, sippy, um, Drakenfell history is the best worship channel on YouTube. So, all right, I'm not going to fight you. Come on, buddy. I'm not going to do that. Alex, uh, Bastisto docs pitch or zippy, <laughs> um, to strangers dinner. So, uh, yeah, I don't, well, wholesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, just tell Lisa, that was great. Like you would have, if you could have seen uh, the way the 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 fans kind of lit up for that when I went out there, I mean, it was like I wasn't the hometown hero, right? Because I'm not from there. Because um, you know, people are kind of like, "Who is this guy? Like, where's this? He's got a day devoted to him." Like, you know, this is this is Doc Day at the ballpark. You know, that's why we're out here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like um, I don't know. I mean, they'll they'll be like they'll remember that July 31st, 2019. Um, so yeah, every once in a while, you know, when I'm up in the Superior Duluth area, especially down on Canal Park, you know, you'll you'll kind of catch somebody pointing, and and then you know eventually they'll walk over and they'll they'll kind of look at the phone, they'll look at me, and they'll be like, "This is this is you, right? You're the guy. You're the doc. You're the guy that threw this out." I'm like yeah, that's me. Like wow, I'm like uh, yeah yeah, just appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I got really cool stories to share about um, being down at Canal Park too in Duluth, and it was just cool. Like the time I took over a, t a tour that was happening at uh, what the hell was it? The Bill Irvin, the William Irvin, like a six hundred foot ore freighter that's there. And uh, my uh, there was like I don't know the tour the tour guide didn't know much <laughs> I just, not to speak poorly of a tour guide, but it was just the tour guide was a younger person. Right. And, and they're talking about how I think it was the Edmund Fitzgerald, how the Edmund Fitzgerald was an ore freighter and it went down. I, don't know, I think it was 1976 or whatever. I remember when it went down and I was watching um, TV and I remember the scroll on the bottom in my family and they're like, Oh my God. But, um, but the, the kid was kind of like, you could tell that you didn't kind of know where to go with the story. And then I was like, Hey, you know, as we're doing the tour, I'm like, my, my dad worked on the Edmund Fitzgerald, which he did in college. They paid college kids up in superior. They would come up and pay you cash and give you food, a meal to come. This is before like OSHA. So yeah, to go down there 
like in the sixties and, uh, you know, they give you steel shovel shovels because they would, when they would unload the boats, there was always stuff around the support beams that the unloaded devices could get. So you had to have people labor do that. Right. So the college kids were pretty eager to get cash in their pocket. So I'm like, you know, you had experience, you know, with, with that. And then you, know, you sit down and you eat with the crew and, and just what that was like. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool stuff, but not cool that the boat sank, obviously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I always do like the, the Harbor tour, like every time we're up there too, like, even though it hasn't changed, is that, is, is that the boat from Seinfeld? What, <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know. Was there a boat on Seinfeld? Is that, is there a boat from Seinfeld? I've, I'm not sure where that is. So let me, let me just quickly, uh, check. We get these notices always from our, our daughter's, uh, school and, uh, Ah, that's my fantasy football league, which I I beat the uh, first place team um, this week. Dest- destroyed them by like seventy points. So yeah, good for me. Um, I want to make tacos now. Yeah, never a bad time for tacos. I yeah, you know, I don't know. Just never bad. Never bad time. I bought some, what I thought was the green, I just kind of go by the color, the green taco sauce in the big bottle, but it was the wrong kind. (laughs) So now I'm like stuck with this big bottle, which will take a couple months to use up. And I'm like, uh, it's not, but I'm not going to throw it out. So, um, George lost an apartment. Oh, because the board game gave it to a guy. Yeah. That was the Andrea Doria, right? Andrew. Um, so yeah, that wasn't in superior, the Andrea Doria, but I remember that episode. And yeah, so the Edmund Fitzgerald um, sank, I think it was 1976. It was in November. I want to say November 11th, but it was November. And uh, it's just it a squall, huge, huge storm. And I think it bottomed out. And then, you know, this big, almost thousand foot freighter, it would crack and then it would just fill up with water and sink. And all of the, everyone on board died. So, you know, pretty, not pretty. I mean, it was very, uh, uh, it was catastrophic and it was, it was considered like in modern day that that wouldn't happen. Like you, you would be able to um, get people off of the lake in time. So I mean, it was this, this modern maritime. It was weird too, because when they found, when they found the boat and went down, there were skeletal remains. Like, so they had to make sure that they weren't showing those. And and so now it's, it's also, it's against the law, like to, um, it gets considered a grave, grave area, grave site, but, and I don't think anybody can like tip it it's far enough. I don't know exactly where it is, but I just remember watching a few documentaries. Whoa. Actually like to make this, you're like, oh, what is it? Here's the Edmund Fitzgerald, by the way. <laughs> so this, this is the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, yes. Uh, from the gift shop, it says Edmund Fitzgerald there, not the Edmund Fitzgerald gift shop, but from a gift shop, uh, of the Bill Irvin, in uh, Superior or Duluth down by Canal Park, so this is what it what it looked like. So, right, this thing cost me eight dollars and ninety nine cents, by the way. But yeah, instead of trying to describe it, you could three print that today for like a quarter. Um, so green pepper, yeah, I got it. I love Tabasco sauce, absolutely, um, on everything. So I do this. Uh, 
yeah, kind of walking taco thing where it's like the tuna packet and then I put Doritos inside of it and smash it down and then I eat it. And I usually do that too before I bike because then I'm getting the, well, uh, you know, from the, the, the fish oil from the tuna for, for joints and cardio plus the protein from the tuna plus Doritos because they're just great. Um, so yeah, bacon. So if we are def if we are moving into this part where we are hitting into, um, 3D printing, who's going to keep investing in just-in-time manufacturing? Like when just-in-time manufacturing hit the scene, who's who's the person putting money into warehouses? Um, it didn't make sense, right? So, so again, you know, this whole crossroads we're at that I think we got pushed forward because of the, I wrote about that, you know, when you have a black swan event, it usually rockets you forward. We wouldn't have been at remote work, um, you know, unless we would have had the pandemic, we would have got there at some point, but not like this fast remote education, um, you know, uh, telemedicine, right. Which is up tenfold, uh, since March of 2020. So we wouldn't have got there without this, this black swan, this disrupting event. Um, so it's weird, you know, like one of the, one of the interviews I did for the book is, um, I had the Alaskan crab boater, Robert Travis, and I interviewed Robert several times. And he's just, he's a, a fascinating, a fascinating guy because he has a company. He started rooftop life rafts and now he's based out of Texas, Lisa, based out of Texas. Um, they sell these customized uh, life raft systems all over the world. And there's apparently there's a lot of places he was identifying in these places where, you know, the water rises, floods them out. So you have to activate and it can be, off the side of your house or like portable boat systems. So, and he did that after being, you know, understanding crab boat and, and having two seasons on, on the crab boat. Um, but it was, it was so amazing to talk to him, right. On listening to him about the crab boat seasons and just like how dangerous, like one chapter is titled all of my bosses are dead, you know, four out of four boss bosses killed on the boat. But, you know, we got into this kind of nostalgia thing, um, where he, you know, we're talking and he, he said, you know, there was this thing, like if you were on a crab boat, like you were, you were up for that. Like that was totally your, your jam. Like these are, uh, people who lived on the edge are adrenaline junkies and you wanted that. Like, that's why you did that job. But you know, there will be a point in time when those jobs really won't exist as they do now, meaning like they'll be automated. You'll still have the boats go out, but they'll, mostly be, you know, either remote control or a lot of the deckhand stuff, which is highly dangerous, right? Back in 2003 was the most dangerous job bureau labor statistics. Um, and that will be automated. Like you will be either inside controlling it or you, so this whole risk factor. And, you know, he was getting into these other, you know, these deep thinking things like, you know, the boats, what if the new boats are designed so they don't roll 40 foot side to side and they have all the special radar and these sensors on them so they can anticipate how to respond to these waves. And, you know, cause he said when it would roll, you'd be thrown from one side to another and all this, you could see some of the video from crab boaters on online. What it looks like. And he's like, there's something of like it, that job that people have done you know, for, for centuries, this really dangerous job will just be gone. And you'll, you'll be telling the story and people just won't be able to relate. Like, because it's not, and there's, there's something, something he, he was very much missing, uh, 
in kind of thinking forward to when he's when he's you know 30 years from now or whatever and he's telling this and and now the crab boat stuff has kind of changed maybe and and the crab deck you know it's kind of like people who usually work on a railroad right like a big railroad um wheel or the hub in my town you know at the turn of the century and how how crazy and dangerous that was like you know, always like accidents and you know, boilers blowing up and people getting killed because cars smashed together and start firing and stuff like that. That stuff doesn't happen anymore, right? So, um, but the, he said there is something though that that he's he was glad, right? That he he had that adrenaline that he had, kind of that raw face of of interface of of going out in nature and this this risk and and um, and he's like, where you know, where do you get that? Then um, you know, is it going to be harder and harder and harder to look for these things? You know, all of these discussions, like, you know, if, you, if you're 3D, if you're monitored by all the time by like some wearable wrist thing of your pulse and your GPS, like, will there be certain activities you do that will be considered too risky? And then you can do this, like, but, you know, uh, but you're not going to be covered by like skydiving, but you're not going to be covered by insurance or something like that. I mean, he just has a really deep thinking of, of like how danger is being kind of worked out of the equation. Some danger is still there, but our exposure to danger, we're being distanced from it. And again, I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're right. There could be in 30 to 40 years, um, it could be 3d printer, right? So you don't even have to go out and take the boat out there, I guess, you know, your, your crab. So, but it, again, it was this very visceral sense of loss as he was talking about that. And it stuck with me. Like I brought it up in a, in a following interview with him. I'm like, did I read that wrong? Like when we were talking about it, like that you felt sad about the changes which are impending, like they will happen in the industry. And he's like, no, you read that, you know, you're right on. Like that's, I, I do. Um, Cause I, I, I still want those opportunities to be there, even though they're dangerous and risky as like doc, it's like me trying to go across a dam from the civil conservation Corps, Like, I wrote about that in School of Airs too. Like when you get too removed from authentic experiences, it gets very difficult to um, become situationally aware and function in authentic experiences. So um, going back here to our good friends over here in the chat, um, Lisa, who's who's your team playing? So yes, Lisa also is the owner or part owner of the uh, Houston Astros. Um, so and uh yeah she was saying um kind of going away from the polyester uniforms to all cotton uh because it's a natural fiber and it and it breathes but uh you know the thing is like you can you wash those shrink and stuff like that so i don't know i would expect the astros if they make it to the world series if as long as they do uh new uniforms for every game they'll be okay they try to wash and dry them uh, that's definitely going to be a loss. There's just not enough movement. But polyester can get pretty hot, especially this time of year when Houston is about 114 degrees at night. Um, so, oh my God, Lisa, you are inviting uh, bacon over to uh, Houston for tacos. Uh, know what you're getting into. It's a great guy. But uh, yeah, uh, bacon. Ask him if he'll wear the Darth Vader mask which he uses to make entrances. And uh, if you do meet him, um, he has many stories to share about Chop, Chaz, and Dismore's IGA. 
And if you get through all of those, Inglewood. Um, not the Dodgers, Atlanta Braves. So by the way, I am making a road trip um, in spring to New Mexico. Um, I'm going to be stopping out in Salt Lake City to visit Rob from Rob Says. And um, then also probably down to Northern Texas to meet up uh, with a few fans. So um, if you, I can, once I kind of have that figured out a little bit more, I will let you know, like if I'm still doing the Pennsylvania fan meetup, um, I've got to get that. I'm going to stay in Gettysburg. So been working um, with um, Vince um, over at Masculine Geek. Uh, Vince has a certain uh, place that's been around since battlefield times that he stays in when he's doing uh, some writing and stuff like that for a weekend. So he's like, that's the place, Doc. It's going to like where you want to set up shop. So I will be doing that because I, I, I've always wanted to see Gettysburg. And, um, and since I have friends like that, <laughs> that live like right there who, you know, just kind of like a backyard thing for them. Um, they could, you know, show me around cause I'm like, I don't. So yes, we will have the, the, the Gettysburg meetup and then we'll have the, uh, we will have the New Mexico, uh, meetup. So, um, yeah. I'm driving um, for both of those two, by the way, no flying. So it will be the Buick um, doing both of those, those trips. By the way, the, I was, I just, my uh, speedometer, I just noticed this because over at adjust some of the settings and stuff, but I don't put many miles on the car, right? Like <laughs> I only put like three, 4,000 miles a year on it, but uh, my speedometer goes to 170 miles an hour and, uh, and it does, you know, I have 310 horsepower in the car, but I just think it's kind of interesting. 170, 170 miles an hour. So, you know, if I got it up around there, um, it's, it's a pretty short trip to either of those destinations. Um, Bacon wrote, I do have friends in Houston come to think of Bacon. Uh, shame railroad was not used as public transport. Yeah, I have, you know, a significant rail line runs through my town and that's a good question, you know, of, of where things will go with, with rail. Um, it's, it's good. And yeah, what is it going to mean? What will that mean what, for rail in the future when more 3D printing happens, either at a home site or regional site? Or again, what if you are, and I know these exist because I've read the white papers of companies or, you know, companies I invest in, right, who send the, the stuff out. And they'll say, we are anticipating that in our stores, you know, the newer stores will have a smaller footprint because again, we will be first not carrying as many items. You won't be getting it from the store, but we can also have, we'll have the capability for 3d printing. So anyone here see that commercial where, um, there is, um, Hey, is bacon. Um, anyway, um, there's a commercial and then there's like this, this kid, he's like, Hey, like I can, I can recycle this wrapper and take it back to the store and recycle this wrapper, like from a granola bar. And I think like the dad or the dad figure is like, well, uh, what do you want to make out of it? And he's like, uh, a hind glider. And the dad's like, how about like a bench? And I'm like, who the hell's going to take a wrapper back to a store to recycle it? <laughs> I've, I've got a pretty sad setup there. Um, man, like, come on. Like that's a, you know, when you make that commercial, right? Like that's no one is doing that. Wrappers going into the garbage. Um, should make the wrapper. You could eat it. So, um, so somebody is, 
is uh so here is uh oh zippy good night sorry i didn't see that keep me up to, to date on some of the intellectual property stuff i can tell you um it's not on any of the school administrators radar <laughs> so we've had we've had discussions about it so um yeah it is it's not there um at least i hope to go to texas one day and see that distillery so uh and so moose i think you are if i'm correct in illinois so um right here close to wisconsin if i remember from one of your posts over on humble distillery so yeah yeah i, I want to go to texas too like i've i have a i've um a number number of friends and and you know so i was like you know what's a rattlesnake situation like down there it's not it's not real not a big thing up here so but it's, i don't i don't i don't know i don't want to deal with that um rattlesnakes crocodiles or things like that so bacon did you print 3d print the darth vader mask so it's good uh bacon was uh was with me on um well i mean we had the we had the marathon evening chat not chat show when uh, there were riots in uh madison wisconsin seattle and in other places last was it may may of 2020 uh nick shoelander was in that show i think john Steele, yeah from seattle was in that show um we had like three three four hours and uh what was it trying to trying to kick down nick's door and uh, by the way, like we haven't heard from Nick in months. So um, that was wild. That was wild. I had, to, I had, the, I had the scanners on, the, the police <laughs> scanners. Because um, you have a scanner app, like you bring up on one of the screens. I, like, I, I was kind of getting a feed of what's going on. And I'm like, oh, my God. These are all places kind of I know. So um, Robert wrote... Uh, uh, Chinicho Dragons. Just my luck. The favorite baseball team is based in Japan. Didn't um, Tom Selleck play for them, Robert? Um, didn't or the? I'm pretty sure. And uh, and Mr. Mr. Big League, right? Which actually I liked. I liked that movie. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of like real real big into like Japan for a while. I was watching podcasts of like people uh, <laughs> like uh, abroad in Japan. Uh, Chris from uh, from England and stuff like that. I mean, just like the culture and stuff. I just I was just like that was for a few months there. I was just couldn't get enough of trying to figure that out. And then I've never been to Japan and probably never will be. But unless they like, you know, invite me over to present. I mean, that's kind of what I've got going on for me. Like, hey, if somebody contacts me and wants to fly me over because of uh, something they they've seen or some of my work, I'm like. So where where in New Mexico will you be headed? So I will be stopping in Santa Fe, and then I will specifically be going um, to a ranch uh, where some relatives uh, live, which um, I can't give the exact location, but it's that is very rural. So, um, but yes, um, so this is part of the the going through New Mexico. But yes, I will be going in Santa Fe. So I don't know if I, I don't think I've ever been to New Mexico. Like something, I guess I should know if I've been there or not. But but I've got it, got this plotted out. I've never been. I've I guess I've been to Salt Lake City. But uh, but yeah, so I'll be hanging out with Rob. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, in Salt Lake City. So, um, uh, da -da -da, bacon, bacon, because I'm big and 
Rattlesnakes are not a big problem in Houston. Good to hear, Lisa. That's good. Yeah. We have, um, so in fall, in back of us, uh, we have parkland and several grass snakes always come out of there when it's warm. So like this time of year, if it gets up in the 60s or 70s for a day, they come out and then they're always like in our yard and in our driveway. And, um, and one year I had a five gallon pail and my daughters were young. I mean, they were like maybe three and four is funny. And they were out there helping me pick these things up and put them in a pail. And then I would take them further back and dump them in there because um, I just, I didn't, I didn't want them around or they, they got in the house, like through a vent. I had to like put a screen over a vent and this is kind of a mess. Thankfully, like they don't bite or anything like that. But I mean, they were all over the place. Like I'd never seen so many snakes. Um, so yeah, Mr. Baseball. Yeah. Mr. Baseball is a good movie. Like as Tom Selleck and yeah, you can spend a lifetime trying to figure out Japan. So that was, you know, that was, that was a, it wasn't a goal of mine, but something I thought about is after I was on PBS and did some of the university stuff of trying, I don't know how you like set up that, that network. Like, so you can go to another country, they can bring you in to present because I had, I had done some pretty you know, significant things, especially in, in school and community safety. And yeah. And, but yeah, that kind of never, never worked out. And today, like, I don't think I'd, I really would be interested in international travel because I don't want to, you know, I don't know the restrictions and I don't want to be somewhere where something happens and you can't get out of that place. That's kind of this, the other part, you know, yikes, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what, we'll see what happens. Um, so a couple things that are going on, um, right now. So again, I, I think we're headed, we're closer to 3d printing than we are to any, um, I think we're at the end of just-in-time manufacturing and we're getting close to 3D printing. And the big spenders out there aren't going to put a lot of bucks into um, that um, just-in-time manufacturing and, and logistics and transportation systems when they know at some point that's going to be phased out and they're going to be 3D printing. So talking about 3D printing, Atham Altiqua is in the chat room. Atham is a caver. He wants 3D printed one-eighth replica Wind Cave in South Dakota, and uh, it's not in his living room. Um, it is in, I think, his dining room, which um, reminds me a little bit about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I don't know why he did it, but it's awesome. He has pictures of it up on his website. Um, I don't know if it was cavingamerica.net. That's still what it was. Um, but yeah, Atham is in the house. Atham will also tell you the story about his Ford Expedition when he lost control to the 370, totaled it out, but he was all right. So Atham, what's happening? Um, Robert wrote, not sure. I've only ever traveled international as a guest to gaming conventions. Yeah. So I drove to Disney. <laughs> I took the family to Disney Orlando in 2017. And uh, it, it was the Griswold uh, trip to uh, to go down there. I'm glad I actually drove it because I, I got to go through places that I hadn't been through before, like Dotham, Alabama, where they just had these signs up along the road, like stop here for uh, peanuts. Like that was the thing, like apparently. Um, and and then like, yeah, or get off here to like pet the alligators. I'm like, whoa, like things I don't see up in my part of the 
part of the town. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then like, I don't know. It was, just, it was, it was just cool. Like the I, the I four, like driving to Disney. Like, I felt like I accomplished something. Like when I got there, I was like, yes. Um, and then, again, it was back at, that was back before Disney had all the, the pandemic changes and some of the other stuff. So that was a, that was cool. Oh God. I had on uh, my Badger stuff and the Badgers made it to the final four when I was there. So, you know, like everyone was coming up to you. Oh my God, you know, congratulations. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Um, but, uh, um, first time an American pronounces my name correctly. Ha, ah, good job, doc. Yeah. It's cause I had to have my show. So I know, I don't know how to pronounce Lisa's last name though. So I'm a little worried about next week. So <laughs> it's a Lene or Liney, or I've got to make sure that I, I get that, um, down. So that's what, you know, and working with a, working with a, a narrator for the book, you have to go through and find, I mean, there are certain words I don't know how to pronounce, you know, that Nikolai talks about, you know, certain Russian things. And I'm like, I'm, <laughs> so I got to check with him. Like, how do you pronounce these things? I don't know. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, um, Robert wrote, as much as I love aviation, I prefer to drive when I travel in the United States. Yeah, I do too. And, I just, um, I like the control of driving and the ability to kind of do the rustic road type thing and, and, you know, give myself time. And now with GPS, right. Um, you can kind of always typically figure out where you're at. So, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm glad, I'm glad we did that. And we didn't, we didn't fly. Um, we were supposed to fly and then they shut Disney down three days before I was in, March of 2020, which sucked. Um, have you said my last name, Bacon? Whoa. Lisa's saying it's Lenny. Like um, Lenny Kravitz or uh, Lenny and Squiggy. So Laverne and Shirley. And then uh, Japan in particular as far East Asia in general are of particular interest to me. I studied at the university as well. So yeah, it's I'm my sister-in-law um, is from Japan. So you know, and goes back um, for months at a time, you know, they, they go back. So, but yeah, I just, I, that's something if, you know, for those of you younger in the audience and I guess doc age too, but do these things while you have an opportunity to, like when you're young, like go out and travel and, and do these things. And I like um, Aaron Clary wrote about it in Reconnaissance Man, uh, which I wrote a review for on Amazon. But get out when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 and go places, like find out what's out there. And then also you can decide, like, do I want to live? What are my interests? Well, okay. Like for me, like biking, all right, like pick Wisconsin. So between November and April, it's really not an option because everything's snowy and icy. You know, you make them decisions that kind of uh, better align to your, your interest. Um, Yeah. I'm not a cold weather person. Like I just, well, you could snowmobile. Yeah, I could. Um, you could snowshoot. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I'm not doing, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Um, I just, I, yeah. So I'm not, there's, there's no, I'm not your, your, uh, your, I'm not cheering this on or, or Laura Lenny. What is so Lisa? Uh, whoa. I, did you just change your name? I can carry extra stuff driving. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like I took a lot of stuff. We took a lot of stuff when we went to Disney. 
and <laughs> really packed. You know, when and the thing is, we we're going back to Disney. We had, we had, uh, we we're going to be guests. That was when School of Airs came out. And I was, I said, still the letter, like I was contacted by Disney. And this is again with, you know, the marketing and all that stuff. And we were going to, they were going to, the thing of School of Airs, just like throwing out the first pitch. I don't know what would have all happened, but, you know, we would have got some, some recognition there. Like we wouldn't have been in a parade or anything, but that all got nixed, which sucked. Um, pretty sure. Uh, Lisa, dun, dun, dun. So, um, I see bacon, senor Tosinai. Um, I, why do you live in Wisconsin? <laughs> why do you live in Wisconsin? Yes. Um, because I, I was, it's a, you know, it's a horrible justification. I was born here. Um, so I have Wisconsin citizenship, which makes it very difficult to move to any of the 49 states. Um, outside of Wisconsin, but yeah, I was born here. And so we have family here and I am in now Southern Wisconsin. I was born in and lived in Northern Wisconsin. So this time of year, it would be there already four inches of snow, It'd be enough ice for ice fishing. And, uh, you know, so it really was disheartening. I mean, like your last good go at it was like Labor Day weekend. And then like the weather just went to hell. So, um, you know, I, now where I live, I, you know, moved here, right? Because this was I, for a job 20 years ago. And now like, because I'm retired, I can, I can live anywhere. <laughs> like I don't have to live here, but also have a, a, it's a nice area as far as like, you know, where Madison, Wisconsin is, that's a 40 minute drive up the interstate. So you can get to the bigger stuff if you want to or need to. Um, but for biking, it's pretty awesome during biking season where I'm at. And then, um, you know, it's cheap to live where I'm at. Like it just is, <laughs> well, relatively speaking, you know, versus like the, the more built up areas and it's relative safer, I guess. Uh, we live in a part of town too, that has developed. So like where I'm at on my side of town is where the hospital, the new hospital is and, the school campus and all of that stuff. And, and so like our property values have gone up. I have a, I heat my house with wood. So you've maybe seen the pictures of like, you know, the, all of the, the fire will get stacked in the next room and to buy a house or to build a house with a type of fireplace that I have. And I had the chimney rebuilt and stuff like this um, would be really expensive to do. So, um, so, and we, we have a backyard that's very big and it opens up into park land city city park land um which is all woods so it's kind of like living in the country or li living in the city it's my neighbor you know we have the same thing like about three of us that works out and he's like oh this is the best place to live uh, um so but yeah i mean it's outside of that um and i'm not i'm not a big like i don't like i'm not a big go to concerts go to sport sporting events i went to every single packers home game in the 90s every single game including playoffs um, but you know, I just don't, so I just want it warmer in winter or like if I just left here in winter and went where it's warmer or just like was able to visit for a while where it was warmer. Like when we went to Disney in, in winter, I mean, of 2017, like it was awesome. Like there's snow on the ground and it's cold here. And I remember when we got into on the I-4 and we're getting close to Orlando and, and I rolled on the windows and you can just get that humid air 
it's like 75, 80. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. You know, I left, it was like 24 degrees. And so I think that would just do, that would help me reset. But I am like a stalwart though, a stalwart, I don't know, or stoic. I, I'll go out at night, like I walk on the track, the high school track. And I do that so, because I don't want to get hit by a car. <laughs> everything you know dark and we don't have our town is the third oldest town in wisconsin so there's not a lot of sidewalks it's kind of like you just walk on the road um and and so you're okay there but even if it's like 25 35 35 degrees below zero and windy like i'll still go out and i have these like huge mitts these uh you know that i'll wear and then layers of clothes my my winter the navy pea coat and and uh everything and just to go out and and make sure i, I get that in at night uh, and it's pretty, it's pretty wild to, to do that. Yeah. When you're out in like 35 degrees with like a minus 40 windshield, <laughs> um, it's just, you're so cold. It's just, it is, but yet like it is, uh, there's something kind of, uh, neat about it. And I was also, there was once in a while, like at the football field, cause you know, fields in a little bit of a Valley, like I'm up on top of the Hill, which is great when it rains, <laughs> Cause I never get rain in my basement and all the water like goes down into the Valley. But, um, you know, but, uh, but also like down in the Valley, the fog will roll in. So kind of like the movie, the fog, right. It's a little freaky. And, uh, and so like, if you're on the, um, if you're on the track, you can actually see the fog come up and come over the track and then kind of a, you know, everything's all around you. Then it takes off. Um, and Robert wrote, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin was rather nice last time I was there. Yes, it does still exist. It is nice. Um, I have some friends that live down there. Um, yeah, Lake Geneva. So I attended a conference down there like 30 years ago, and it was at the Playboy. Um, it was one of the Playboy mansions that had been turned into a conference center. So, but yeah, Lake Geneva is a very wealthy part <laughs> of the state. Like, Yeah. Um, so... Um, Atham, Hey, it's really a road trip. If you, if you don't almost die. So, yeah. You know, when I had, when, um, when school of errors was accepted for publication. So the story to go with that is, um, the day it was accepted for, so I had submitted it. Right. And then the publisher has to agree. Yeah. We're going to put it in print. It was a big process, right? Like one out of a thousand to get your book, to get your offer accepted. And then, when you write the book, the publisher can still say no and, you know, can separate from you at that point. But anyway, I, in the morning, like well, the publisher gets out of me, it gets hold of me. Hey, like, you know, we're publishing the book. So I'm like, great. And there's still like rounds of proofs to go through just like now, like, even though the book was accepted, this book was accepted last month. It won't, they, it won't release until February because they have to go through three rounds of proofs where the proofs are really where they're checking the end notes of 471 end notes and formatting and, artwork and all that. And they're like, how about this? And then you change it. How about this? I'll get three rounds in. But anyway, book was accepted. I'm driving home and uh, it was January. I think it was like, I don't know, January 18th, 2019. And, and I'm driving home and um, it starts to do this like little hint of snow sleet on the interstate and in front of me, and I can sense like, Ooh, like this isn't good. It wasn't too far from home. And in front of me, all of a sudden these vehicles start to this red, uh, this red Pontiac, uh, 
like a sunfire so starts to spin and i'm like oh no and then like other vehicles get involved and i'm like um i hit the brakes there was nothing i could do i um i started to slide i hit a wall and then i spun i was hit by a big uh truck and and then i was pushed into it and like my vehicle was just destroyed and uh and it, it was no one was killed but like um it was it was awful like so that was my my thing of like great morning everything is like super and then i'm coming home and and I, first of all i love the vehicle like it was oh god i still have it to this day 3800 engine and and oh just sad just sad but yeah um and then um it was yeah it was it was crazy and i can't, i remember um the they didn't take me to the hospital because I was I was able to do like what's kind of like your self assessment, like being a, a former firefighter stuff like that. I'm like, okay, like, like I'm not trapped in the vehicle. Like I can I can get out. Although like the, where the vehicle was positioned, there were still kind of things crashing in. So I'm like, I really had had to wait. Um, felt fire and EMS and stuff like that got there, blocked the road off. But um, I'm ch- I'm doing the mini mental. It's called mini mental. I'm like, okay, who are you? I'm David. All right, uh, when were you born? Boom. Um, how tall are you? And you're waiting your address. So like you, you go through these things to kind of self-check that I didn't have a concussion. Right. My, fa- my face was all bruised and cut. And by the way, the picture in, um, school of airs, which is, so the, the, whoa, the picture for school of airs right here, this was taken like two or three days after the accident. So that is all, um, makeup, right? That's all, after the fact applied by the photographer <laughs> because it was scheduled. It was, it was already done. And I was, I was all cracked ribs and I was just like, I could only position like in certain ways and they could take the picture. But, um, but yeah, I was all swollen in my face and just, it was just bad. So he did a lot of work um, to get that picture. So like now the, the picture, the new picture is, uh, is doesn't have that. Right. Like, so, but yeah, that, that's always kind of the weird thing with that picture too. Because that was a picture I was almost killed in that car accident. Um, and then I, I met with the yeah, or I talked to the insurance adjuster, and they're like, "Holy smokes!" Like after they they checked out the vehicle, like, it's you're really fortunate. Like you, you weren't yeah, seriously injured or killed. I'm like yeah, was, the vehicle did what it needed to do. Um, but anyway, so that sucked. That was bad. So again, I missed the car. I mean, the car like gave up its life for me, and why? Why wasn't that my nineteen um, ninety six Dodge Intrepid? So, <laughs> the worst car ever owned. Things sucked. It was bad. Um, last year, Reno area got clobbered with snow. Um, my grandparents always went to Florida for the winter. I don't know. I, I don't think I love to do that. Uh, screw the cold. Race cars all year round. Hey, gone racing. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, my parents went to. Gulf Shores, Alabama for like 20 years. And that was like the big thing, right? They got their condo in Gulf Shores and they stopped doing that uh, two or three years ago, but they had, they would pack up in winter and they'd be gone down at, down at Gulf Shores. Was, that was their thing. Um, so school of airs equals firefighter wearing nice shoes. So I have a story in there. Thanks, Adam. I have a story where, and if you have the book, by the way, and haven't left a review on Amazon, please, <laughs> please 
leave a review um, on Amazon. Um, if you have read the book, right, and have not reviewed it, it's available in hundreds of libraries across the world. Um, you can borrow a copy from Atham. I think he pays shipping out to you and back. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it does help. I have 43 reviews, and they're all five stars. And and uh, the latest review is, is from a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, um, Dr. Uh, Turley. A terrific review. But it's been hanging at 43 reviews for a long time. So it's kind of like, ah, oh, like, I get, you know, if you can help me out. <laughs> if, you, if you've read it and... You know, I would to get. I want to get to fifty reviews before Velocity of Information releases because I just think it's a it's a marker, right? Maybe it's a psychological marker. Like it's just a, the the number fifty that you've had fifty reviews on the other book, and it's it's. I know it's not the genre that typically gets a lot of reviews. You know, the school safety genre. I would expect many more that will come in on Velocity of Information. But if you read it, you enjoy it, get in there um, and and please leave a review on. Amazon because that 43 <laughs> every day, every day I'll check it and I'll be like up oh, 43, 43 reviews, 43. So help me out. Um, so yeah, I was, so and actually I want to go back to where this happened. I was just thinking about that the other day at them. So I, I was in my office and um, this was when I was working in the, in the medical field and outside, I think I was, I was called and someone said, look out your window and there was a fire coming like a brush fire coming toward the building. So we had one of the rural buildings of facilities and I'm like, Oh my God. So again, I wrote about this in the book and I dress shoes on dress shirt, sport coat, stuff like that. And uh, so I'm like, Whoa. And I run out of the building. And as I run out, there is a, a brush truck arrives from the rural fire department, right? So they, they're doing their, you know, sight red and, you know, the, trying to get people show up and get the, the trucks out there. So, and it's this kid. So I'm, you know, I'm in my twenties at the time. He's probably like 18 years old. And I'm just like, uh, I'm going to help you. And he's like, okay. So I jump on the back of the truck and he takes off across the plowed field with this. So this is, again, it's a brush truck. And I don't know, there's probably stuff flying off the street. I'm barely hanging on to this thing, but I mean, then it's all adrenaline. And um, we get out in front of this fire and we were able to, I had a huge tarp and it's a huge heavy tarp that you, it's almost like a rubberized tarp. It's very heavy. It's like, a, it's like an outdoor mat, but even bigger than that. And this was like on the, their truck. And then you're pulling it along the, the lead of the fire, the line, right, of to, to smother things out. And then he's got um, water, right, and foam, and he's laying down what's called a wet line. So, like, I knew this stuff. I knew what to do. And we, we were able then to stop the, the fire from advancing. And as I told my – it's weird, like, I was telling my daughters, like <laughs> – I said, have you ever caught in a fire? Like, right? Like, always run to where the fire has burned. Always run to black, right? Because that area, is, the fuel is gone. It's not going to reburn typically, right? So always run to that. So we're, we, you know, we're creating this area where we're, we're taking and creating this black zone that um, the fire can't reignite. And, and it wasn't like going over the, the truck. So 
anyway, we, we did it like the two of us. I mean, and then I read one of their tankers arrived, you know, down the road and then, you know, one of their other engines. And and then I just, I remember like, you know, just kind of high fiving the guy and we're all kind of hanging out a little bit. And then I just like walked away (laughs) and I went back and to, to my, to the facility, I went back into my office and, and I realized at that point, the bottom of my dress shoes were completely burned off. Like my, and the, the shoes themselves are pretty bad. Like my whole outfit was just damaged. I had a tie on too. Like everything was just, I mean, all, all. and um, my shoes though were completely bottoms. You could see my socks. Like they were, they were coming out the the bottom. Yeah. The shoes either melted or were burned off. Uh, it was just crazy. And, but it was, so the, the point of the book in the book school of errors was um, systems do develop. Like if you have innate knowledge and you're not cognitively offloading everything like to the, to, if you, if you have knowledge and there's disasters, you'll typically figure it out. Like these systems develop, you know, this mind melt, like this kid and I, I didn't, we've never practiced this together yet. Like we both kind of knew what to do in the moment. And, and two, it was this big product. We left, I left then I never, you know, I, I, there wasn't paperwork. There wasn't, you know, it was, it was like Mike Wazowski and, and monsters Inc. Like, I don't want to see any sign of this boys. And I don't want any paperwork. And I just left. And it was, it was one of these, these remarkable things in my class on Saturday, my university class, I showed the video boat lift. It's a 11 minute video narrated by Tom Hanks. And it's about the, uh, 9-11 rescue of 500,000 people by various boats from lower Manhattan on, you know, obviously September 11th from the Battery Park area in nine hours. And it all comes out of this thing of like this order from Admiral Loy of, hey, like you need to, um, anybody with a boat come down here and help. And that was it. And then people figure it out, like all kinds of different you know, boats and different experiences. Um, and so that was one of the things that story and it, and I want to go back there. I want to go back to where that fire was. And I don't know, I, I think the facility closed actually. And it, it's interesting too, because a lot of people I worked with, I worked in a um, therapy department. So one of my, my, uh, one of my degrees is in speech language therapy. So that was, and then I was also a rehabilitation director at the facility, but um, like I'm, most of the people I worked with died like of cancer. It was re- really sad. I mean, that we're like my age. Um, it's really strange too, but, um, but yeah, so I want to go back there. I want to, and there's also this, this native American burial area, which is within a mile of the facility, which is recognized like, you know, there's signage and stuff like that. Of It's really, I don't know if it's ancient, it's several hundred years old. I want to check that out. But, uh, but yeah, it was, I'll tell you, it was that, that firefighting thing was just one of the most amazing things. And, uh, I remember too. So in my hometown, my, so my, my dad, the other day was telling me, he said, uh, he said, um, yeah, the, the city is buying a new fire truck, um, for in 2022, the $400,000 rescue pumper. So I'm like, well, yeah, but I remember when in my town, the, uh, the f- previous rescue pumper was purchased and it arrived in uh, April of, of uh, 1989. And uh, it was, so it was the first like real fire truck that the town had, you know, back in, 
back in the old days, you know, the small fire engines that the little communities had and things like this. This was actual, like what you'd see today, like if at a fire station, big truck. And this thing, it costs, I remember, $78,000. Um, and the big thing was, and it was delivered, and the company that delivered it um, had this huge box, this cardboard box of hats. So everybody came down in town, and they're giving you a baseball hat with, like, the name of the company on it. And the the show, though, was at night, right? Like, um, so this this engine is is there. And it's we're all looking at it like, oh, my God. I mean, this this massive engine you know which is outdated now and all of that stuff and it'll be relegated to the back of the fire department for only in-town fires and parades and stuff like that but um so one of the coolest things was when it was dark they flipped on the switch which turned lights on the side of the truck to light up the ladders that were on each side so again it's a big truck and everyone's like oh my god like you just you know the truck it replaced and i think I've, i've got a picture i've got a picture of it right here this was the, <laughs> there's me with it. So that was the, uh, that was the truck that it replaced. So this is, you know, this, the old time vehicle here. So yeah, there's me with the, with the old one. Um, so anyway, this, yeah, this is this truck. And then, so lights go on and then you, you, all of your pump controls were in back of the cab and then there was a button and all of that would light up, you know, now the stuff would all be LED and just be so much more advanced than what it was. But at the time, I mean, it's just amazing. And then it had uh, uh, basically so like a water water cannon. Um, so you could pump 1,250 gallons a minute. So it's it hooked up to a fire hydrant. And one of the reasons like you, you kind of do that at night too, and then it would kind of mist over people is because that's actually pretty dirty water. Because <laughs> when you're sucking that much water out of a fire hydrant, it's really rusty. And people wouldn't want that stuff falling on them during the day. Probably come next day, they're like, what the hell? Somebody clothes are all like rusty. And yeah, it's because that's what comes out of there. Yeah. And there's other things too. Like, you know, if you suck too much water out of a, uh, out of like a hydrant, um, you know, out of a main, um, when you're fighting a big fire, because that's one of the things too, is like, you know, people don't understand. You got a big fire. You can only put so much water on it from the municipal system because you create a vacuum. You'll just, <laughs> stuff will just implode. The pipes will just, a lot of these old systems, especially like in my town, will just collapse and then you're screwed. So, um, yeah, it doesn't really work. Um, so let's see here. Doc was in his 20s when this happened. So, what was it about? Yeah, six or so. <laughs> six or so yeah. Um, so, I am uh, two weeks away from um, turning uh, 50, which is absolutely hard for me to believe. So um, I do feel like good, like a healthy, you know, like I said, just biking and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, yeah. So I don't, yeah, my playing days will be done. Um, I don't, I I don't know. As Bacon would say, yes, well, Bacon, Uh, watch this, let's go out. Um, wildland firefighter boots are double sold and screw for that. That's screwed for that very reason. Yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, all of my gear, actually my, I still have my turnout coat in, in the closet next to on the other side of this. Um, and you know, some of, some of that gear. Um, so yeah, it was just, I mean, right at the time I had nothing. Um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I think there were, I think there were probably boots i think it was a boots or jacket even that might have been on the truck that i didn't didn't grab i don't know when you're like 20 some years old and adrenaline's flowing you don't really need that stuff um 
while in firefighter boots. Um, after Doc, you saw yourself fire. He said, my duty here is done. Then he rode off into the sunset and punched it. Yeah. <laughs> I got on a horse. Yeah. I got on a horse after that. And then I just rode off. And uh, yeah. And then I just took my shoes off and I just threw them aside. And then, and then some of the villagers collected the shoes up and then they put them in this display case at the local museum. And they're like, you know, we don't know who the, this guy was, but um, so then on uh, the travel channel. Yeah. So you know how they do this? Like, you know, a pair of shoes and the soul's worn off. And then they tell you the story. That's a story about me fighting that fire. So yeah, that was, it was just, it was crazy. It was, um, I, you know, it's one of those things, like if someone were to say to me, whoa, like, uh, would you want to, I guess, I don't know, would you want to do that again or anything like that? And I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say I want to do it again, but I'm glad I had that experience. Like, I'm, I'm glad I, I say we'll do it, write about it and experience that. And that's the whole thing, you know, when we get to this uh, way from manufacturing to just in time to pretty soon, are you just going to have things 3D printed? People are going to just be separated from these these experiences and what what creates um, agency and purpose. Uh, Bacon wrote, reminds me of when I set my entire backyard on fire with a flare bomb I made from some whack-ass stand fireworks. I tried to stomp it out before I regained my senses and got the water hose. Yeah. So that doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, whoa. Yeah, my my uh, my neighbors tend to have a pretty big Fourth uh, of July um, fireworks thing, so which I don't, I'm you know, I guess just don't land that stuff on my my roof. Or I have steel siding, so it'd be hard to set the house on fire, but probably not impossible. Um, there's bacon again. Atham, uh, you have wrinkles. There's actually a filter, so this is running through. Um, UCAM 9, which is where I typically record like my videos for university courses, like so that go with the, whatever I present, you know, like then I'll do like a little follow up video. And there's a built in filter right now. So it is, believe it or not, is actually reducing wrinkles on my face. Um, so yeah, it's the same filter that does, um, that does, uh, this type of stuff. And uh, we'll also do, um, you know, kind of this Halloweenish uh, stuff going on, you know, right here, and or like this, you know. So, but yeah. So the filter. Um, and by the way, like, hey, like, give give us a thumbs up, even though this isn't face. Give us this thumbs up right here in the in the like. But yeah. So I've got a filter. Um, yeah. So I this is my hair is still great. I mean, like, and it grows fast. Like every four weeks, I have to I have to get it cut. Um, but like my great great grandfather had like full head of hair, like died at ninety six. So um, I think I'm in pretty good shape with that. Um, fun fact: most emergency sprinklers have water that's been sitting for years, if not decades. Have heard horror stories about those being tripped in water. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That make perfect sense because they're always charged, and yeah, that that would just be gross. Yeah, bacon. Yikes. Um, uh, doc catfish me. Oh my goodness, you guys. Um, I fell out. Um, here we are. And are we caught up? Yeah. Almost, almost 50. Yeah. So I think for, for being almost 50 writers, so basically being 50, um, I'm like with biking, I can, and I did I did a run where it was hot. I mean, it was like 85 and humid, 
I actually wore through the toes in my Brooks shoes, which really made me sad. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was, uh, I can, I can bike much better between like my, between now 40 and 50 than I could between like 30 and 40. Like I'd, it's, I don't know if it's, I, I just understand what to eat, how to pace, how to, to, you know, I just, it's much better. So no signs of slowing down, which is, which is good. Uh, so let's see. So when we look ahead to next week's show, uh, Lisa Lenny is going to be on the show. So Lisa is an attorney and has actually helped me quite a bit. <laughs> so not with personal lawsuit type things, but with um, helping me to understand how to um, frame discussions I have with my students in my school legal courses in saying, okay, how what might the plaintiff be thinking? Like what, what would be the first three things they're gonna do? And then the d- defense and then could there be a responsible third party? Like, you know, she'll, and she'll help me to understand who that could be, what that means. And, and then of course it makes me look smarter when I come in and talk about these things with my students. And uh, because I'm not a lawyer and uh, honestly, Lisa's it's like a masterclass. Um, Liney. Oh no. Short eye. Linny, 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 Linny. Okay. Linny. So you couldn't have been Lisa Smith. All right. That didn't work. Linny. All right. Um, so those of, um, and also those of you who, who watched the show last week, Ryan Katsu Rivera was in the house. So Ryan Katsu Rivera, um, is, does the co or co-host, not really co-host. He's, he's kind of the Bert and Ernie, He's the Ernie to uh, Gavin McInnes on Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> so Ryan was in the show, and uh, and then Ryan had contacted me afterwards about um, possibly going on a show with uh, with he and or Gavin and him. And then also Gavin's wife lives close, like fifteen miles away. Or his wife's family lives like fifteen miles away from where I live, and they get back here. But um, so Gavin was one of the founders of Vice. Uh, magazine and uh so but yeah um it's it's really so that's cool um we'll see if it if it happens or not but uh i i think it'd be cool i know they've got a lot of stuff that they do on their show um but anyway so that that was neat um (laughs) so one of the things i had because i was sharing too I don't know if it was that show, but uh, a, a, I had a, a friend of mine who collects um, vintage, uh, expensive vintage vehicles. And and we, we were going out for a ride in one of this, these newly acquired vehicles. And he says, um, and he hands me this, this seatbelt, but it's not connected to anything. And he's like, just um, throw it over your shoulder. <laughs> and... And uh, that's what he did too. And I'm like, whoa, so you've done this before. Like you you take your vehicles out, your show vehicles, um, you know, and, and whatever. And yeah, so we're driving around in this, this, uh, this vehicle in this, uh, 
this pretend seatbelt type thing. It was it was just weird, like uh, that he had. He's like, you know, just do this, you know, because if we don't want any problems if we if we pass, because this vehicle was made before actually there were seatbelts, and uh, but I just I just thought it was one of the strangest things, and and I don't know how it worked exactly, um, but it did, <laughs> like it just went and it had no functional purpose. It was aesthetic. It was just basically to uh, to give the appearance that you had a a seatbelt. Um, I don't know if there's a law, like if you, I think, I think if you drive a vehicle, you have to, to have a seatbelt on it. And this one was only meant to, to be hauled around for show. I don't, I don't know. It gets all fuzzy. I'm not really a car guy. So, you know, he was, he was pointing out all of the really, how difficult it was to acquire this, this vehicle and all this other stuff. It was really awesome. You know, just, I don't, you know, just, so should make like should make like a shirt that looks like it has a seatbelt on it, but uh, but yeah, I mean most most vehicles today, the, the <laughs> SAS Mini is so so. Uh, uh, Bacon wrote, Doc is going to be like me. I'm still able to bike sixty miles until he's ninety, and still be able to bike sixty miles until ninety. Bacon, you're in good shape. Like you are much more fit. You're taller than I am too. Um, so, but yeah, I think. I think, I mean, I do this thing now when I'm biking. Honestly, I call it just my my COVID test, right? Which sounds kind of crazy, but, and I told my doc this too, that when I'm biking, I can tell. I'm measuring my respirations. Like, I know I'm going up hills. Like, you know, because I bike so much, I can compare. Or if, like, I have some other degenerative disease going on, um, you know, or if I lose balance or like all of these, I mean, biking is a good way to kind of test yourself um, for a lot of things, right? So your spatial distance, you know, your coordination, your uh, memory, <laughs> like, where am I? Like, I don't, I don't know where I'm at, which isn't funny, but, um, but it, it does. And just, you know, there's, there's a lot the body has to do to maintain balance, especially like on my bike, where there's so much weight on the bike and granted it's pretty equally distributed, but so it's a good check. If you, I, you know, if I was winded, right. Or if I was getting, if if it was tired, um, if I lost balance on the bike, um, all of these, all of these things would be symptoms or, you know, if you're getting a headache, which it could mean, you know, your red blood cells aren't circulating enough oxygen. So, and a lot of these things, I guess, I, I kind of learned early in biking, and I took other measures to to kind of mitigate a lot of those things. But if if I would identify any of those, then I would kind of I would monitor them more closely, right? So uh, there's really this kind of checkpoint process through biking, and I think if you can bike, and also I mean it's just really good for your heart, right? You can you can pace yourself, you know, like bike at 22 miles an hour for whatever, you know a mile or something like that and try to get your heart rate. And, but there's, there's so much, um, proprioceptive, um, aspects of biking and you just get good with that after a while. And then again, there's a whole thing of like you have flat shoes, right? So, so you're just more in tune with the pressure and the forces. And I never feel bad after a bike ride. I can bike a hundred miles and come home, get off the bike, disassemble, you know, you know, take everything kind of apart and, and whatever I have to do to kind of store it for the moment. And, uh, and I feel good. Like I don't have to, I don't have to sit down and chill out. You know, I'll go in, I'll, um, 
you know, have some water and stuff like that. But I mean, I'm good. Like I am, I am totally, I usually will run like at night too. I can do like a hundred miles. Then like three hours later, you know, get, well, not run, but then like keep going down to the track and do more. So I have really good, like, I don't know, I guess genetics or just ability to do that. Like I have, I have no fatigue while biking. Um, and there's nothing quite, I mean, like if you would have told me I would do a hundred mile ride, uh, when I was 30 years old, I would have just been, that's insane. Like no one should do that. Right. Or, I mean, back then I could, like a three to five mile ride was like something I would cheer about. I wasn't in very good shape, but you know, now like a hundred miles and, um, the key is like, just know, kind of map it out ahead of time. Like I go play, I, I can know where everything is in case anything goes wrong and, um, you know, bike breaks down, not able to fix it or whatever. But, uh, and, and know the area and just like know the weather too. Like I'm not going to do a hundred mile trek if there's iffy weather. Um, but if it's good, get up early and Oh God, like it is, it is, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, I absolutely love, uh, and I, you know, just, and I'm, it's, I really can get out to some rural areas and, uh, I go past, usually when I do a hundred miles, I end up going past, this uh, one thousand year old Indian effigy mound uh, site, which is a, a state park, and um, so I go like right past. I go in back of it actually, so I can look up and see like the mounds as you would have seen them from the river, and then I can. I don't spend time there. I've already seen it many times, but it's I go right through there, like go right past it, like it's always. Um, so it's pretty amazing. Like, right. Because effigy mounds, like you're, you're biking past and stuff like that. I mean, it's just awesome. Uh, we must protect doc's guest. It is our solemn duty. So yeah. So Lisa Smith, Lisa Smith, right. Um, so sass too many, um, is going to be sassy. I can't wait to have Lisa on the show. I was so, um, so watching Lisa as, as the, the co-host, um, co-anchor of uh, Umble Distillery, old Umble podcast, um, w- was fun, right? She's she's dynamic. I, you know, she's Joe Joe the the primary host. Like it's kind of Joe's Bert and uh, no Joe's Ernie and uh, Lisa's Bert. So that makes sense, but uh, but and and then I mean Lisa's just has this amazing innate comedy sense that then is paired up to this incredible deep knowledge base. And this is no lie. This is not an exaggeration, not hyperbole. When I, well, I called her, you know, to kind of rough out what the show might be because she agreed to be a guest on the show. I'm like, oh, right. It's great. And then, you know, to kind of rough this out. And honest to God, I took three pages of notes. I had up a Google doc in front of me. And I'm just typing and she's like, yeah, I'm asking questions. And, and I'm like, it's like, a, I mean, it's like a class. And to the point, honest, honestly, Lisa, this is true. I thought about like saying, could I just pay you like uh, $200 and talk to you for <laughs> like 40 minutes or something before I teach the next class? Just like with some questions or like that you just, um, it, because like I felt, I mean, I, I've, I felt, um, com- uh, completely 
dialed in to what I was going to teach in that class um, because, again, her expertise in as an attorney and just very specifically, and I, and I work with attorneys all the time. I don't know. Usually they're they, I, the combination of, of wit and uh, I don't know. It, it was just awesome. So it's, it's the week that starts off into my birthday is the 7th, right? So Lisa starts it off on Monday the 1st. So it just gets a lot of momentum going for the next show. It's just good stuff. Um, I could totally see Doc driving Model T. I would drive a Model T. I would, yeah, I would, I would, I think a Model A would be more my style, but I would drive, I would drive a Model T. Um, without, yeah, without a doubt. Um, Lisa, he has that name for knees for a reason. So, um, but, but this is only due to how many times I've been sassed. So a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say this. Why do I say that? A lot of people don't know, but sassed too many um was the modern day burt reynolds and smoking the bandit so from the east coast all the way to inglewood um in record time um sometimes with speeds uh, upwards of 140 miles an hour but yeah sassed sassed too many um he is he's good at uh, i mean it's driving and um and, and just uh Lane changes at high speed. Um, doesn't really get much better than that. Um, so Bacon wrote, uh, once your body gets used to it, you can jump like, uh, you can just keep going like crazy, assuming your calorie intake is up. Yeah. So I always pack. So this is where Nikolai, Russian cyclist, right? So I pack. I do. I, 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 I have this very specific sets of food that I pack, including Swedish fish. And there's a reason why Swedish fish metabolize slower. And then you mix those in with fish crackers and you mix those in with peanuts and walnuts. And then also with beef jerky and you're trying to time the release of protein throughout your ride. And then also the instant calories that you have to get the carbs that you're kind of getting. So I have this and then um, I pack also, um, the hell is it? Coconut water, right? Big things of coconut water for the electrolytes and enough um salt or even like a the salt tablets that you you can take while you're working out or post workout to make sure my elect electrolytes don't go low and then usually for water like like i said i'm pretty good like because i will i'll bring a gallon and a half of water um and i can replenish along the way if i have to and i just hydrate like crazy in those mornings and then uh, something i learned from ryan stone was coffee because it was something he picked up in the military was to do heavy black coffee before you have like a rigorous exercise for the, for the day. And that made a big difference too. So I will, I will, that's one of the first things like a mile from me is like the coffee place. I'll do like a 24 ounce black coffee. So by the time I'm kind of working on the bike, like the coffee's ready, it's cooled down. And then, uh, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. So there, there is this whole thing of like, yeah, what do you eat? And I don't know, I'm a big sardines guy. So People might be, ah, let's, but I love um, a can of sardines, like King Oscar sardines the night before, because I'm trying to get that uh, those omega oils in because I know my heart, I don't going to be having a, you know, higher blood circulation. So I want to have higher omegas. So, and it's re really worked out well. Like I, I don't have, you know, leg cramping or, um, you know, I'm not thirsty when I'm out 
riding and, and I have certain, you know, I, I space out certain times in that space up, but you pull over, get off the bike, stretch and do those things and drink water, even if you're not thirsty. Right. So you're always staying a step ahead, but I've learned like it's become more of a science to me now. And I'm just like, I'm very in tune with my body with, uh, with biking. And I, I still have the speaker. Sometimes when I go on a hundred mile trek, I have my, my JBL speaker, which I ordered and I have it on the back of my bike on the bag. And then I have my old Samsung MP3 player. It's like 15 years old and I listen to podcasts. <laughs> so I will, and I only do that like on the way back, you know, to kind of break things up after a while. Um, and that's pretty cool. So I can usually get about three or four hours out of that if I, if I need to. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of Sandhill cranes when I was out, when I was out, um, the hell was it Tuesday? A lot of Sandhill cranes because the farmers have harvested all of the corn. So there's still, then there's a lot of corn in the fields through the harvesting process and the Sandhill cranes eat those up. So I like Sandhill cranes, although like people want to hunt them in Wisconsin, they call them ribeye in the sky. So I'm like, I don't know. You know, we haven't walked through our yards. I think they're pretty cool. I don't want, I, I don't want them to be hunted, I guess. Hunted not haunted. None of them were caterpillars. So like those big brown and black fuzzy caterpillars, like all over the roads. So, um, but I guess that's better. Like there's this in summer here, there's like grasshoppers like crazy when you're, when you're biking. So, you know, they're ping, ping through the spokes, you know, <laughs> and it was getting chopped up, but, uh, but yeah, and snakes, um, uh, but you know, a lot of, a lot of snakes out on the roads. Um, so I, I had a couple deer, like one time I was out and a deer like came out of the, out of the brush, you know, and kind of jump like real close to me. I mean, if you get hit by a deer while you're out biking, it'd be pretty bad. And then I had like an eagle that was like diving down um, on me one time. And so I must've gotten close to where the eaglets were or whatever. I'm like, come on, like, you know, and then I'm trying to think like, how the hell, what would I do? So if it actually like started to dive at me, I, I, I thought like I would just get off the bike. I would quickly disconnect the front wheel and hold the wheel up is kind of my self-defense like as a shield um so thankfully it didn't come to that but i was like what the hell i don't want to be dealing with this um and then i did have i had the uh the the weird moment where like the two the two dudes in a truck like uh i was on like a side road like kind of doing a break or something they're like hey like are you okay do you need to go somewhere i'm like just yeah i'm fine it's like oh god like um is this deliverance? I'm like, whoa. And then I saw a dude wipe out his motorcycle. Um, I think I shared that too. And then like I biked up to him and I just shattered parts all over the place. And, and it's just, and then I'm like, dude, are you all right? And he's like, I'm okay. And then I'm like, uh, do you want me to call 911? He's like, no. And then I said, um, anything I can do for you? Or he's like, um, so he's just getting out of like his phone or whatever. And, and he called somebody and he, he's just like, no, just don't, don't do anything. So I biked to the top of a hill and then like some people showed up <laughs> and then one of them had a truck and then they put his uh, motorcycle in the truck. And then I, they kept looking up at me and I'm thinking, there's a reason this guy doesn't want the cops called. So I'm going to just take it easy here. I'm not calling anybody. He seems okay. But so Bacon said 140 is about the fastest I've driven. 91 Infinity Q45 with a loose steering rack. Yikes. Pretty sure I hit that speed in the 91 Mazda Protégé. But the speedometer only went to 130. Yeah. I had a Plymouth Duster. That was, that was a race car. 
man, that was my first vehicle. That thing, yeah, that thing fl- was just flying. And then I had a, uh, what the hell was it, a Chrysler LeBaron where the headlights would come down and or the, the headlight covers, the metal covers would come down and retract. And that just looked cool. Now, it, it didn't have much like for an engine, but I did, uh, I always did a white Kelly racing wheels on it, you know, the where it was raised letter. And, and I would just, I would polish that thing to a, sh- a shine that vehicle. And I worked at Menards and when I was going to college and I had that, and there were people who had just like come out to see the vehicle that had like a red plush interior. And then that thing, it, uh, it got to 144,000 miles and it just, uh, it had, it just up and died. It had electrical. It just like shorted out. Like there were like burn marks across the dash, like where the wires were everything. And that thing had like the, the horn that would play 112 songs. So, uh, Oh, it was a sad day. And then it was just, there, there was, it was, there was nothing you could do. It was like the end of Poltergeist where the house just kind of like implodes on itself and then you're gone. <laughs> that was like the, the finale of my, of my 1988 Chrysler LeBaron. <laughs> like it just, it gave up the ghosts um, just in, in one outing. And uh, which is probably the way that it deserved to go out. Um, so Lisa wrote, uh, Cliff Block's margarita flavor are nice and salty. So I need to restock the studio too. Uh, very low down here. That sounds good. Um, so I, so Cliff Block's reminds me of Brooks, reminds me of shoes, reminds me of some Hoka Ona bondies that I got yesterday off of, uh, the hell is it Zappos. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I was just happening to like look at reviews on another site and they had a 50% off sale for the day. So I went over and these are like $150 shoes, right? These Bondi sevens. And I had them in my cart and I was ready to do checkout and I'm looking and I'm like, what the hell? Like this site has them for 75, like for the day, like, which is crazy. And I'm like matching them up and like, it's not some discontinued pair or whatever. So I went over in a little chat over in Zappos and I'm like, Hey, like, this place is selling them and um, like, will you price match? And so they're like, what's the link and get a link. And it was exactly the shoe, like the exact color, the size and all of that. And then they're like, sure. I'm like, holy smokes. And uh, so, yeah, literally I got, <laughs> I got a shoe for like half price just because I happened to like catch the sale that was going on somewhere. Now I look, it's all back to normal and, and stuff like that, but I'm like, holy smokes! Be my first pair of Hoka Ona Onas too. Like I've always, I've kind of been a Brooks, a Brooks guy. Um, but yeah, I'm going a little more plush here toward. Um, so, bacon. Now that's a mental image for the books. Doc getting carried away by a Mexican golden fly like an eagle. What? I'm not sure what this what this is. Fly like an eagle. So. Um, so by the way, when you, when you, and I know you will, right, you're going to read the book, um, The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Kadak Times, when it comes out in February. Um, when I interviewed, so I did 10 interviews. I interviewed 10 people for the book, and there's more kind of interviews. So you'll remember the stories. Like if you hear about Juan Brown, you'll remember Juan Brown from the story and Citizen as Journalist and Orville Dam, stuff like that. Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. So... Um, these were hard people to get access to like in the, to interview. Like there are people that have a big fan base. They have a lot of layers around them. Um, They're great people, but also I think people who are very protective of their, I guess, 
personal stories and how they are represented. Um, and, and so like, that was a big challenge. So when you read the book, you're not going to find other interviews from Juan Brown and you're not going to find interviews outside of like A&E doing a special on Larry Lawton and stuff. You're not going to find those out there because these folks don't do that. So it was this whole thing of really building up trust and multiple conversations and interviews. So, so that's a really rich part of this book is like Nikolai's story. You're not going to find that somewhere else. So, so I think that's a cool thing. You know, you you don't get this reincarnation of some person who's told their story already to a hundred people. Um, so bake or sassed, bacon wrote to sassed. Pretty gutsy to do that. You can toast an engine cruising near its red line. So, yeah. Um, Japanese engines love RPMs. Uh, Zappos has amazing customer service. Yeah, Lisa, they, I, they, I mean, it was weird too because I thought Zappos was going to. First of all, I just thought they'd say no, um, but then I thought they'd counter and say we will we will go to up to like ten percent off or like twenty percent, but we we won't just take a hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes and not get the seventy, put it down to seventy five and free shipping, and like they totally did that. So I'm like, whoa, I like thanks, like that is um yeah, and then um I, I was totally I was totally floored. Um, that they did that. So pretty, I'm pretty excited. Like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am just, um, I don't know. Um, I'm just excited, uh, for that. My, my Hoka Ono Onos or, um, yeah, it's, and it's my biking shoes are old, but you don't need new biking shoes because biking shoes are leather shoes. And as long as you kind of take care of them, they're not going to wear out, you know, usually, um, and those are scuffed up from the time I had the bike accident. I don't know, was it four years ago or five years ago when I had the bike accident where I was sure after that one that I was, I had broken bones. Like I was just like, um, <laughs> I, I, it was amazing, but that was the one when I, um, I biked home and the bike was, I only had one gear and I had one pedal and it was pretty much smashed on the bike. And, I was bleeding like just horribly, <laughs> like like all of the side, my socks and my shoes all blood. And I and there were blood footprints when I got home leading into the house. <laughs> so and then I, I went to the hospital and I had a concussion. And that night then and they said, don't um, don't what the hell did they tell me? Don't sleep. Don't sleep. No, I had to sleep. Right. I don't know. Don't drink alcohol and, you know, or or. I, I don't re well, I don't remember, right? But I do remember the black, not the black knight, that's a video game. That's a pinball game. The Dark Knight, right? The Dark Knight Rises was on TV with uh, Nolan as bat. Nolan as a Joker. No, Nolan was the director. <laughs> well, that was a Joker. The guy died. Remember that, unfortunately? Um, but anyway, The Dark Knight Rises. And I remember watching, and it was like on a loop, right? So it was on one of those marathon weekends where they play it like 24 hours in a row. So I'm on my couch and, and concussed, and I'm watching this, and it was like being in Gotham. I mean, it was a really weird experience. Um, so, yeah, I'm like, oh, Heath Ledger, yeah. So it was weird. 
Um, I, I just, I remember cause I was, I was totally in that, that aura, um, feeling for 24 to 48 hours. And I had had a horrible concussion when I was, uh, back in my football days. Um, so that, uh, I still think, um, I have residual effects from that one. I mean, but yeah, this, this was just, uh, it was, it was, it was just really it was a strange like 24 to 48 hours. And then, yeah, I could kind of then look, um, it, it was hard to, Oh, I remember that after, after I got in the accident, like there was a, there was a car that drove by and they never like stopped. <laughs> and again, they again drove around me on the road and, uh, and, and I'm like, I would have stopped. Um, come on. Uh, but yeah, I was, I'm still, I still have like scars, like my, my legs are all scarred up from that, but there's battle scars, right? Like TJ Martin out wiping out his motorcycle, but that was the only really bad accident I had on, uh, on my bike, um, or on a bike, I should say, but it's all right. I mean, stuff like that happens, right? Heath Ledger. So yeah, it's a joker, but yes, I was sitting, I was sitting uh, again, you know, and and just like at night, like then just watching episode after it is re and it was just it's you, you shouldn't probably do that, I guess, with a concussion. I don't know, but it's weird. So I'm like, what the hell? So um, I had a oh, so I had I had a cross that um, was it still is hasn't gotten any younger by the way but the necklace but it's a is a cross with um nails that were soldered well they were they were put together with a wire i don't know i have to show it i have to bring it down sometime it was big though and uh, my priest had given it to me and he said uh he had got it when he became a priest and uh, whole story about it but this thing was like 500 years the not the necklace the the nails are like 500 years old. So the story was they would burn down churches and reuse the nails like four or 500 years ago in, in England or not England, whatever the hell England, Italy. And then these nails, some of these were then used now to make crosses that would be given when you would be conferred as a priest. And he gave this to me and we we're good friends. And, and, uh, it was, saying I, 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 the necklace I had like something it broke up by whatever. And then, so this thing was massive. And then I took it to a jeweler to have like a, you know, strong chain put on it. And, and that thing got ripped off my neck when the bike flipped and all of that stuff. And I had to go back out there and I found it. It's been run over sometimes and stuff. So I had to take it like back to the jeweler. And then they, this uh, jeweler like deconstructed it and like rebuilt it and did all this stuff. And uh, it's really, it's, it's awesome. Like I just, I, I don't wear it right now. Um, if I'm biking and stuff, then it's always, it's hard to wear uh, jewelry um, and stuff like that. But anyway, so that was kind of a, kind of a thing. Um, says too many. So um, I can say, doc, got two shoes for the price of one. Ah, I get that. Yeah. I'll see myself out. So yeah, it was good. I mean, it was good. It's good stuff. I mean, Zappos really came through. Um, I flipped home with only one pedal and crank more times than I care to admit. That's not even fun if you have to produce power on the upswing. Yeah, I was, it was, I was just numb. Um, the, you know, my, the shock to the system at that point, 
and it was, uh, it, you know, it's just one of those typical things, you know, you have an accident, you get banged up pretty bad, but again, you know, because I was in good shape, I recovered pretty fast, just like the, the car accident. Um, you know, I recovered pretty fast and healed, uh, from that. So, you know, Oh God, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So I have to bring down about, you know, well, I don't know, 11 cords of wood into the fireplace room. And I have to do that all down the steps, <laughs> bag by bag. And I'm not looking forward to that. So I don't have room in my garage to store the wood. So it gets stored in the fireplace wood room, right? The next to the furnace. And, uh, but then that's a tricky deal because you don't want to store that too long because you don't want an infestation of a wood beetle or something and then have your house taken down by that. So you got to burn everything out for the season. And, but I'm like, that is just a long process to, I mean, it takes, it takes, oh, so long to bring that down. But then like, I'm, then just got to stack everything. So it's, it's all doesn't fall down and stuff like that. And, but it's worth it. Right. I mean, cause I haven't heat my house with wood. So if I don't do that, but I have thought about like a plan B to, uh, to put wood outside and, and have a, I'm building this bigger concrete pad on the side of my garage and, to kind of uh, put the wood out there and cover it up. And um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so, um, all right. Anybody left here in the chat, by the way? So, my God, Lisa, you put in a lot of time on the show. Um, so thank you. And Bacon and Sast, um, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, if you haven't smashed the... Uh, uh, I'll try to get this to work here. Um, a thumbs up um, right there and subscribe. We are we are almost at 500 um, subscribers. Well, I say almost, we're at 455, but that's pretty good because the show's been on an uptick. We're not losing subscribers. And I, if I get to 1,000, there's a couple things. One, I think I can monetize or I can do super chats, right? But the other part is people ask you now, like if I'm, if I'm going to have somebody on the show so they'll ask how many subscribers do you have? And it seems like a thousand is a threshold for some people. Thankfully, like Larry Lawton didn't ask me that. I mean, he has 1.32 million followers on YouTube and then, you know, he gets like 20,000 people for every show, you know, so I'm interviewing Larry and there's like seven people in the, in the chat, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean that, that definitely is, is that's a, cause some people are right. They, they only have so much time. And so they're willing to interview or do other things, but to be on a show um, that doesn't have a certain following, they'll be like, uh, I got to pass on that. So um, I get it. Although like I would probably be on any, I'd be on anybody's show. Like if they asked me, I'd be even on Bacon's show if he asked me, but, uh, but apparently um, he hasn't, it's not happening. I don't know. Um, so I Bacon, by the way, I stayed up Friday night, because you had your 10 o'clock show my time. So, um, and I had, to, I had to get up at four o'clock the next day and then drive over to the university to in instruct. So, <laughs> but I'm like, I want to be, I want to be part of the show. So like I was there at the start, but I'm like, whoa. So I was, uh, yeah, I was uh, living off of Mountain Dew and Skittles. Actually. This, this. This, this was the bag of Skittles that powered me on uh, Saturday morning. So, okay. 
It's like a pound and a half right there. Ouch. Of uh, Skittles. Unofficial sponsor. I will take a, a barrel of Skittles and uh, gladly put Skittles merch in the back. Skittles, you're up for it. Um, big cat over here. And uh, over here, Gormonger. Welcome back. Looking forward to watching the beginning. Yes. Um, so the show actually was all about uh, our rapidly moving to 3D printing. And uh, we are getting away from just-in-time manufacturing. And uh, I wrote about it, right? And I do think um, I read several white papers on it. I do think that is a direction we are heading. 3D printed houses, uh, vehicle, vehicle parts, uh, food. As much as it sounds weird to think about 3D printed food, that's probably where most of the advances have occurred in 3D printing. And it's already happening in countries, um, Germany and England, for example. So... Um, yeah, it is. Lisa wrote, uh, I'm still upset they switched out the lime scales for green apples. So, wow. I did like the lime. I also like green apple. I guess I'm willing to go with both. Um, so when I was, where I grew up in, in Northern Wisconsin, I lived a, a block away from the concrete factory and they would make the concrete blocks. Right. And, uh, so, and then my friends and I would go down to like, like back in the stranger eras, you know, the, the movie it like kind of back in that era, right. Um, small town. And, uh, we would, we would pull our money and they sold two pound bags of Skittles at the grocery store, two pound. And, uh, so we would buy like a couple of those and I would take this huge Tupperware container and, uh, and we would go down to the concrete factory and they had these, all these piles of, of, the, of the cinder blocks and we would reconfigure a pile of cinder blocks into like a house. <laughs> so, and uh, you know, we're maybe like 12 and we did this and, uh, and then we would go in there and, and uh, just chill with this big bowl and eat all these Skittles. And uh, we weren't like, we were all like fit and stuff like that. I mean, but this is massive amounts of sugar and stuff like that. And, uh, and yeah, that was kind of like a weekend. And then like, you always felt horrible after that. You're like, Oh God, why did I do this? Um, but yeah, we would do the Skittles thing. So that was also back when, um, you could not, you could, but people smoked in little league. Like one of my teammates, Dan smoked, um, cigarettes, like not, I mean, in the dugout and dugout was made of concrete and concrete roof. So, but, um, yeah. And, and our coach, Booth, Leonard Booth, was at the time like 80 some years old. And he looked a lot like uh, Burgess Meredith, like Rocky's coach. And he owned a bar. So, like, if we won, like, you would walk down to the bar and then through the back door, he'd bring you all kinds of candy bars and stuff like this, you know, because we won. But uh, yeah, my openly, I mean, it was just kind of a thing. Like, he was smoking. And uh, yeah, the railroad track went through the outfield. And a senior citizen almost built um, out in left field, like right beyond it. So like it was always getting bombarded with home runs. Like this is a, I don't know, didn't think that out or whatever, but um, yeah, it was my hometown, right? So all that's kind of been like, that's been sold and rebuilt. Now they have this big complex with like four f fields and big scoreboards and general trends. Back in the day though, of uh, Dan smoking um, in the dugout. Yeah. Just the whole dugout floor would be like cigarettes and, you know, you're all like 11 years old. <laughs> like, it was just, it was crazy. Um, and I don't know, it was just a different, it was just a different time. Um, so, yeah, that was, 
That was pretty crazy. Um, honestly, I think engagement is more important than just followers. Last week I was holding like 14 people watching live. Yeah, you had a big audience, Bacon, uh, for uh, on Friday night. Like, you had a lot of people in there. Um, so the, that was really cool. Um, at least I didn't even know about that. Yeah, the skills. Um, I'm, now they've, you know, kind of what's left usually is the real exotic flavored like smoothie Skittles. And I'm not into that. I'm more traditional Skittles person. Uh, Skittles, if you're biking, are okay if you take a few Skittles, right? Like 15 in a Ziploc bag or something like that. I mean, if you're downing too much, it just will mess you up. Too much sugar, you'd hit it and you'd burn out and then you'd hit a low. It'd mess up your 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 glucose levels and you'd feel it. It'd, it'd be really bad biking. So you really try to be very, very careful on any sugar um, when you're biking. Like, I don't know if I do any real, if I do any sugar at all when I bike. Um, just reminded me of a time that I infused five bottles of liquor. Each of the flavor of Skittles ended up way too concentrated. <laughs> had a few mix heavily. Yeah, if you did that right, that would be too sweet. Um, if you, uh, like, that would just be, it's like uh, rum, like spiced rum for me. Like uh, Sailor Jerry used to be my go-to here on the show. Kind of an unofficial sponsor back at one point. And uh, I just uh, I, I just can't do that anymore. Just too sweet. Like it's uh, just not, it's not for me. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. God, don't want to do that. Uh, that's a waste of good Skittles. Oh, oh my goodness, Joe. That's a waste of good skills. Yeah. I know. I have a soft spot for Skittles. Um, absolutely. I have a, I have a soft spot. So um, I need to bring out uh, my, I, I don't, I think it is in a room in back of me, my, uh, my college football jersey. Uh, that will be for a, a show someday. We'll have just like a nostalgia throwback show. Somebody came to our garage sale that we had a month ago. And then they thought they remembered me from back in my playing days. And they're like, I went to the same college you went to in like 1990. And I remember you. I'm like, Oh my God. Whoa. Like what coincidence here that, and you know, not that that was anything special, but one of the guys um, on my team went on to become a billionaire with a B billionaire. Yeah, started um, software analytic companies for the NBA and then NFL and uh, and sold them. And there's this big story. And then I saw the news thing and I reached out and contacted him. And the thing was like, anyway, he was actually like, kind of like, hey, I, I'm a billionaire. I don't have to talk to you type of response. Um, so with his response to me, I'm like, dude, like I, come on. I always like was good to you. And uh, by the way, you're, you stepped out of bounds in our um, one of our basketball games, and you cost us the game because you didn't know where the damn line was. And uh, don't think that I forgot about that. Um, and I, you call a timeout, which is a horrible time. So, yeah, so if we get together, like, as a group, uh, peri uh, periodically, it'd be like, remember the timeout? It's a timeout game. I mean, you made a lot of mistakes. It cost us um, in a very big game. So, yes, don't go uh, dissing me because uh, you become a billionaire now with your companies and like, you know, I'm actually happy for you, right? Like I'm happy. My friends who have this, this level of success, right? You know, I, I have several friends who've played like professional sports and, and, you know, movie 
actors and, you know, Danny Woodburn, um, you know, wrote the four. I'm happy for these people. Like there's almost, and yet there's some people you hang out with and they're kind of, there's this like jealousy by proxy. Like they, they aren't happy for people who have been successful. And I'm like, I totally am like more, more goodness and happiness to them. I mean, um, they've worked hard and also got some breaks and, you know, luck, especially like if you're a professional sports player, you know, getting in the right place at the right time and the right scouts and whatever the team needs. But I mean, I'm happy for these people. That's kind of a weird thing. You know, you, you figure out the narcissist around you are like, Oh, they, all this money and stuff. Like I have one, I have one of my friends who had played professional uh, football for Tennessee Titans. And I, I got to call him up. Um, but mean to touch base on, but, and uh, he was telling me, He's, he's like, uh, he goes, yeah, there's like, there's a big toll, you know, from playing in the NFL. It was for your body. Like there's a, you just, um, you know, the wear down in that on your, your, obviously doesn't, you don't have to think too much to it, but I mean like the joints and things like that. And so, you know, he really works and has to do all this extra stuff to make sure that when he gets to be, you know, 60 and 70, still able to do things. But, uh. But yeah, so one of the things like we talk, I want to have him on a show. I'm not going to say who he is, but I will obviously before I have him on. He said he'd be on the show. And it's one of these things too, like I haven't taken up the offer, but he said, um, he said, hey, like I would, um, oh, because I, I said, I want you to come on the show and tell me about like, what was it like when you got in the NFL and you got your first contract and all of that money, right? And did they tell you, what, what kind of program did they put you through so you could manage your money or make sure you weren't taken advantage of? Or what if like somebody, and it was like almost nothing. Um, and I was surprised by that. I thought like there would be a pretty rigorous process to induct people. And he was, had a, his family was looking out for him and, and stuff like that. And he, you know, invested well, and you're only in an NFL for so long. So even though, you know, you have a large amount of money, um, you don't have many years where you're making that money, but but I, and I, I have many friends who played at UW Madison. Like I said, Russell Wilson, I had classes with him and stuff like that. Um, but they, I, they said at UW Madison there was there was always this. Pro, there were certain things like if you were to take a picture with somebody, um, that you positioned yourself or did something to identify like that you were taking a picture with a fan. I and then also my my friends who were in the NFL. They always said like you had a card on you. Like if, if anything ever went down you're in some situation um, where they would, the team had somebody they would send out to get you. Right. Um, maybe you're out at night at a club or something like that. And I don't know, but, um, but it was, it was weird. Like um, because right. If you're in college, one of the things they said is you always had to make sure you weren't posing for a picture and someone was trying to, then they put it up in a calendar, you know, like just, I mean like a, just a regular picture. Right. And pretty soon, like the calendar, and they're selling a calendar. Now so that's an NCAA violation. So there was some way they positioned, or if they would, if there was a fan that they would have a picture that conveyed that. I forget what it was. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like I could ask him that, but I it was, yeah, it was, it was just crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, and as I said, having friends who were in the NFL, like um, the the thing is just being cool, like, right. Um, never expecting that they're going to pick up the tab or stuff like that. And, and, uh, and so it's kind of, that's a cool thing. Um, but yeah, the sports industry thing is, is just crazy. Like to listen to how some of that stuff uh, goes down. 
you know, that we have no idea of, right. If, if we're not at that level. So, um, that's a waste of good Skittles. Uh, Hey, I was, uh, my early twenties. Um, old Umble distilling company and old Umble, um, Umble, Texas, I think was uh, featured on a show. Um, the Nick Johnson podcast where he goes and highlights, uh, cities in different States. So, um, Umble, Texas was highlighted. So I saw them like, ah, Umble, Texas. If these friends want to invest in a distillery. Yeah. Um, very. Wow. Well, I will let them know. I honestly, it's one thing I, I honestly do not talk cash ever or investments with any of my friends who are, are kind of into those professional things. Like I just never, you know, never bring that up. Um, so yeah, and it's kind of cool. Like they don't bring it up except the, my billionaire former teammate who was always like, <laughs> this is what I did. It was, he was kind of like, you know, throwing shade on the whole team and that he made it out and he did all these things. And, you know, if I said his name, like everyone would recognize him. He's been on, you know, TV many times and, you know, big industries and stuff like that. And again, I'm like, I, I never wished you bad, buddy. I don't know. Maybe it's this thing going back to, um, yeah. And he goes to like all the NBA finals and his, you know, all his box tickets for all these things and all this stuff like that too. And, but I'm like, you did step out of bounds and you did call a timeout and, you know, you got to own that. Like you can't just money doesn't distance you from the reality that you did cost us that game. I think we lost like 76 to 64 and Christ, like we were up like 60 to 50 at one point. I don't, I, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to get back and we'd have to talk through Elliot. Johan Reichert was our center. Um, and, uh, then we had uh, Math Matthew Shaker was all Matt was like six eight, uh, Riker was like six six six, but he's just much stronger. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and uh, Ellie Johan Riker drove this old station wagon that belonged to his grandma, and I think he stayed at his grandma's house um, instead of on campus, and then. It was, it was a dusty, and and I think we put we we wrote something on the back of on the glass that probably wasn't appropriate. And I know that his grandma the next day, like when she got it, he got in, he got in trouble for that. This, you know, probably what six 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 seven three hundred pound center. Uh, and then I played with the legendary, by the way, Ice Krieger, um, Dan Ice Krieger, um, an absolute legend, um, and. Yeah, playing with Ice Krieger was up to the hype, and Jim Fermanic, just uh, yeah, some incredible. <laughs> Ice Ice Krieger was uh, was fearless. It was it was absolutely man, Dan Ice Krieger. Uh, that was where the the our coach talked to me as captain, and he said because Ice would get thrown out of games and stuff like that. It's kind of like semi pro; they boot him. And he's like, can you settle him down? And, you know, we can't have this stuff happening. So I talked to him. I don't know if it did any good. But uh, the guy was a pinball junkie. So in between practices and games, there was a mall. And we would go there in his Orange Nova, a group of us. And he would play uh, the Black Knight, which was a pinball game. And he played for hours. And he would just all kind of sit around and, like, watch. It was, it was like Pinball Wizard um, in a way. Uh, but yeah, those was just, it's good times. Um, 
Mike Cuban or Mike, Mark Cuban? No, it's not. No, it's not that. He doesn't own a team. He he owned um, a few analytics uh, businesses uh, that then through a venture capitalist and then stakes in them he had sold. Um, but I'm not going to give out his name. Um, someone can probably get in some deep forensic thing to figure out who he was. But um, he's a kind of, I, I don't know. I don't have anything against him. I, I don't know why he kind of turned. <laughs> like after he, after I reached out, I was kind of like doing like this congratulations thing. And like all my other friends, right, who have had that, that's near that level of success. Um, haven't been that way, but he was, he was kind of like, just, I made it. You didn't. I am. All right. I'm like, do you know about bacon? Maldito? He's like, I don't. I'm like, you won't never will. Um, what's your go-to and where are you at the bacon? So I guess that's uh, old humble to you bacon. So make that connection. Old, um, old humble has a podcast, um, Thursday nights. So I'm subscribed to it, so you can check over with that. Um, so it is uh, Joe, Joe and Lisa. Enjoy that. So please check that out, the old Humble um, Distilling Company podcast. And then also on Twitter. And every day Joe posts some kind of a piece of obscure knowledge um, on, on Twitter, which is uh, fun to follow. So... Old Humboldt Stilling is, I get it, Puget Sound. So, yes, a different state, area of Washington State. Evan Williams, we're state for liquor talk, Texas, so I, I buy by the handle. So, um, and Larry Lawton would talk about how to make uh, wine in prison. So, has an entire episode devoted to that. Oh, my God. So, I just I just lost one of my, one of my lights here. It's either paranormal or just I like, gave out. So... Let me know in the background if you start to see things. I actually had somebody once who watched one of the episodes and was uh, and, and sent me an email and said, here are certain points in your show, like, you know, one minute, eight seconds or whatever, you know, looking back of you for a, a ball of light, which starts at the guitar and moves here and then goes there. And... Yeah, I mean that was all present in that one episode, but I, you know, it, uh, <laughs> I, everything seems pretty calm down here. There really isn't any, any reason why this uh, house, which I've lived in for twenty years, would would suddenly start to uh, have paranormal behavior. But but yeah, someone was had one episode or some pretty hot paranormal activity happening in the back, in back here. But like, oh God. Um, I don't know. So, um, Woodford is available to the Northeast old humble distilling company. I'm not much of a drinker, but like something different here and there. So, yeah. And so Joe, old humble, am I able to get that in Wisconsin by any means? Is it, is there a way to, to do that or not that you can't distribute beyond your state? I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the post office. Is there any, you know, perishables, da 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 da, batteries, you know, things like that? Nope. So you just mail it. So they'll never know. They'll never know. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't. So a fun part. Um, 
for me right now is I've been doing, um, and Bacon, this is where, you know, on your show, we can do this. Hey, well, good. I didn't know that. Hold on. So from your website, I can order. Can I do that? Um, says I can deliver to Wisconsin, just send box to Chicago. So yeah. So I would be very interested in that then. Um, so now the port, the part of, uh, you know, the book is the press releases have been, the first two press releases have been done, the AP press releases. So those have been approved. So they're just stationed, right? They're sitting out there and they'll release at different times. That's all. And then um, there's usually then the media, you know, blitz after that, TV and stuff like that. But then the uh, there's another document, which is just the interview document. So that's the front and back one. I've been working on that. So this is Bacon. You can be the first one. I'm going... To- <laughs> Lisa's just saying like it can't be sent now to uh, to Wisconsin. So, yikes. Um, Joe's like, yes, yes, sure we can. Speedy delivery, not a problem. By by uh, by drone. Um, I don't know. So, I guess I don't know if I'd be on the hook on the receiving end of that as much, right? If that would be a bad thing uh, versus the sending end of it, Joe. Um, so. I don't know. Um, but imagine like tonight, I could be wearing an old Humble Distillery sweatshirt down here. So, um, yeah, that would be that'd be pretty cool. Um, but right now, I have a, a two-page. It's the front and back as a sheet. So when I go on TV or radio or to events, like author events, it's I give it to the people ahead of time, right? Or an NPR, like because I'll be on NPR for the book and stuff like that. And, or, and I give it to him. I did something similar for school of airs. Cause I'm like, you obviously probably haven't read the whole book or whatever, but here are like talking points. So if you just go down and ask like a couple of these things, like I can answer them and it'll look like you read the book and I'm pretty tuned in on these things. So, so I've been coming through of like, here's my two pages. So bacon, that's where let's do a show and uh, I'll get this to you. And then you can kind of interview me, but just, you'll kind of have the answers, right? You'll, you'll know, like, um, you know, so what is finite voltage or like, you know, what, what was something unusual that you learned in, in the book or, you know, tell me, tell me about, um, yeah, one of the interviews. And so I've got it, you know, just kind of put together and I've got a couple quotes that I pull out of there too, but that's really helpful because otherwise, like when I first did that, um, it was hard with interviews cause you know, where do you kind of go? So I, I always gave that to people at a time. And I, when I was on the TV, TV in Milwaukee, like <laughs> that was exactly what they just worked off of. Right. I just gave them the notes and then they just kind of interviewed me like right off of the, right off of the notes. And, and, uh, but yeah, so that's what I'm, what I'm doing now is to try to make, and that's, you got to do a, a couple dry runs on that with interviews to make sure that you have interesting stuff because you only have so much time when you're called for TV or like if you're doing an author event, you might have 45 minutes generously. Otherwise, if you're, otherwise it's going to be shorter if people are just coming in and so you like want to have one thing that you kind of can, can go to, um, Hey, like chapter two, you know, essential versus non-essential. Let me tell you about Carl the barber and he's 77 years old. And, you know, we all went through this. We, we were either essential or non-essential and he wouldn't close his doors in Oswa, Michigan. And, you know, so they bolted his door shut, but then the police said, Hey, like we're on your side. And, and they eventually find him for having his 
uh, comb in his pocket, but then they eventually drop the fines. And but then it gets a bigger story. You're like, right? We've all been, all of us in our occupations either have were deemed essential or non-essential. So how do you feel about that? And people are like, oh, kind of forgot about it. And yeah, so you know, um, is do you think that's going to change how people make decisions in their careers? Whether or not they're going to be in a career that can potentially be shut down if there's, or will they not make a decision? Or just personally, will it be something it'll be people will be kind of trying to reconcile for years, you know, like Carl the Barber as the state kept coming after him. So those kind of discussions, right. Of, of trying to get like one point in there. So, uh, you know, or one chapter, like you can, you can give people in, and say like, just read, read this, or like read these five pages and, you know, we can spin things off, uh, from there. But, um, but yeah. So anyway, that's the fun part. Like I am, doing this um so right up here um no the distillery cannot deliver out of state that's strictly illegal <laughs> but individuals can i know a lot of individuals okay all right so we can figure out something i guess i'm gonna be in texas too like i don't i don't know like texas is a big state right like many wisconsin's can fit inside texas um so it's not like i'm gonna be driving all over texas but you know, I, when I'm down in Texas, we can we can figure out something or like where I'm going to be meeting some people in Texas. Maybe they can, you know, get some whiskey from Old Humble Distilling Company. I'll make it work. I don't know. It just be hard to bring that back in the state. So that's why the car goes 170 miles an hour with 310 horsepower. So I'll be so, I I only have like 27,000 miles on my car. So I think, you know, they don't just, they don't make those anymore. Like those big, those big engines and the, you know, high profile tires and stuff like this is like a race car. So be sad. I will do everything I can to keep that thing going for many years. It, it, an accident would take it out. That's the thing. Um, it's just, but I don't know, maybe not. Uh, things are so valuable today. It, uh, you know, probably is worth as much as when I bought it. But um, Lisa wrote, hey, do we have sweatshirts? That was my question. Um, do we have sweatshirts? Um, and uh, so, yeah. Unfortunately, Joe says no. We we need shirts uh, to sweat in Houston. So I, I take a visor. I'm a big visor person. So I have a lot of visors. Um, so, yeah. That would be cool. Like old humble distillery on a, on a visor that have a nice look to it. Um, yeah, I know we get a lot of, and I'm the person they recognize. Like I go up to superior Duluth. Like it's the guy that threw out the pitch on July 31st, 2019, the heater. It's like safety doc day at the ballpark. Look at this. And they'll take pictures and then, you know, the picture, the old humble distilling. I'll make sure I got the sunglasses off of the, the hat. And then, you know, they'll be looking at the picture and they'll be like, you know, that was a great, first of all, it was a great day, July 31st, 2019, 83 degrees, slight breeze coming in off of Lake Superior, Duluth 1, 11 to 0, just great, it's a great day. And by the way, look at that, what, Old Humble Distilling, what is that that he's wearing? If it's like an endorsement, right? Because, and then they'll look it up and they'll look up the website and they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I mean, it's it's already sold at that point. Like there's no, there's no vetting. Once I've got the hat on, it's vetted. Um, anything I wear, I mean, like the Hoka Ono Onos, I mean, kind of like Zappos probably knew that. Like they probably have some screen that pops up on the side. 
And uh, and they quickly get over to the Hoka Ona Ona rep, and they're like, listen, uh, Doc here wants to get the shoes on some price matching thing, and uh, they would be uh, 50% off. So instead of like 150 bucks, it's 75 bucks, so it's just selling him a loss. But Doc would wear them. So like advertising, um, you know, things like that. You're, and, and of course, Hoka Ona Ona is like, make a deal. Like price match it down to zero, you know, and send him a sweatshirt. Do whatever you have to do. And they're like, just make it happen. Is he still in line? There's a chat. Is he still in there? Yeah. Keep him on the line. Ask him how his day is going, which they did. Of course, they do that with everybody. And then, um, and then, yeah, they made the deal. And of course, Oka, um, Hona Oka Oka or Oka Hoka Ona Ona um, stock was up big the next day. So somebody inside started to talk. Hey, these shoes are being shipped. Where? Wisconsin Safety Dock? Yeah. Holy God. Can we still get in on a deal? We can, but internally we can only purchase so many shares. We have to kind of structure it. Otherwise, uh, people pick up on stuff like that. It's probably it's winter. He's not going to wear them outside a lot. So, like, you know, expect a big get get the shares now. Because he starts wearing these. And he, he's he mentioned he's going down to New Mexico on you know, a Salt Lake City trip. So in interviews with the book, um, I know they typically don't show your feet, uh, but you know, who knows? Um, the number of rules holding us back is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it is, it's crazy. Um, we have, the, the, so I teach uh, school legal issues for aspiring superintendents and aspiring special education directors. And, you know, we go th th by, by the day. So one of the things right now, Andrew, is um, schools, some schools aren't able to get enough of the product in for their lunches, right? For hot lunch. So they have to kind of mix and match and make do. Well, the problem with that is it starts to violate law, the laws of the Department of Ag, saying what schools have to provide. And, you know, you can only provide so much chocolate milk and options versus white milk and things and, and whatever. And now schools are kind of saying, like, it's force majeure in some of these companies. They're, like, they're saying we can't meet our obligations to you. So, you, you know, if you're going to get uh, a wheelbarrow of rice aroni and uh, Kool-Aid, that's the deal. Like That's all we've, we've got for you. And of course, the Department of Ag doesn't give any relief on this saying, you know, we know it's this crazy time, right? We're moving from just in time manufacturing over to 3D printing and all this other stuff. But um, yeah, that we're not going to give you a break. We're not going to come out with some statement and give you a break during this. Um, and the states totally are doing the OLA and the organization. That's where my students caught on to this, right? This last class, they were actually saying, well, we're not getting any support from the state on this. Like, they're not standing up for us in our organization. I'm like, yeah, that's what I've been saying. Like, these organizations that you pay thousands of dollars to be a part of who hold these expensive conferences, when it comes to things that actually you need them to do, like step up and represent all of you, your 421 districts to say like, we can't get it in our food supplies. So we don't want to be dinged by the department of ag find and all of these things. Like we need a, we need a, a break, some grace period on this because of not being able to get supply. So all these rules, right. They, they're, so they're battling with them and it's going back and forth with the department of ag. And, and I'm like, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Like, especially now. And, and by the way, like these rules got way too crazy anyway, but, uh, 
but yeah, it's just uh, so rules. When you're biking, though, there are almost there's zero rules. So um, yeah, just stay toward the side of the road. Bacon Old Humble Company does not believe in pants except yoga pants. Wow. Um, all right, I don't know where to go with that. Um, yeah. Um, bah, ha, 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 bacon. Reminds me of the Count on uh, Sesame Street. So, um, Lisa kilts are all the way to go. So, yeah. I uh, so when I'm out in in summer, like I have a my my lawn chair. I don't know. I guess you call it. I put it at the end of not the end of my driveway. I put it toward my garage, but it's on my driveway. And I'm just like chilling out, you know, retired guy does. And people walk up and down the road and walk their dogs, stuff like that. But um, just waving to people. I'm usually out there in my shorts and uh, and I, I get these, um, you can get NFL apparel like cheap off of, uh, there's a, there's a site. I don't know. It's somewhere in Minnesota, but they get this stuff donated by NFL teams <laughs> and they sell it for like, so I got like his uh, Houston Texan sleeveless shirts that players wear. Cause has their name on the inside of it. Like, so it's like the practice stuff that they wear. Yeah. And I forget about this, but anyway, um, so I'm always like wearing kind of cool, like NFL type stuff and just chilling, waving to people. But I, I took, I took this walk around town and it's about a seven mile walk and it goes by an airport in my town and stuff like that. So, and then there's a, there's a lake, like there's a hell of a lot of stuff in the seven miles and go by a lake and airport. And I was walking past this, um, assisted living center and this, this elderly lady is out. And she's what well, I assume she probably lived there. She's walking very slowly and uh, down the, the sidewalk and kind of walk to the side. This is back. It's pretty warm out. And on this Houston Texans sleeveless shirt, which is player issued. Right. And uh, she looks at me and she says, uh, she says, sir, she said, do you play, you play for the Houston Texans? I said, I looked at her and I said, no, ma'am, I, uh, I do not play for the Houston Texans, but uh, thank you for asking. I do not. And she said, sir, if you don't mind ask if you don't mind uh, answering, um, do you play them? You play for the Green Bay Packers? And I said, no, ma'am. I should do not play for any professional sports teams. Um, but I do. I do thank you for asking. And, uh, and she said, um, well, you have, you have a nice day. Then I said, no, you have a nice day. I said, you've, you've made my day. So appreciate that. So, yeah. And, and just, I, yeah. I mean, I think obviously like, <laughs> I don't think anybody else was thinking that, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just, that was, that was just the, and it was, it only has the little like logo in the front. It doesn't say he was in Texas. So she knew the logo, but I just thought that was, I, that was the coolest little genuine thing from this elderly lady too. Like, excuse me. Do you, do you play for the Houston Texans? No, no, ma'am. I do not. So, um, old humble distilling company. I believe it. I've already ordered two for breeze uh, sport coats tonight based on your endorsement alone. So, yeah, Oscar De Laurenta, 44 regular. If you uh, happen to see any deals coming through on eBay, let me know. And uh, yeah, so, it, you know, it's a it's a gamble. Like you're usually two out of three with a sport coat because you always, you get one in that someone has altered and then it's a throwaway, but it goes to goodwill. But you can get a sport coat between 20 and $30, including shipping. And of course you're to buy it new, you know, hundreds of dollars, which I'm not going to invest in. And I, the same, I wore the same sport coat I bought off of eBay on PBS in 2013 and refabrized that came back in 2019. Um, 
But the old Febreze trick is, uh, it works really well. Um, now that we don't have a dry cleaner in town and I have to gather up everything and take it down to this other, uh, dry cleaning place. But, um, yeah, Febreze has been, been a godsend. Um, yeah, it is. I went, when I got to class on the hell was it Saturday? Well, first of all, the university, the whole building is weird because it is all locked up. Something was wrong with, they run a fire drill and then the building locked up and they couldn't get it open even with the key. But when I got to my room, it was like 80 some and humid. Like uh, there's heat was just pouring in because it was cold that morning. It's like 27 degrees on the way there on the car. And then, um, so I had to open up the windows and turn the thermostat down and stuff like that. And then, you know, but then like, you're kind of like sport coat is all like humid and I'm like, Oh God. Um, so I had to ice the room down, but wasn't ready for that. Safe to over here. Just casually describing some insider trading. Yes. Insider trading with Hoka Ono Ono. So, you know, damn well that that's going to be rocketing. It's going to be taking up the, I don't know if it's, that'd probably be Dow. It's not going to be on the NASDAQ necessarily, but it's going to be taking everything up with it. So, um, yeah, like I said earlier in the show, like General Electric, um, you know, this, this extreme white paper where they, they have these, uh, um, they've been pioneering with 3D printed foods and they're very, you know, deep into this and like five years of research and all this stuff. And I'm like, but, but as a stock, like that's all, that's been a very unfortunate stock personally to own, <laughs> which I do not own at present time. Um, so, but uh, for many years though, that thing was, yeah, it was like um, the equivalent of owning an anchor, which was coming out of, out of a battleship and it, in, it just kept going down. Like it hadn't hit bottom yet. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, how can such a uh, great reputable company, like just be so abysmal, and you're always waiting for the turnaround. I'm like, you make airplane engines and trains and locomotives. Like there's a high barrier of entry into these, you know, you th I, I would think you'd be doing better, but no, um, that never worked. GE. Um, that's actually just like our Texans. They don't admit they play for them <laughs> either. That's hilarious. So the, you can always find, the best stuff from the worst teams. So New York Jets, like you can find day in, day out, you know, everything Jets, pants, shorts, cleats, bags, hats, you know, player issues, because they don't want it. Like they're not keeping any of this stuff. Um, so yeah, you just follow the bad teams and there's a plethora of merch. Uh, and they and they make the stuff up and then, you know, no one wants it or buys it. So yeah, that's why the Texan stuff is like I mean, right now on the site, like it's all over the place. And I picked up some Miami Dolphin stuff like a year or two ago. Like, so it's you'll never get the hot teams like that just isn't happening. But uh, but yeah, and and some of it's like you know it's got little rips and tears in it, which I'm fine with. Like I can mend that. I mean, but it because it's NFL grade, like it's really you, know, you can't buy this stuff other places. And so I don't have any problem with buying stuff used off of eBay like that. There's no shame in my game when it comes to that. Um, reminder that of all sales that pink NFL merchandise less than 10% actually get a breast cancer research. So yeah, I think I knew that um, from somewhere. And then I also was reading um, 
the NFL has a very uh, strict, they review the shoes before you can wear shoes. If you know, certain things that you can do to your shoes, you can't cover up the, the logo and of the Nike or Adidas or whatever it is that you're, you're going and, but yeah, most charities are scams. I, I don't know. I, it could be sassed. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily supporting the charity as much as I just want the item <laughs> and it's cheap and it comes out of Minnesota. So it's here in like two days. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting it because no one else really sells it. It's kind of neat though, because you, you can find a player, you know, usually they have a name tag that the iron in the back of these things and the player's number and the name. And then I'm like, Oh, this belonged to whatever, you know, this player. And then you look him up and I'm like, this, this belonged to this, this dude. So, uh, but I won't worry. It doesn't have names on it. They don't sell anything that has player names on the outside. It's all non-identifiable practice information. So I don't know. Um, Febreze is what I use on bed sheets before a girl comes over. If I don't have time to wash them, works in a pinch. Febreze, yes, yeah, saved our cast or our cat pissed couch. Um, one and we sold it then just at a garage sale. Like we got it outside and we're able to freeze it enough and get enough sunlight on it where it was able to go. Um, thankfully, our cats don't do that now. But uh, Febreze, though, for sport goat, like that needs its own show to have one episode on that because um, that is a has been a lifesaver, especially now that dry cleaning places have shut down. Be, you know, at least in my town and the next town over, they're gone, they'll never come back. You know, they've been here for 70 years. Because people aren't going to the office and having things dry cleaned. And so, like, when you start to have parts of your wardrobe, which are the sport coat and things like that, like, you can't, it's not feasible to go to dry cleaner. It's expensive. So, if you can Febreze and it doesn't, you know, if you have a technique, there's a technique to it. So, it doesn't stain it all the hell. Like, you know, turn it inside out. And I've got it down. You teach a class on that. Be like a one credit class. Um, there is definite shame in the Texans game. Five points. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Texans are bad. Randall Cobb. What is it? Oh, Wiley. Marcellus Wiley got out of there and got on the Packers. So good for them. And good for J.J. Watt, Wisconsinite here, to get out of there and get over to the undefeated uh, Arizona Cardinals. I still have my O.J. Simpson jersey. Does that count? Yeah. Yikes. Remember when uh, Keith, not Keith Hernandez, but uh, Hernandez played for the Patriots and he was arrested for murder. And then the Patriots did a, a jersey swap where you could bring your Hernandez jersey to, because they didn't want people wearing them. So you could bring it in and, and get a Gronkowski or Brady jersey. Do you guys remember that? That was a thing um, at Gillette Stadium at their pro shop back when all of that went down because of the of the public relations stuff. They were... They were swapping out those jerseys. So, um, not Keith Hernandez, though. He was the baseball player. Keith Hernandez. Uh, 1979 MVP. He got like 11 golden gloves. Um, Lisa, what did I say the shows was going to be about? So, this is, and this is also why anybody wants to contact me and say, hey, like I'm willing to be your co host, at least for a part of the time. You know, like most of these shows don't go this long although it seems like most of them now kind of go this long, but um, I would take that. I would, I would be like, yes, do that. I, I, I would like to have like a co host. Um, so take me up on the offer. Um, 
So Old Humble World of Whiskey. Okay. Um, you have a whole episode about hobo laundry. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Hobo laundry. Uh, hey, you, Lisa, still have the Astros to root for. Yes. Lisa, again. Whoa. Uh, bacon, wash the damn sheets. Yeah. Yikes. Um, when I was in college, um, we lived in the same apartment for my 12 credits. You're, you're a wild man. You work two at them? It's a lot. I think I, was, I took like 18 credits every every semester when I was in college. I think I did, I think I did 18. But that was like, well, then I had some part-time job too, but not full-time. Um, but yeah, when I was in college, so we lived at this hor horrible apartment, which was fine, you know, like three college guys. And uh, we never vacuumed once in three years. So when we moved out, we asked this, <laughs> the neighbor next the, next to us, these two two girls, and like, hey, like you got a vacuum cleaner? Like, can we borrow it? So, and she had this like really nice vacuum cleaner. She was like proud of this vacuum cleaner. And uh, so we borrow it. And it was like vacuuming on the beach. It was just like sucking up all of the sand off this like old, horrible carpet. When we moved in, the couch was on cinder blocks. There were no legs on the couch. And we left it there. You couldn't get in. And you, the only way you could get in is if you took the window, the big windows in the front of the apartment, take them out. You could get it out that way. But, um, and, and we returned this thing to her and, and literally, it had a bag. It didn't have like the Dyson thing. This, and it is heavy. I mean, and it, we're just like taking it down. And, and you could tell like she was just so sad when we knocked on the door. I think my roommate, Craig, and I, and hey, like, thanks for letting us uh, use your vacuum cleaner. And she's like, oh, what'd you do? And uh, I'm like, you probably have to empty the bag. And, and uh, oh, yeah, I feel bad about that. Um, but, Hey, what do you do? And yeah, it was, a, it was a horrible place. And we we wrote all all of our scores on the wall in marker for for uh, Sega football. So we'd run entire seasons. Like we would play, uh, you know, sixteen game season in the playoffs, and then we'd write the scores and the stats, rushing and all of that. So an entire wall was just covered with all these stats. And we had to repaint over that with like the special paint that covers up marker and do all of that stuff. And, uh, um, yeah, it was, it was the, the amount and of his video games. Like we do these whole seasons. And one of my, so one of my roommates, uh, Craig. So back in that day with the Sega, like you'd, you'd do the whole seasons, but then when it came to playing the other person, like, so if, if I was like the Packers and Nate was, you know, the jets or something like that or whatever it was, but Craig was never really good at, that so he would always like barely beat the computer you know like the computer game was the one you won 70 to zero when you're just playing the computer and he would always struggle you watch him like try to duke it out with a you know 8-bit processing computer back in 1992 like how the hell dude you know we'd always have to jump in like if he was going to lose like give me the controller like we can't we can't have you not in the playoffs you know he'd barely eke in you know like with a nine and seven record <laughs> but i mean oh god those are good times those are absolutely good times. Um, and my my roommate Nate, one time he went uh, see a pickup truck, and when he went home, 
uh, Craig and I put someone's bike in the back of his pickup truck. <laughs> he just he didn't realize it until he got home. And he's like, whose bike is that? I'm like, dude, you know, guys upstairs. Like, you took their bike. You got it back. I don't know. That was also like he worked at UPS. Um, and so he'd have to go in like at midnight. So like midnight to six. And back then it was pretty good pay. College student, you know. And Craig and I would go out and be like, you know, zero degrees outside. And we'd take buckets of water. And we would just keep working out. And there was like a laundry room we could get this water. And we'd pour it over his windshield. And then we would stick things like brownies and stuff like that. And then then he'd get out there and he'd have to go to work, right? And to be chipping away at this this ice. It's a little patch so he could see and drive through. I know it sounds horrible. It was horrible. but Or else like we'd we'd pour gas, we'd pour oil into his muffler. And then as you go, it'd be smoking stuff. Oh, my God. The rings are going bad on your on your truck. Is it safe to drive? I mean, it's up to you, man. I'm, why don't you drive it and then come back and we'll see where it is. You know, by that time, like the oil will burn out and stuff. But then he'd be paranoid. But yeah, I don't know here, man. I mean, it's your injectors are going. You can tell. So, um, you have a whole episode about hobo laundry. Oh, here we go again. Um, um, we're over a whole conversation while David is monologuing over there. Yeah, <laughs> we're over here. <laughs> it's funny. I work 90 hours a week. I'm taking 12 hours. That's crazy. So, but if you're going to do it, like, go all out, right? I mean, why not? Uh, yeah. No, I know you're, I, I mean, I know you put in insane hours. Uh, yeah. Your friend Aaron Clary always talks about that. He's like, Anthem is one of the hardest working people that I know. Um. Old Humble is saying, or uh, Bacon is saying, uh, true laugh aloud. Yes, Lisa, I wash my sheets for the last for the last one. That's what happens when I get enough of a warning. Yikes. Ah, all right. So let us do a recap here. Um, in the 1980s, we had warehouses. In the 1990s into the 2000s, we had just-in-time manufacturing where things got produced and they got on a semi or a boat or a train and were taken to where they were distributed or to the customer. That got better and better and better um, as technology and logistics in- increased. But we're now looking at, well, what if we just have 3D printers in homes or at the Napa store, like your auto parts store, and you have to get something and they just punch in your your code or your part number and it just makes it. So in real time. And that's where we're heading uh, rapidly. This isn't an experimental technology. It's already existing. It just hasn't scaled. Um, As I said, I have a friend who is having significant portions of his home three printed. I mean, that is as in looking forward as is right now, like his home is being constructed and they have three D printed, you know, walls and, you know, things like, like that into this, this house. So, um, it is, it is just, it's, it will be this rapid disruption. It's going to hit us. So the question that comes up, right? It, the supply chains and all of this is to understand that it's not just trying to get back to just in time manufacturing. It's the fact that we're, we're getting closer to the tipping point of heading over toward 3d. It's kind of like this whole thing with elect, electric cars, right? Um, at some point they're, you know, these, there just won't be internal combustion engines for cars made, right? They're just, they, there's certain companies already have said like 2028 is our last model that will, or the last new engine will release for internal combustion. So you have this tipping points, same thing with 3D. 
So I think that actually gives more perspective on why this isn't being resolved as fast as it is. And I think it's because the big players in investing don't want to invest in fleets of semis and fleets of transportation when that isn't, and by the time you scale that stuff up, you're going to be further down the road closer to 3D printing um, on a commercial level and on a personal level. So, you know, why do, why do you want to do that? It's like kind of perfecting the last icebox before you get to the plug-in electric refrigerator. Like there's some point when it just isn't going to make sense to perfect the icebox. You've got to go to the, the new technology. The market's not going to be there. It's going to be the shift. So there's some definite exciting aspects of that. Now, the thing is like it, we weren't going to catch up with that 3D printing stuff until maybe eight years from now. Um, but because of the pandemic, it's tossed us forward toward that, just like it did with telemedicine, uh, just like it did for remote work, just like it did for remote education. All those things got thrown ahead through the the black swan event, which I wrote about in my book and kind of how that how that happens. Um, so a lot of you know, we're just not ready to do that interface yet. It'll happen. Um, but it is kind of a quirky, it, it's, it's real uncomfortable right now because you're not trying to get back to just in time. You're trying to kind of patch up just in time and not have enough, not have entropy in it where it just kind of falls apart until you can make the transition to 3D. So printing, it's kind of this whole thing with like singularity, which is another podcast, right? We know you know, by like 2042, maybe there'll be some singularity between AI and human thinking, right? We kind of see it already with self-driving vehicles and stuff like that. But there are enough studies to indicate that that's likely going to happen. Um, so then, you know, what this will be a good show too, like singularity of what is what things do you really have to know when you can offload a lot of knowledge into the cloud. You know, like you're not gonna have to know the 50 states. Like, I mean, all this stuff will just be there. You'll have wearables, it'll bring up all this information. And I mean, remember the old days when they said, hey, you gotta new, do the math because you're not going to have a calculator with you all the time. Well, yeah, I do. Like I have one with me all the time now. Um, so what is, what then do we know and how do we we interface with uh, information and and kind of the robotics in our world which will just be more, more and more prevalent. Um, it's kind of like iRobot, not that far out, but I mean, like maybe really early integration of that. Um, so it, it also brings in this really deep discussion. If you guys are up for it, um, of agency and purpose, like how do you find? And I had this on a earlier podcast, like maybe in the first twenty, thirty podcasts, I, had, I was talking to some computer engineers, and the question was like, if you could live for 500 years, would you want to? And how might you find agency and purpose in that? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's really, I think you'd have a lot of people who'd be very depressed, right? That would be, it would be hard to focus. I mean, agency and purpose would be very unusual if you had a time, you live for like 500 years when you're used to humanity living for 100 years or less. Um, Bacon, why did I not ask Doc about the feds are going to treat 3D printed firearms? Yeah, that's Matthew Hoover can go through all of that with us. He's he knows that. I mean, obviously, as a firearms dealer, 
Um, and Matthew and I talked about that once on his show. So like if I go on Matthew's show, it's kind of interesting because like 4,000 people watching. Um, but yeah, he, he knows um, in what parts of a gun you can print and what you can't and what constitutes or what you can etch out. It's not my area. I don't, I don't know that. Um, I'm more into slingshots. It's kind of my thing. Um, but I, so Lisa's saying there's been a lawsuit on 3D printed weapons. Yeah. So that, and I, I was, I was talking about that with Matthew Hoover and some people in his chat got, you know, very like emotional kind of defensive and attacking and they can't sue us. And if it's, I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not the expert on this. I'm just telling you though, the technology, right. And we had Zippy in here before it was really, really into that. I mean, that guy is a genius when it comes to intellectual property stuff that he sends me in the researches. And, but, uh, so I mean, it's an alias that he uses in here, but I mean, the stuff he does with that is amazing. And, but they can match that stuff up, right? And intellectually um, uh, proprietary things. And then also, you know, if you're producing, um, I think a thing with a weapon is right in distribution, any, anything with that. So again, I, I can bring Matthew on sometime to give his knowledge with that. Um, he openly, he got um, not subpoenaed, indicted by the government and had to go to Florida over some of his um uh, I don't know if it was interpretation or production of stuff. I, I don't. I don't know exactly. He talked about it on his website, so there's more about it. So, um, but yeah. So not an area. Again, I'm. Well, so Lisa's having a good night. So yes, see you next week, Lisa. And I gotta get in here. How would living for 500 years affect the economy and employment? Yeah, right. So I mean, that's a great question, Joe. I, what would you do for a job? I mean, now people have a job for a year or two and they switch to something else. Um, so how, I mean, how would that look? What would, what would be the meaning of a world series, for example, or a super bowl when, you know, they I'm alive and this is my 450th super bowl, you know, that I've watched on TV. I mean, it, these things would, would lose their purpose and this whole transitive aspect of life of a beginning and living and kind of an end is very important this whole transitive nature and as we see in finite voltage and, and crowd and behavior when people don't have those defined endings to things especially in chaos it's a it's a really hard psychological hurdle to come over like what is my agency and purpose and that's why i i am kind of glad i'm not living during a pandemic but i'm kind of glad i lived through like the 70s and 80s and 90s and you know recall those times because i think uh it's kind of going to be very mismatched to to a lot of these things in the future so gormonger oh my goodness um old umbo bacon that's a problem for future hurts yes um actually i'd love to second chair a whole conversation with you about living fun yeah i would yeah so either like here or there uh, with your show um because right, I mean, logistically, what does what does that mean? I mean, um, in body repairs and parts, and and what does it mean for things that you produce um, for your proprietary intellectual property? Um, just I, yeah, it's it's. I think agency and purpose to me becomes the most strained. Like if you get to be 200 years old and you know, you still have time to go, like, what do you do? Um, and the newness, right? 
the newness moves us through things. Once you become familiar with things, it's, we know this in the pandemic too, of um, when you don't have new authentic experiences, time just kind of flattens out for you, this weird time dilation effect, which I wrote about, and I actually had a couple um, experts in the area read it to make sure that I had it right and kind of help me tune it. Doc, you love slingshots. Yes. When I was growing up, I had a quite a few like very professional type slingshots. Um, I didn't hunt with them, but I did kind of marksman stuff with them. Um, imagine how much knowledge and wisdom this is Cameron could accumulate in a 500 year life. Yeah. You could be the world's expert in a tremendous head of universe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Tom Scott does videos on this, this stuff of like, what would it, you know, let's say that your body just gets replaced every hundred years, right? That your mind somehow gets scanned, your neural network and 99.97% of your mind then gets brought into a new brain is programmed in and you have a new body then, but your expertise, but, but wouldn't everybody become an expert? I mean, it's one of these weird things too, of like, um, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't everybody have the bionic ability, the bionic implants to be professional athletes at a highest level and, and responses. And it, so, um, yeah, at what point does that stuff kind of go, you know, really in a strange way, uh, Joe at, uh, old humble distilling, or, thinking about the problems we had with the boomers living so much longer than their parents and clawing up the employment channels and management ranks for new employers. Yeah. And that was, that was people who were, you know, working in their sixties and seventies. Imagine now. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is, it is mind boggling, but also you know, there's a, there's a realism to having to, to think about these, these things. Uh, imagine how cynical one can be in 500 years. Yeah, what does politics look like if you're, you know, if you're 500 years old? And um, I mean, I this is crazy. Uh, Joe wrote to uh, old um, to Cameron. Think of how many advancements and revolutionary processes would be blocked by people who have done it this way for centuries, and it works for us, right? I didn't think about that, but change is hard for people. Um, so you are going to have people want to hold on to their Taurus, which I wrote about in school of airs and, and have talked about on TV or the sense of similarity. And you're more likely to stick with a sense of similarity versus advance. Right. That's why right now it's like really hard for people to think about 3d printed meals or 3d printed parts at AutoZone and stuff like that. But, um, and Joe wrote, uh, here at old humble, um, to bacon. I know, right? Basically the population currently by six boom. Yeah. What do you do with all the people? Like in how does how does oh my God. I think most people go insane after a couple of body renewals. I think so too. I I know there was this right this episode of um uh Futurama, right? Where where what is it? Bender, the robot just goes in, pays his quarter at the death machine, right? He goes in it and then it says only blaze cut him up and that's just be the end of him. And, but there is like this, this, um, realistic sarcasm to that, right? Like if you lived so many years, again, he's a sentient robot, right? But it's a comedy show, but there, there, there would be a really challenging point of what your agency and purpose and will to live would be if you got out two, 300 years. And especially if you knew barring, you know, some extreme events, you know, maybe there's this way that your neural network is always uploaded. If, if something happened to you, a meteor comes down and hits you and wipes you out, that 
if you paid enough money or whatever, had this in an account, they could just reproduce you into another body. Like the, technically that would be possible. We're, we're writing movie scripts now. A boomer's persistence basically crashed the cemetery and funeral industry in the late nineties. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Joe, too, is like when I bike, I go through like old and I bike, I, I bike through cemeteries or I walk through old cemeteries and stuff too. It's like, for me, it's, it's and that's a, that's an interesting show in, a, in and of itself. Like I, I have a hard time, like wrapping my head around why the resources we put into these expensive grave markers and funerals and all of this type of stuff. And I have a friend who's um, a mortician and, you know, said, you know, pumping chemicals and formaldehyde into people and stuff like that. And, but I just, you know, and a lot of these, these cemeteries, you know, these stones are, they're just, especially in Wisconsin, heaving of the soil because of frost and stuff. They're, they're kind of, you know, they're tilting over and they're generations, you know, a hundred years old. So people aren't tending to them anymore. And, and they're just, and it's just, it's sad. And you look again, the amount of resources that kind of go into, to that. And I don't know, it's hard, it's hard for me to wrap my head, head around it. Um, Another problem with living that long as time goes faster, the older you get, it's already bad enough if you're 80, not 480. Um, yeah, it goes faster because one of the reasons I write about this in my book is you don't have as many authentic new experiences. You've already done the stuff. You've probably done it 50 times or 100 times already. So when you don't have authentic experiences, um, it's, everything is already familiar, quickly patterned in your mind. It's just like zoom, 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 zoom. Um, it's the authentic experiences that that give you that sense of a slowing down of time. It's like you know, if you if you meet somebody new or a new job and you're get some new place that you go, time kind of slows because you're taking that in. That would be gone. Um, Olumble, uh, the actual solution would be no kidding. Battle Royale, The Hunger Games, yeah, yikes. The movie Six Day explored that scenario of just replicating memories in the clone bodies. Yeah, man, I don't know, I. I and I, I mean, that's the thing, like when you hit singularity, then the questions start to come up of, well, when do you have augmented bodies, right? Um, of te technology and bionics and things like that. And Blade Runner, oh God, I remember Blade Runner. Um, periodic wars and plagues would solve that. Yeah, you you definitely would have, I, I wonder what the wars would look like, um, right? <laughs> um, you know, if they'd be, they'd be fought with people or are people going to have robots fighting the wars, right? I don't We're having to watch the newer era one. If you were to live to 500 years old, but had to stop aging um, at a certain point, at what age would the optimal age to be to live for 500? I don't know. Um, personally, I think if, if I could have all of my senses and faculties pretty much intact, right? That, uh, you know, not a degraded existence uh, significantly. I guess I would, I would say like 120 for me. Um, and that, that would be it. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm totally, totally fine to say like, this, boom, this is a, that's a weird thing. What if there's a social system where saying, if you go beyond a certain age, there's a higher percentage that you have to pay into the system or there's some retroactive thing where it takes more of your property or assets. I don't know who, who knows what this looks like from a tax and services standpoint It's really weird. So, um, so obviously a few, a uh, few things here. Uh, 
subscribe, thumbs up here as I get into the, the final windup. Subscribe and thumbs up. Tell your friends about the show. If we can get up to five a thousand subscribers, I would it would be terrific, right? Um, I could it would be big exposure for the show to get to a thousand subscribers. I think we can get there. I mean, big leaps. Um, yeah, and I appreciate that. Been back into regular programming, and this is the most honest book about the school safety industrial complex, School of Airs. Please consider buying it. Um, it is, is a terrific read. Yeah, and especially if you're a parent, uh, this is very valuable. Um, and then leave a review on Amazon, even if it's one sentence. Um, just please, uh, you know, get me beyond the 43 reviews and, uh, you know, get me back. Uh, I, I want to get toward 50, you know, reviews. Uh, so th- let's go through and wrap up in the chat here. Uh, early 30s for men, early 20s for women. God, that's funny. Um, I pick up millennia. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. Um, wow. So. Yeah, if you could be flying around space and stuff like that. And Andrew S. Imagine just how compound interest you could get to. There was an episode of Futurama on that where the the kid, yeah, was put into, yeah, like a, a deep sleep for, you know, centuries and then came out and then he had like eight cents in the bank. And by the time he got out, he was like the richest person around because of, you know, just a compounded. So, um, but that episode clearly didn't account for taxes on unrealized capital gains. I will see all of you die. I'm going to miss you all. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> speak. You can always point people back to that that video, right? That uh, whatever exists in YouTube or gets replicated out there of July 31st, 2019, when Doc threw out the opening pitch on a Safety Doc Day at the ballpark in Duluth, Minnesota, um, was uh, still one of one of the one of the absolute best uh, best. Best, it was a family event too. You know, my, my whole family was there. So um, it's just a good time. Like I, if you ever get the chance to throw out a baseball at the start of a baseball game, um, do it. It is, there is nothing like hearing the organ music, right? Which is just right. But, and uh, the people kind of cheering and getting out there and uh sunny day in the sun and, and just to have that experience. Um, and it was it was one of the coolest things I did. And they, and then they took a lot of pictures too. And then they gave them to me, um, emailed them to me. So they, so I have some really neat, you know, kind of photos from that, that too, but it was, it was just a very special thing. Um, so it was, it was good. Like a really, it's really good. Atham don't get stuck in a cave for 500 years. Yeah. That would be, that would be bad. That'd be bad. All right, everybody. So a week from today is uh, Lisa uh, Lene, Lenny, Lenny, Lisa Lenny. She's an attorney. She's from Texas. So, um, she's brilliant. She's funny. She was on in the chat tonight. She's going to be the guest. We're going to talk about what happens when a school uh, is sued by parents, specifically to COVID, what is happening from the parent side. We're going to walk you through some of that, like what in what the TV shows and what what you're not going to see on TV because a lot of these suits are being filed. What's happening on the school side, and um, what then are some other variables that no one thinks of that are kind of happening in addition to that? Because we're going to see more of this, and so who's going to prevail? Is it going to be the parents? Is it going to be the schools? Are there going to be things that school are going to be forced to do differently? Um, you know, what's going to all play out of this. So we're going to go through that. It's going to be really good. Uh, get in chat and give her all kinds of hell. Yeah. We, we you, you know her better than I do. So um, yes. Um, 
give her all kinds of hell. Yes. Uh, so it's, I think, I think Lisa's really cool. Um, and again, like she helped me greatly with, uh, a class that I taught on Saturday of just, uh, I, I put together some talking points and I just ran them past her on some of the stuff and she helped frame that really, really fast. So I'm like, ah, thank you. Thank you. Um, gotcha. All right. So everybody, I have this graphic. All right. Thank you so much. Um, hit the thumbs up, hit the subscribe, tell your friends, consider a review for school of airs after you read it. Right. And, uh, next week. Appreciate it, everybody. Safety Doc. Uh, have a good one. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.